Welcome to the Grand Theft World podcast hosted and sponsored by GrandTheftWorld.com. This is episode 111. It's December 18th, 2022. We're almost into 2023. This was like the biggest week in news. There's so much crazy wild news going on this week. We're going to be here for the next six or seven hours smashing that news, juxtaposing it with uh, the documents. We'll talk about some of these documents tonight and the evidence, the artifacts, the things that help you understand so you can come to cogent decisions, concise judgments and actions in your life with respect to the news. It's pretty hard to just watch the news. It's all fragmented all week. What are you supposed to make of all that? Do you have time to process it all? Did you have time to look up the references? Did you have time to look at opposing views? That's why you have this show. You break it down on Sunday night. You guys can listen to the replay all week. It's better. It's healthier to listen to something that's not so fragmented and maybe more organized. That organized information, it provides utility. Now, let's get into uh, this week in Grand Theft World. We had, I'm sorry to say that we had what they called a, a bloody massacre, a major bloodbath. The Washington Post has to lay off some people. And I guess that fake news isn't as profitable as it used to be, or at least people aren't willing to pay attention to it. And that was described in the press. We'll see, we hear from Breaking Point, Sagar and Jetty as a major bloodbath. Now, another sad event that happened this week. You guys remember in history class learning about Crystal Nacht, the night of the broken glass, World War II, Nazi Germany, people burned alive. It was atrocious. Some events went on this week that were compared to Kristallnacht. It was called the Thursday Night Massacre. Nobody was killed. A couple journalists got some Twitter suspensions. They compared that to Kristallnacht. They called it a massacre. You can look it up on Wikipedia right now, Thursday Night Massacre. It's a thing. So we're going to talk about some of the hyperbolization and the dangers it does to historical events like Kristallnacht which is an, it's an important event in history, and it shouldn't be belittled because when everything is crystal knocked, nothing is crystal knocked anymore. And I think that's a problem. So we'll get into that. Also, the Twitter files. You guys, when we last left off on Sunday night, uh, there were Twitter files showing that uh, Vijay Jagati, she had a limited Donald Trump's account and reach and these sort of things. We also knew about Yoel Roth doing likewise. Well, Twitter's chief safety sexpert, Yoel Roth, uh, got his uh, his comeuppance this week with Crowder and Tim Cass, a whole bunch of different reporting on the other activities that were going on with the uh, the chief Twittermeister over there, deciding who got censored around the election and what types of things got protected on on Twitter, like a bunch of uh, child molestation, child abuse, abusive child behavior was being protected. So we're going to look into those stories tonight because as dark as it is, it's not the demoralization of America. I think this is the remoralization of America. We can't fix these problems until we actually look at them and do something about them. So we're going to get into that story tonight. Also, the House of Representatives came out with this document stating the COVID maybe didn't come from the wet market and came from a lab. Maybe they want to blame it on China. We'll see. We'll dig into that later tonight. But also some of the biggest news this week was something that... We already knew, but now is openly admitted and is basically a fact in our nation. And that is that the Central Intelligence Agency was uh, responsible for the death of John F. Kennedy. So CIA killed JFK. We'll have a Tucker Carlson clip breaking that down. It comes from people who have seen the official archives, the things that are still held secret all these years later. 
We'll see what's behind those records and learn a little bit more about who created the CIA, maybe. Like, how did they come into existence and have the power to successfully take out a president in 1963? But before we can do any of that, we got to go this week's uh, kickoff with Luke Radowski from thebestpoliticalshirts.com. Let's get his Sunday report on world events in his lens. Let their games begin. Hey, you're in the arena. Let's go. Why we're here, how we got here, what the heck is going on. Elon, thank you so much for joining us. The company's been so eager to hear from you live and direct. Our role is not to be bound by the First Amendment, but to serve a healthy public conversation. Hello, First Amendment. Freedom of speech is extremely important to the future of civilization. Focus less on thinking about free speech. <laughs> I mean, it is free speech, and uh, I, I think that's a fair characterization of what the mainstream media thinks is going on right now. Welcome back, beautiful and amazing human beings. My name is Zukardowski here of WeAreChange.org, and we have a lot of absolutely crazy news to get into today, especially when it comes to the JFK files, the larger eye-opening details surrounding that, that of course should shock and surprise everyone. We're going to be talking about that. Plus, of course, Sam Bankman-Fried, what's happening in Ukraine, and of course, also, particularly right now, what is happening in the Twitterverse with Elon Musk, as I want to kind of give more of a nuanced perspective on this whole issue. We're going to be talking about that, plus a lot more, all on this independent media broadcast. And before we begin, if you like the shirt that I'm wearing, you can get it on thebestpoliticalshirts.com. And the clip that we played in the beginning of this broadcast looks like it was uploaded by John H. Patei, unironically, also on Twitter, we played you a small segment of this video. It's actually a lot longer. There's actually a YouTube video of this. We're going to be linking the YouTube video down in the description below so you could watch it in its entirety. And uh, I think the author of this video tried to be more uh, critical of uh, Elon, but uh, I don't know if he was able to achieve his goals there, uh, to, to say the least. Again, let me know what you think down in the comment section below. This, as the corporate media, is vilifying him while, of course, promoting and protecting individuals like Sam Bankman-Fried. Now, we're going to be talking about Elon in just a little bit, but just moments ago, we have found out that Sam Bankman-Fried, a man that has swindled and stole $8 billion in customer money, funneling a lot of it into political parties and, of course, protection rackets that clearly didn't work, or did they? As just moments ago, we have found out that Sam Bankman-Fried is reversing his decision to contest extradition to the United States. As many people are speculating, his time in the Bahamian jail might not be as uh, pleasant as he previously believed. I also find it very interestingly that he was arrested right before he was about to give testimony to Congress. Testimony that could have been used to help prosecute him, but uh, was stopped prematurely by the federal authorities here. Now, what's going on here? Will there be any justice? Well, we're going to be keeping a close eye on this particular story. As, of course, there's a lot of crooks, a lot of swindlers, a lot of really horrible people out there that are adding to the massive financial reckoning and pain that Americans and people all around the world are feeling everywhere right now. As The Intercept has a very interesting article that's titled, The Sickness and War, Not Government Spending Caused Inflation, according to Nobel Prize winner, specifically noting a new paper 
paper released by Joseph Stitzler and Ira Regime as they detail how supply chain disruptions, which was caused by government lockdowns, and particularly the war in Ukraine, which is being paid for by American tax dollars, is some of the chief culprit when it comes to, of course, the larger financial pain that they are dealing with. I would just uh, personally just surmise it to very bad decisions by governments screwing you over and wasting your money. As, of course, a lot of other countries that didn't lock down, particularly in Africa, countries also like Sweden, that didn't have to deal with a huge brunt of government fared a lot better than, of course all the other countries that have. This, as of course we could also expect more financial pain and reckoning specifically to Europe, where the European Union just introduced their first steps for a personalized carbon credit system. Yes, you heard that correctly. Every citizen in Europe will have to start paying for their own, quote, carbon emissions, essentially levying a tax against them that will be robbing the poorest people of their money. This, as of course, banks and airlines already have been tracking their carbon Carbon emissions following a lot of government regulations. Now this will have to be done individually and pretty much we're going to have a Chinese social credit score system coming our way very soon. All of this as the war machine is still in its full glory as Reuters is also reporting how the United States is planning to send smart bomb technology to Ukraine right now as of course the conflict there that represents the larger geopolitical conflict between the East and the West is expanding in that country. This as Ukraine has launched three major attacks inside of Russia. And now with this addition of potential smart bomb technology, this could of course ensure not only the prolongment of this conflict, but also the escalation of it, which of course the military industrial complex, which of course the intelligence agencies that work for the military industrial complex, all are very happy to of course happen. This as there's even leaked intelligence cables detailing how U.S. weapons for Ukraine go missing and are sold on black markets, going into the hands of who knows who, probably terrorists, criminal gangs, warlords, you name them. But U.S. cables admit that they can't do anything about it, as of course they contribute to a proxy war that is completely getting out of hand, leading to a lot of the economic chaos that we're dealing with, prolonging it with the possibility of other major attacks on the Western world with sophisticated, high-tech U.S. weaponry that now is in the hands of the average Joe inside of Europe. And uh, understanding the, the M.O. of the intelligence agencies, uh, mission accomplished, job well done. This is very surprisingly a mainline American news anchor, Tucker Carlson, has just come out on national television and said that he has a source within the government that came to him and personally told him that the CIA has had a hand in the assassination of the former president of the United States, John F. Kennedy. Yes, you heard that correctly. All of this as the National Archive just released more files related to the JFK assassination while keeping a lot of other files away from the general public. Now, of course, the corporate media, other than the exception of, of Tucker Carlson and some few other individuals, are saying, yeah, this is great. We, we got some documents here when clearly a lot of very important ones are still being hidden away from the general public. This says the U.S. government is still continuing their shadowy, secretive actions, which clearly are not in the best interest of the American people and are still keeping secret what should be already transparent and obvious to everyone. And this is why we can't have nice things, but hey, 
You could have nice t-shirts like the one that I'm wearing right now and the plethora of shirts that you could get on the bestpoliticalshirts.com that, of course, was recently taken over by Elon Musk. And there's a lot of mixed results. There's some people celebrating. There's some people being critical. There's some people screaming like their hair is on fire. But I think at least it's worth noting here that uh, it's uh, not boring to be on Twitter these days as Newsweek also came out with a very interesting article by Brad Palumbo. That's titled So Much for Elon Musk's Commitment to Free Speech. It was his opinion piece. I, at the end of this video, will be giving my own personal opinion to what I think is going on here. This, as I think it's fair to say, that to the, the corporate media representation of what's going on here isn't really that accurate. As, of course, a lot of this saga has begun when... Elon Musk was having his private jet doxxed and his private information to where he was and where he was going to released. This as the teenager behind this is not using publicly disclosed information and is still trying to get a Tesla out of this entire saga. Yes, you heard that correctly. This was the latest statements made by him on CNN. Relative to Musk, what will it make for you to go away and stop this? Uh, still a Tesla or $50,000. I mean, I'm not going to up it. There's no need to. All of this as the latest drama right now is surrounding Taylor Lorenz that was temporarily suspended on Twitter. This as there's already a 3,000 word Wikipedia page that's titled Thursday Night Massacre that went along with some individuals from the corporate media that were also temporarily suspended, which the majority of those individuals were already unbanned after Elon Musk gave a poll, except for, of course, Keith Oberman, that is still tweeting on his dog adoption page. Yes, you heard that correctly. This is commentator Eric Weinstein had some very interesting comments about the banning of Taylor Lorenz saying specifically, quote, you know that glee, that positively elated childlike glee that the woke experience when folks who they claim to be horrible, cruel sociopaths are canceled or banned or suspended? You've seen that? Well, oddly, I'm not having that right now. In fact, I'm getting a bit concerned, specifically posting also a photo of the Taylor Lorenz account suspension, which Elon Musk specifically responded to that this is a, quote, temporary suspension due to prior doxing actions by this account will be lifted shortly. Now, whatever you may think about these kind of temporary suspensions and this retroactive account suspension for previous behavior, it's I, I, I think it's fair to say that this is not any kind of massacre here at all. Now, all of this is also happening at the same time that we're finding out that our FBI, Federal Bureau of Investigations, a domestic intelligence agency, has been predominantly the organization responsible for using the Twitter platform as their own personal censorship board, as the feds were specifically targeting comedians and satirical accounts, which were taken down on their request. As today, the FBI is refusing to even reveal how many social media organizations it has its fingers in right now that it's secretly influencing. This is, again, a major story that predominantly came out because of Elon Musk. And overall, if I have to give my opinion on the matter, it is extremely important for the American people to find out how a lot of very disgusting, horrible behavior was pushed aside by Twitter and the FBI in order for them to go after satire commentary. Yes, when it came to jokes, when it came to accounts, trying to make people laugh, that infuriated the FBI because it wasn't along their political ideology 
as literal children were being hurt and exploited in unspeakable ways. That's what your tax dollars paid for, and that's what Elon Musk exposed. And if we're going to be making an argument about the greater good here, I would say that Elon Musk's takeover of the site has led to tremendous amount of transparency, accountability, and awareness of what's actually going on in our space being a net overall good. Now, am I cheerleading all these activities of censorships and bannings? Personally, no. I'm waiting to find out what actually happened here. A lot of people are acting like their political counterparts and celebrating right away when I, I, I think we should always approach these type of decisions, these types of things, these types of situations in, in a more skeptical way, waiting to actually see evidence, waiting to see actual actually what happened rather than of course cheering someone getting suspended or banned now elon musk has been very transparent here about all these decisions explained all of them which is a lot more than all the other big tech social media companies have ever done and at least he's committed to explaining his actions do i understand and agree with all of his actions no but of course no two human beings are the same nor think the same but at least we get an explanation to what's going on here at least we get examples of clear rules and how to move forward and it's pretty clear Twitter's going to be trying a lot of stuff. Some of the stuff that I'm not excited about, like the quasi-social credit score system that they're trying to implement here. Will this plan even go through? How will it be utilized? Well, I'm going to be covering this story like I cover any story. If I think it's for a net benefit, I'll tell you what I actually think about it. If I think it's for the negative, I'll tell you that as well. That's the promise that I have with you guys that I do my best to keep as much as I can. If you think I keep that promise to you for the past... 15 plus years of online content that I've been providing. Share this video with your friends and family members. It's more imperative than ever. And because you guys do that, because you guys go out there and buy these shirts, this is why I'm able to be here. And this is why I love you guys. Stay tuned for more here on wearechange.org. Great reporting by Luke. And you got to think about this story, this whole Twitter thing that's going on right now. We only know it because a guy went and said, I'll buy the crime scene for $44 billion. I'd like to have a meme where it's like Elon on Jeopardy and he's like, I'll take the crime scene for 44 billion, Alex. That'd be funny. So the man buys a crime scene. I think they knew maybe he planned on doing something. I don't think they understood to what extent his dreams in Wonka land are going to get now that he has his golden ticket and he's got all this access to the data of how they subverted a sitting president, how they monopolized an election uh, coverage and perspective and se selectively censored out that which would cause people not to vote uh, or, or, you know, to participate in that situation. So it's like, uh, it's interesting. It's interesting. But as we find all these things out through the various Twitter files, I think we're on Twitter file six or seven by this point, as you discover this, I want you to hold in mind. It wasn't just Twitter. It's at Facebook, it's at Apple, it's at Google, it's at all these other places. Nobody has bought those crime scenes yet. And I don't think, hopefully, somebody doesn't have to go buy all those crime scenes for this to be adjudicated and for justice to be brought about. Because what was going on in the past was wrong. Now, uh, also part of the news this week is, well, I guess we have to kind of cover that, uh, that uh, the banning of journalists this past week that was so uh egregiously hyperbolized so we'll get to that story later this week uh, later tonight geez i hope it doesn't last all week <laughs> a lot of news covered tonight no yeah doubt. There, i mean i had a stack I mean, usually i have like four or five cards that are like the hot stories i want to talk about today there's like 20 cards and it's like 
we can only cover so much. So we're we're really going to have to separate the wheat from the, the chaff throughout the evening. But before we get all into the evening's events and all the ups and downs of the news, we got something new to show you on grandtheftworld.com. Now, before we go over there, I want to show you, we use the history blueprint here in the show all the time. It's very useful. You click around, you read, you learn, you know, who was Joseph Stalin? You click on him. You read, you learn, where did he come from? Who funded him? How did he get into power? These sort of things you can learn. It's easy. It's uh, grammar, logic, and rhetoric, the individual parts, how they fit together. And what does it mean to your reality? That's the gist. Well, heretofore, you've kind of had to either uh, become a member or just watch on the show and watch passively. But now we have an active option. Active option. We have a tab on grandtheftworld.com that gives you access to the history blueprint. And if you need some tutorials and learn how to make your own models to encapsulate your own experience, uh, that's on there as well. So let's see. I can't see the screen to see what LD is showing you guys. Oh, he's got it up already. It's coming up. I got, he's got the flag the live audience. All right. So because of how we have to export samples out of the history blueprint, that one page on the site has a darker background because the exports are genericized and they have a very light background and they were hard to see on a white page. So you have a sample and then you have a sample video. You can see what it does. And there's also uh, clicking for tutorials and all the things you guys need to get started. So it's not just about taking what I've done and saying, well, Rich did it all. I have the model. That's all I need to do. It's about using that model to embolden your education, to expedite your education, and to inspire you to make models like that of your own research, uh, projects, organizational type stuff. So the software that I'm using for that model is free. You can get it at thebrain.com. It's a free download, and you can do whatever you want with it. However, what I'm selling, what I have is my history blueprint. I started designing in 2008. There's 10,000 plus subjects in there with 50,000 plus links. So each subject has an, at least five references for it. So as you go through and explore those references, you're going to find it uh, easier, a lot, a lot easier, a lot quicker than I did. Took me a long time to amalgamate and compile all that information. Now, when you're watching along with the show and you want to see it beyond what we're just showing it on screen, you can actually get your fingers in there. And if you own the model, you can amend the model. So you can add to and make it bigger and better than it even was before. Also, I think it's appropriate since we have 998 more paying subscribers in CNN Plus that we make a call and say, uh, we're probably going to get <clears throat> over a thousand members tonight. And that's very exciting. So should we put something together for the thousandth member? What do you think, LD? Can we send them some swag from the store? Absolutely. We can do that. Yeah. All right. Well, from and let's, oh, good. let's see. We're making it up on the fly here. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah. FreedomUnitedRevolt.com is, is back up online. Uh, so we can, we can send something from, from that store. All right, so I'll tell you what, the thousandth subscriber tonight, whoever uh, is subscriber number 1,000, and uh, we have access, there's a dashboard back there, we'll be able to see it. Thousandth subscriber gets uh, $100 of apparel from freedomunitedrevolt.com. What do you think? Sounds good. Good deal. Happy meal. All right, good. Now we and can let's move. not forget about the, uh, also we have a new solution for the Discord community. 
Uh, the forum will be going active next week for GTW subscribers. So for anyone that's interested, um, we're updating the whole GTW look, the community itself, providing much more safety, security, and functionality. Is that a screenshot of the actual factual? It's up and out. It's up this now. Is in, this is inside of it. Yeah, this is. Yeah. Okay. So you guys are seeing like. inside the new Grand Theft World members community because we got to a thousand members. I said we would have this upgrade and here we are just about to go a thousand members and you guys can see what's on the other side. There's a whole bunch of cool people posting uh, things that are related to the show and also sharing memes, live chat, all these sort of things, feature functionality, audio, video, they can talk to each other. It's a lot more than what they started out with as Grand Theft World members. So I'm, I'm proud as you guys graduate up to the uh, thousand member level that we keep adding a whole bunch of value on the other side, because those of you who support this show, make this show happen every week and we all appreciate it uh everyone here is like here because they love the news and and bringing this kind of content to you but there's a whole bunch of fees between you and me's so thank you guys for supporting the show making us uh self-reliant in that aspect and uh being able to come here and go through the news with you every week is a privilege and we really appreciate it so thank you and it should be mentioned um just the front of the show Next Sunday, I think we're going to do this show on Monday. Is that correct? For Since next Sunday is Christmas. Correcto mundo, King yeah. Friday. Yes. So, next yeah, Saturday or next Sunday night is uh, Christmas night here in North America. So we're going to do Grand Theft World will be the a Monday night show. And then we'll be back the next week on Sunday because we don't care about New Year's. It's like, okay, yeah, it's not a big deal. Well, let's just get back to the schedule. Right. But yeah, so next week's something special. And because we're going to do it on a special night, we're going to have some special content, maybe some special guests. We'll make it worth your while for changing your schedule for one night of the year. Also Perfect. an appreciation. Yeah. All right. And with all that being said, you guys can go over to grandtheftworld.com. You click the blue button up in the top right corner. It says join community. Assess what level you would like to support, what amenities you might like to enjoy, and click yourself forward in the game. Boom. You'll also hear it at the end of every episode. But this episode, I thought would make these things known before we got seven hours into the show. <laughs> let's get over the goal line. All right. Yeah. Moving let's forward, let's go to Christy Lee and this week's media malfeasance. Let's see what stories of the clown world crazy town out there that she picked for this uh, this week's report. You know, this allegation of groomer and pedophile, it is alleging that a person is criminal somehow and engaged in criminal acts merely because of, of their identity. Um, I don't know who needs to hear this, but pedophilia is a criminal activity and grooming or manipulating children into having conversations about sexual preference is predatory. But instead of defending innocent children, Representative Katie Porter wants to come to the defense of predators, condemning Twitter for not doing enough to censor the term groomer. This is not just about what happens online. What happens online translates into real harms in people's lives. You know what did translate into real harm in people's lives? This predator from CNN, soliciting minors for sex. Former CNN producer John Griffin pleads guilty to child sex charge. Daily Caller reports 45-year-old Griffin coerced a nine-year-old girl into engaging in sexual acts with him. He convinced a woman he met online to bring her daughter to his ski home in Vermont for that purpose in 2020. But I'm sure according to Katie Porter, calling Griffin a pedo would be discriminatory. 
When Elon Musk announced efforts to remove child exploitation on Twitter, he was attacked and labeled far right. Here is what Matt Taibbi says the latest Twitter files dump reveals. Instead of chasing child sex predators or terrorists, the FBI has agents, lots of them, analyzing and mass flagging social media posts. Not as part of any criminal investigation, but as a permanent end in itself surveillance operation. Twitter file six is titled Twitter, the FBI subsidiary. The thread breaks down just how constant and pervasive the relationship between the FBI and Twitter was. The department even had a social media focused task force, and it was so petty, Reclaim the Net points out it even flagged jokes and satire to be censored. According to Taibbi, there were more than 150 emails between the FBI and former head of Twitter trust and safety, Chief Yoel Roth. A surprisingly high number of these emails were FBI requests for Twitter to take action on election misinformation, even involving joke tweets from low follower accounts. Liz Wheeler tweets, understated bombshell in Twitter files today. FBI used fake Russia collusion hoax as justification to police speech on Twitter in the name of foreign interference, even though Russia collusion was an FBI Hillary concocted load of crap. The FBI tries to CYA releasing this statement, private sector entities independently make decisions about what, if any, action they take on their platforms and for their customers after the FBI has notified them. Notified or pressured? Epic Times reports that pressure might even have been deadly. Former White House COVID advisor Dr. Scott Atlas says the censorship was criminal as it allowed lies to be imposed on the public during a pandemic that wrought untold damage worldwide. When correct science policy is blocked, people die and people died from the censorship. The feeling of being censored suddenly hit close to home to journalist hacks who had cheered it on before when Musk suspended some of them. Despite Musk explicitly saying it was for breaking the doxing rule just after his son was put in danger, misleading headlines said Musk was just banning people critical of him. And here's NBC. Twitter suspends journalists who have been covering Elon Musk and the company. This after NBC actually suspended its own reporter, Ben Collins. According to Post Millennial, the network benched Collins because his criticisms of Musk were not editorially appropriate. Crybaby Taylor Lorenz joined the chorus of those saying Musk was just banning those critical of him. Musk reiterates it was for the doxing, which is ironic seeing as Lorenz has been notorious for doxing her opponents. Twitchy reports Lorenz has now scrubbed her Twitter account after getting caught in so many lies and doxes. Lorenz doxing victim lives of TikTok tweets, what is Tay-Tay hiding? CNN is reportedly reevaluating its relationship with Twitter after the suspension of journalists. Funny, I don't remember CNN even caring when the entire New York Post was suspended after a factually correct report. Many got ratioed as they acted outraged about these suspensions after tweets celebrating others getting kicked off and saying, it's a private company, it can do what it wants. Oh, but now that the shoe is on the other foot, you're singing a different tune. None of them stood up for investigative journalists like Emerald Robinson, Tracy Beans, or Project Veritas when they were removed. None of them acknowledged the national security implications of removing a sitting president. 
After a Democratic poll, those suspended have already been allowed back on. But now they've been exposed for their blatant hypocrisy and utter lack of principles. The media elite have either ignored or tried to discredit any Twitter files exposure. Earlier this week, Washington Post labeled the journalists covering the dumps as conservatives, a qualifier they were forced to scrub, but of course didn't even issue a correction. So what's next? Elon confirms prosecute Fauci was a preview of information he'll be releasing, according to the American Tribune. And former Congressman Devin Nunes says the social media coordination between the DOJ and FBI is not limited to Twitter, according to Epic Times. But what, if anything, will be done about these revelations? Law professor Philip Hamburger took up that question in the Wall Street Journal. He says cooperation between government officials and private parties to suppress speech could be considered a criminal conspiracy to violate civil rights, citing Section 241 of Title 18 of the U.S. Code. He says because the First Amendment doesn't bar private parties from independently suppressing speech, Section 241 would apply to tech censorship only if government officers acting as part of a conspiracy have violated the Constitution. Government remains bound by the First Amendment even when it works through private cutouts. In light of prosecution concerns, we see the Dorsey deflect. Former Twitter CEO Jack Dorsey is blaming a hostile takeover in 2020 for giving up his fight against censorship, according to information liberation. Surely the propaganda puppets will gleefully play cover. So-called journalists have long disregarded the tenant to hold those in power accountable, instead acting like a PR firm for the current administration. The latest, instead of any accountability for the economic destruction we're all experiencing, the media is blaming high prices on climate change, according to Based Underground. Bringing you what's ignored, sensationalized, misleading, or just plain false, that's your media malfeasance for the week. To support my work, subscribe to my community, christyleetv.locals.com. For KLIM.news, I'm Christy Lee. All right, going back to the first story she talked about, I remember seeing the, that Katie Porter story come out during the week. I also saw some people questioning it, whether it was being taken further out of context and hyperbolized, these sort of things. So you have to keep an eye on such claims that people were making and go to the statement directly that they're talking about and listen to the person in their own world, words. The same thing for Yoel Roth. A lot of people were talking about his uh, PhD uh, thesis and these sort of things. And you should go read it. I think you should read it firsthand and not just go what journalists are saying about it, though we will have so several journalists throughout the evening talking about that story. So um, it, while we're lining up the next story, I think we should probably dig into the Thursday night massacre, get it on the record, have people understand what happened with that crystal knocked compared situation that you know I, I i got on i looked at twitter and then all of a sudden it was like it was they were comparing it to these events in world war ii that if you've ever read about like there is absolutely no comparison whatsoever and ld's got well you got my twitter is that what that's going yeah on? so i'm looking at the 16th yeah let's go back to the you know the, the first couple of tweets because you know i was trying to call attention first off there's a bunch of people upset that some journalists got banned but they weren't upset for the past six years while it was going on. So I was kind of speaking a little truth to power on those aspects. And then also this crystal knocked thing. I had, I had to push back on that because you can't, you know, when, you know, when everything's anti-Semitism or crystal knocked or Nazis or whatever, nothing 
is that anymore, right? Those are very specific terms, highly emotionally charged. And if you try to attach that to all these things, it's inappropriate to the memory of the people who died. This looks like the first one I saw. Of, um, you were responding to Matt Walsh. You said, Twitter ban conservatives at will every day for years. And the media didn't care. A handful of libs get temporarily suspended last night. And it's a leading story on every corporate media site. The only appropriate response is, to this spectacle is simply to laugh at these clowns. And you responded to the quote tweet, someone needs to tell Matt that it was crystal knocked and a purge. You got to use those exact words. Yeah. He's not getting the memo. Clearly he didn't get the memo that it was like the worst thing, you know, that, that could happen. And, you know, he, he, I think he's acting way too low key about some Twitter people being taken off for seven days, man. It's like crystal knocked. He needs to get with the program. So that's sarcasm. <laughs> yeah. Just want to flag it for you because you know. Were there any? Uh, yeah. Uh, well, there was the ones where they were using the word "crystal knocked," and I was re responding to it. But as you can see, I was quite spicy during that uh, activity session. Uh, yeah. That's the. Uh, oh, that's the only <laughs> crystal knocked one I saw. But the one with going. the Nazi thing is kind of funny. Well, I mean, bring that graphic up so people could see it. Uh, yeah. That is, uh, it's a common graph. It's a technical graph. It's kind of like the fuck around and found out graph, you know? <laughs> sure. You've seen that one. There yeah. you go. Yeah. <laughs> Those types of, yeah, that's a very useful tool. Keep it in your pocket. And now you can identify where it's coming from. There you go. Oh, man. That's fantastic. Many more useful tips over on at Tragedy and Hope on Twitter. It's my only social media outlet. I've never had a Facebook page. So there you have it. All right. So let's get to this Thursday night massacre situation. And before we do that, also, uh, I'm going to be on Courtney Turner show this week. It's a T-Lab outlet. So I'm really excited about that. That's going down Thursday. And Autonomy Season 9. Wow, we're going to be taking enrollment because we're finishing up Season 8 right now. This cast of characters that has gone through the past uh, nine weeks of the course are exemplary, superlative human beings. And I challenge you on the other end. See if you can outdo them in season nine. Check it out. Go slow. Make an informed decision. But, you know, see if it's for you. See if you can complete the obstacle course. That's the first telling, discerning detail of that situation. All right. Now, this Thursday night massacre. I mean, between the bloodbath at the Washington Post because they're laying off people because they've been printing fake news for too long and people are refusing to pay for it. And this other situation of, I think it was a total of seven journalists got banned because they were doxing Elon Musk. So let's rewind. Who is Elon Musk? He's a person who has doxed people in the past for entertainment. A, that's exhibit A. Exhibit B, he's a person who provides real-time data to the Ukrainian military through Starlink. That metadata is used to kill people. Okay, so that's where he's coming in from. But in the Twitterverse, it's presented as a little bit different. A concerned father whose son was targeted because they thought he was Elon. They thought it was Elon in the car. And there's this young 21 year old kid, Sweeney, who's like a college kid. And he made a Twitter site uh, account called Elon jet. And on Elon jet, he's showing you real time information of where Elon's jet is all this type of stuff. Now the argument is that's public information. There's no problem with that kid doing that. That's public information. And the Elon jet count should not be, deleted or censored. However, when you get into the details, 
uh, I think it's a, a PMI or a PIA, personal identification for aircraft. Elon pays extra money so that his like uh, calling card's not out there. So he pays extra money to hide those numbers from the public. So technically, what the kid is doing is solving a puzzle, presenting the solution to the public, which is kind of doxing in that situation. So the media would have you think Elon doesn't like journalists. He's against free speech. He's he's Hitler, basically, with the crystal knocked thing. That's a Hitler reference, by the way. If you're playing at home, that's crystal knocked for your bingo card. <laughs> the night of broken glass. That's what it stands for. Yeah. Yeah. Did I say the night of the long knives earlier? Because there's two different nights you gotta Yeah. Oh no, no, I think you said broken crystal glass. Crystal knocked. It makes sense. Glass. Broken glass. Crystal knocked. Night. Night glass. Yeah. Broken. Something like that. Something. So that part of history. I mean, I don't understand how all these journalists who made these references are so tone deaf to people who struggled through that. And there's still ancestors or people who lived through that probably still so the, alive today. So the idea is that it was the night that Germans um, sort of destroyed Jewish businesses and the brown shirts, and stuff I think, through, specifically yeah, so from the correct. National Socialist Party, the right. brown shirts like the Antifa of the day, only they had their own Antifa back in Nazi Germany. They were like the communist Antifa and the brown shirts were like the socialist Antifa. And they got all jackbooted on each other back in the day. Yeah. That is not what happened at Twitter on Thursday night. Correct. Yeah. No, it was a messy situation because there was a sort of Jewish war against Nazism going on, at least in regards to um, uh, the sale of goods and services uh, from Jewish owned businesses that was going on for a few years before. And it, it reached a boiling point uh, toward the late 1930s uh, ended up in a very tragic situation. Yeah, they went from an implicit uh, kind of bigotry in the situation to mm -hmm. an explicit go through yeah. and tear up the shops and break it so that people can't do business anymore. Right. That, again, is not what happened at the Thursday Night Massacre on Twitter. Right. Right. Elon banned a person doxing him and some accounts that said, even though that person's banned, here's where you can find them and the Elon Jet real-time information. And Elon came back and said, after banning these people for seven days, I mean, come on, seven days, take a break, take a vacation, crystal locked. Really? Really? Okay. He comes back and he's like, you can't uh, post real-time data information on people. Well, a lot of news out there is. And, and when you take a picture of somebody in a restaurant, that is. And there's all these other cases that are exceptions. And also, by the way, dude, you're providing Starlink to Ukraine so they can kill people with real-time metadata information. So I think that's paradoxical. Two X's. I would argue that's a little, yeah, more of a contradiction, but. Uh, but I mean, yeah. he's the richest man in the world because he takes the Pentagon tax dollars that they took from us, right? Yeah, that's right. Did Organized we all vote to be like, hey, let's give our money and make him richest man? I missed that meeting. I missed a lot of these meetings, though. Give it, he so. needs, it's the public front for DARPA projects, as Vermis is so eloquently. DARPA, DARPA, DARPA. Dated in many of his uh, productions. DARPA, DARPA, Islamic Jihad? No. Muhammad <laughs> Jihad? What was the line from Team America? Islamic you know. Jihad. Durka, Durka, Durka. Durka. Yeah, Durka, Durka. That's oh, Muhammad Jihad. Durka, Durka, Muhammad Thank Jihad. you. They used uh, Tony for that character. Mm -hmm. They caricatured off him. <clears throat> Luckily, I can pose as Mexican, Italian, Middle Eastern. You know, all I do is have to get out in the sun a little bit, tan up. My Italian background could facilitate many different ethnicities. Tony can grow on. a bird's nest like SBF too.
I don't want to be compared to SPF. I was going to say, I, uh, that Peruvian haircut, I remember the first <laughs> Your Peruvian haircut back in the day. That's true. I can. I can do the party trick later, right? Tony can walk into bit. your town and steal some Jamas and you won't even give him a second glance. The bird's and nest goes by a different name, though, but we probably can't say it. So is it is that like a they fro or a them fro? <laughs> it's a uh, anti-Semitic fro. Did you see the uh, New York Post cover this week? LD can bring it up. It was Harry Potter. It had SBF yeah, in the front. Yeah, yeah. yeah, that was a good one. Like, that, you know, Babylon B and the New York Post are the only ones brave enough with to go as me- go with memes on the cover. Right? It's true. They are. I saw it recently uh, Bic Lighters, I think it was Bic, came out with an ad campaign. They got brave as well. They have a new lighter, and it's got, like, a little extension on it. You know, so you can light candles. So they got Martha Stewart on there. There you go. Harry Plotter. They got Martha Stewart and she's lighting a candle with that lighter. And right behind her, they got Snoop Dogg. And he's like lighting a bowl with that lighter. And I was like, that's it's hilarious. It's true. That's why it's funny. Good for you. Makes you want to buy lighters. Like that's the essence. Like no one's being taken advantage of. Like that is what it is. It's just a reflection of art, actually. That's why I think that was a good campaign. I just saw it was in somebody's memes yesterday. And I was like, that's, that's quite clever. Yeah, that's it, clever. Yeah, well, well played. Yeah, yeah. Look, Bit, Bit can do many different things. It's a multifaceted tool. Well, it's a thing with no scarcity out there, right? There's just always mm. big lighters. So, how to, so the marketing problem is how do you get people's interest and attention to buy lighters for Christmas? And candles are a good excuse, but you also might have a party and be like the Snoop Dogg. So it's a win-win for people, I guess. <laughs> Maybe Bic won't want to sponsor Grand Theft World. Because they're burning the world down anyway, sponsored by Bic. We could do something <laughs> like that. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> all right, all right. Before, oh boy. Yeah, well, how do you get? I get how to get jovial because we have to cover this Thursday night massacre, and it is so so brutal, depressing, so, so brutal. It's <laughs> awful. It's like we talked about volumes of the Gulag Archipelago last week. Mm-hmm. This Thursday night massacre makes those pale. You should, you don't even just don't even look at Sultanits and just read Taylor Lorenz on the Thursday night massacre, and you're fine. I guess if you like wearing a straight jacket in a rubber room, maybe that'd be <laughs> fun. That type of fine. One like flew Renfield. over the cuckoo's nest. A lot of Renfields in that situation. <clears throat> She's Indeed. just one. Yeah. All right. So what do we got for this Thursday night massacre? I saw a video from the quartering. That's the only, only thing I could find. All right. Well, cause I think he jet. does go over uh, the Wikipedia page. <laughs> So let's learn about it together in the official way. He uses references. Let's go to Jeremy at the quartering. And uh, I think he sells coffee brand coffee. He has his own brand of coffee. So there you go, Jeremy. Coffee brand coffee, Jeremy at the quartering. Plus about what happened at the Thursday night massacre. This is a lot like the Boston massacre. So he's going to be like a history teacher in this, in this sense. And uh, let's see how he does. Oh, what a tangled web we weave. When we first practice to deceive, this is a saying that's becoming more and more relevant as the modern day journalists just keep accidentally self-reporting, telling us that they aren't interested in the truth, telling us that they are liars. They aren't interested in actually doing their job. In fact, they also seem to be telling the world that they are better than you. Now, we knew they felt this way, but a recent wave of bans on Twitter has made them reveal themselves as feeling as though they are above 
the law, that they live by their own rules. And Elon himself has been showing up in spaces and in Twitter replies, absolutely roasting these journalists. And we're going to get all that after a super quick word from this video sponsor. Huge shout out to this video sponsor, Exter. Exter offers a wireless theft. is their parliament recycled collection. My link, shop.exter.com. Picked up a few for friends and family as well. Uh, so <clears throat> last night there was a wave of bans on Twitter where journalists knowingly omitted, willingly omitted the fact, the reason why they were banned so that they could act like they were personally targeted by Elon Musk. If you've been following the Twitter hullabaloo lately, there's a lot to be said going around about tracking Elon Musk's private jet. It reached its pinnacle the other day when some lunatic uh, tossed themselves on the hood of the car with his child in it, uh, with Elon's son in it. And since that has happened, he has uh, run out of Fs to give. And it seemed like these journalists were more interested in trolling him. they, They were basically trolling him, putting his life in danger, but they didn't care about that. They knew it bothered him when they were linking to this. So they were linking to it. And that's why they got suspended. But journalists lie. And the lie that they have chosen to spread is that this information is publicly available when it is in fact not. Jack Sweeney is via Tim. Jack Jack Sweeney is the guy that runs the Elon's jet account, was not posting public information. Sweeney was posting the private information of Elon Musk, and he knew it. Elon has PIA, not what you think, but it's privacy address, I-C-A-O address. Um, Elon has PIA, which seeks to protect the privacy of entities using private aircrafts. Sweeney actually bragged that he could write software to expose Elon Musk's private info. Yeah, so the PIA, I-C-A-O, can be changed monthly if chosen to do so, but even then, it's relatively easy to identify. I'm confident I can write software to identify it, actually. So this is not publicly available content, right? Elon Musk replies, this is correct. And he says here, criticizing me all day long is totally fine. But doxing my real-time location and endangering my family is not. Uh, and so what happened is a lot of journalists were, were linking to where you could still get this information. Essentially, the journalists were like linking to like Mastodon and other platforms that you could still get this information. Even Mastodon themselves, uh, again, stupid idiots, um, you know, and I and I always support new tech. Mastodon is like a Twitter alternative. It's a little, it's a little different, a little more convoluted, but um, you know, it has. Uh, they posted a link to his jet tracker, so even Mastodon got banned. And all these journalists were saying, "Oh my God, Elon's banning all these journalists just for journalisming." Wrong. And you can see he hopped into spaces with a group of journalists and informed them. But the same doxing rules apply to them, and they are not special. Uh, yeah. Um, well, as I'm sure everyone who's been... You can see who's in here, Elon Jet. All the people that are suspended for whatever reason could still join spaces. So Elon Jet's in here. Ben Collins, who just got suspended today, uh, like from his job as a, as a reporter. Timmy Poole's in here. Looks like Hodge Twins. Doxing 
uh, would agree, you know, uh, showing real-time uh, information about somebody's location is uh, inappropriate. And I think everyone on this call would not like that to be done to them. And, and I think so. And there is not going to be any distinction in the future between journalists, so-called journalists, and, and regular people. Everyone's going to be treated the same. Oh, 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 no. That they did not like to hear, did they? You are no better than the average Joe journalist. You will follow the same rules that they follow. You're not special because you're a journalist. You're, you're just, you're, you're a Twitter, you're just your citizen. Um, so, uh, no special treatment. Um, you dox, you dox, you get suspended. End of story. Um, so, and, 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 and ban evasion, ban evasion, or like, or, or trying to be clever about it. Like, oh, I posted a link to the real-time information. It's obviously, uh, that is obviously simply trying to evade the, the, the meaning. That is, there's no different from than, paste, than actually showing real-time information. Exactly. So all these little journalists were like, Elon, why are you saying it's doxing? We're not giving out your home address. Now, I admit that the functional definition of doxing, as most of us know it, is like your home address, maybe your phone number, some personal information. This would fit under that. It's just that most of us can't relate to the personal information of private jets getting out there. And Elon has even said he doesn't care if the data is out there later in the day. So why are they so obsessed with it being real time? I think that these journalists know that it is a form of intimidation. They know that they can scare, they can make Elon Musk feel scared that some psycho is going to show up, um, and, you know, and, and with his family. Because, you know, he lands at a public airport. You know, he doesn't have a private airfield. There's relatively few exits at an airport. It's pretty easy to figure out where he is. As, he, as it stands out, whenever he leaves a hotel or whatever, there's always a crowd of people outside. People know where he is all the time. Sean, you see uh, Sean Fitzgerald, actual justice warrior. He's one of the shortest people I've ever met in real life, but he's a nice guy. Um, Permabanning and suppression, the right, while coordinating with the government, no big deal. Maybe seven-day suspension for people releasing Musk's location. Emergency! You have to kind of imagine that more high-pitched, like it's coming from something very small. But that's actual justice. Like, I can't really, I want to, like, impersonate his voice, but I don't ha it doesn't go that high. My, my voice does not go that high. But uh, great guy, though. Really nice. Very small, though. Uh, Rodrigo Flamenco, Elon did not spend a, a lot to keep his info private. And Jack Sweeney... Now, Elon did spend a lot to keep his information private. Jack Sweeney not only stalked him, but gave his methods to dox other famous people. He did this with Kim Kardashian, I think. He even bragged about it, being able to skip through all the blocks. So this is doxing by journalist. No different than what Taylor Lorenz did to libs of TikTok. I agree. And it's, it's, what's hilarious to me is all the articles... That came down and, you know, came out and said, oh, we're getting banned. We're being banned for just reporting on Elon. That's literally the narrative that they were all saying. I was just reporting on Elon and then I got banned. No, you are linking to Mastodon accounts for real-time tracker of his jet. You see this via Twitchy. Elon Musk calls down the thunder on journals, says they're not special in heated Twitter space.
If they're naughty, they get suspended. We, we, we just learned that. But so journalists tweeting Elon Musk's live location led to a stalker jumping on the hood of his son's car. The way he suspends their accounts, you'd think they'd been misgendered. <laughs> you, you'd think someone had been misgendered. I mean, you know, it was like, yeah, Taylor Lorenz even scrubbed her entire Twitter account. She's so afraid of getting banned. These people are addicted to Twitter. And, and uh, they act like they don't care. Now they can go to Mastodon and they're still going to have alt accounts on Twitter. And they're still going to be looking at Twitter every single day because that's where everyone is. You can run all these Twitter's dying or blah, 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 blah articles you want. But the fact of the matter is Twitter's never been more exciting. Taylor Lorenz scrubs her Twitter account after getting caught in so many lies. And Doxes and Lamau. By the way, shout out to Twitchy. I like them. You know, you see, Taylor Renz literally scrubbed all of her tweets. She's so afraid how many times, like, then she made her account. Tay-Tay just made her account private. She knows she's about to be fired, and I hope you have hired a lawyer to sue Jeff Bezos for doxing and slander. I don't know if she actually tweeted out his tracker. I'm willing to bet she did at some point in the past. And, you know, I think we also have massive layoffs coming from the Washington Post next week, too, or on Q1. Someone go knock on the door and see if she's okay. <laughs> nice reference. These journals have enjoyed elite status uh, for a long time. You see this too. Again, wonder what would happen if a bunch of journalists cut and paste the tweet language so uh, that apparently got Drew Harwell booted. Quote, Twitter just suspended the account of competitors account joined Mastodon because it posted a link to its own website. And this always says public legally acquired data and decided two days or whatever, whatever. Again, this is not public of, of data. And then right here, Mastodon tweets out, did you know you can follow whatever over on Mastodon? And it says it's Elon's personal information. So, yeah, like, but they wrote a million articles about, you know, oh, they banned a competitor. No, they didn't. <laughs> Keith Olbermann, you see, well, dang, many other lefty accounts, including Keith Olbermann, have been suspended. Keith Olbermann, uh, everyone's laughing about Keith Olbermann. He's just a lull cow. But I mean, I, I here's John Levine again. This is one of the tweets that I thought was like, I don't know who John Levine is. He works at the New York Post. He says reporters covering Elon Musk are being nuked. No, these are all people who are they who are all uh, linking. Many of these people are linking his the personal jet account. They weren't just people that were covering Elon. Ben Collins has been covering Elon in a negative light for years, and he's not banned. It's just for them linking to his real-time data. I think it's a totally reasonable thing to do, by the way. I hope you enjoyed this video. We'll talk to you again real soon. All right, so you, it's up to you to assess the situation. Do you think that the, the PIA number being shared is doxing? Because basically... The, the Sweeney kid had an opportunity. He's smart. He got Elon's attention. And then he should have pitched them. Hey, let me become your chief security officer. Make sure no one doxes you or can find your plane ever. That would have been a good pitch. Elon might have entertained him, taken him under his wing. He could have been mentored by the richest guy in the world. But instead, he's like, I'm going to be a dick because I'm entertaining my uh, beer pong buddies over here. And I'm going to look cool. Okay, dude. Well, you played your cards. And now everyone knows who you are for not such a good reason, not a helpful reason. 
and not a reason that you're going to continue going in the future. I mean, that's what hackers do. Hackers hack. And then they come and say, look, I could work for you and make sure you don't get hacked. That's how the government hires hackers all the time. That's where Julian Assange started. He was a hacker. White hat, black hack. I don't know what kind of hacker he was, but, uh, you know, these sort of things go on. Well, it's interesting. Sweeney could have done likewise is a point. Yeah, I mean, Sweeney, what do you do? Ask for $50,000 or a Tesla? I mean, you got to think a little bit more long term, a little bit bigger there, buddy. Did he ask for something? I didn't even know he asked for anything. Well, that's what it, I think that's what the, Christy Lee, when she was playing a montage of various clips, one of them had Sweeney on there on CNN or one of the one of the mainstream media outlets just stating that, um, you know, what would it take for an apology from Elon Musk or something? He's like, well, still, my demands are the same, $50,000 or oh, he's got Tesla demands. Roadster. Yeah. Well, you can't meet demands because you can't you can't deal with terrorists. It's not very wise However, on his part. He's intelligent but not wise. There is no no in business. You can make him a pitch. You could, you know, and then if that's not a demand though, right? An offer that he can accept or negotiate or say maybe later to is not the same as uh, give me a Tesla or I'll keep doxing your family because a, a, a private jet. Surprise, surprise! It's a mobile home. You know, it's a it's a situation where your family's in it, traveling in it, their stuffs in it. And those airports, the secu- they have low security because the people flying on those jets don't want you to see what they're doing while they're flying on those jets. So there's not a whole bunch of checkpoints and stuff to get, you know, so I think he's right to point out maybe that's not a good thing. Maybe, Sweeney, you're not living up to your potential. Is this really the highest and best Plus, use of your brain power? He could have maybe, Elon? as you pointed out, he could have made a pitch to him and made plenty of yeah. money to buy multiple Tesla roads. So he just didn't think... They yeah. even think big. He's thinking know? real small, dude. So my point exactly. was, he's a smart kid, but he's not going to get any smarter because he just passed his golden opportunity. He just ripped up his Wonka ticket and <laughs> everybody else, you know, he's going to get hired by Taylor Lorenz and go crash on that ship. Sinking ship. He chewed the bu- bubble gum that was still in the test phase, you know, and blew up into a big Oompa Loompa style. He's thing, such yeah. a v- Veruca Salt it's a, situation. Song was in Beauregard. I forget the name of the I can't remember all of them, yeah. but I remember Veruca Salt was also a band in the 90s. So that's how I can remember that. <laughs> there you go. Of course. Yeah, there yeah. we go. Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting phenomenon. It's difficult to, it's a lot of contradictions here. I wouldn't say paradox. It's a lot of contradictions. To your point. You have to say paradoxical and people at home drink every time we say it. Little eggnog. <laughs> they're doing little eggnog shots with their moose cups at home from Molly World. <laughs> And you get extra points if you wear a dicky. If you wear a dicky like Randy Quaid under the white sweater, the black dicky, that was classic. Real real nice, Clark. It certainly was. Nice. It's a you know, there'll be plenty of paradoxes tonight, but this seems to be contradictory. I mean, it's a difficult situation because I completely understand Elon pays for a certain service that's provided by a private corporation. That private corporation, due to the fact that there's Systems aren't foolproof enough, aren't sophisticated enough to be able to handle that. We're able to become compromised by what's his name, Jack Sweeney or Sweeney, whatever his first name is, Um, some college kid or young kid that is, you know, great at uh, being able to hack and develop computer programs in order to be able to, uh, you know, decipher this. Solve those puzzles. Good for you. You should be getting paid to solve those puzzles. Exactly. Threatening, not threatening people with the puzzle solving. That's more like a crypto killer type thing. So you might but, see in like the movie seven, you know? So I guess the situation don't be is, the spacey spacey is what I'm saying. It's, it's such a, 
it's such a messy situation because it's a private company. Elon Musk has every right to do what he did, but at the same time, upholding the rights of free speech. Is it private? Is it public? Is it, if it considered to be a public platform in the sense that it's a new town square, then it would fall under to some degree the purview of the First Amendment. And that become that's where it becomes very messy in regards to whether or not it's fundamentally justified. Although from Elon's perspective, if I were Elon, I certainly completely understand where he's coming from. I'm just trying to understand from the standpoint of law and the First Amendment, how that all works. Now, it's still a private company that has not been ruled to be, they consider it to be a town square, sort of public square, if you will. But it's but also it's, a crime scene. I know. It's it's one of the messiest sort of situations. You know, it's just contradictions on top of contradictions on how to analyze all of this. Um, it's a more important took, crime scene than JFK's crime scene because it took us like 60 years to get to the bottom of JFK's crime scene. But this Twitter files, we can get to the bottom of it now and not 60 years later. I'm just saying. Well, the ones that happened 60 years ago, though, was much more, I don't know. <clears throat> it was orchestrated in a much more... Um, uh, sophisticated manner. Whereas it was the an one, explosive act like, that they let out over 60 years very slowly. Mm-hmm. And by the time this one was messy. says it, it's a nothing burger. Exactly. Well, this one was just messy. Like everyone knew about the Biden laptop and then the Twitter yeah. banning and the, the shadow FBI banning. Like, had it, it for a year. Dead. How'd they let go of it? What, what, how did that get, walk out of the FBI? It has legs now. What happened there? What happened? We don't know. How'd it get to Giuliani? Yeah, Giuliani is holding it up with Stephen Cry. Is that the actual this is the actual laptop, Stephen? Right. Yeah. It's like uh and the FBI left it. They took everything else. They went through his like pots and pans and pantry, but they left Hunter Biden's laptop. They it was like their kryptonite. Just like they left the um the FBI also left the tapes and, and Epstein's property as well. We just reviewed that in chapter two during Maddie's book club this Friday. But they left the the, the uh security camera footage. Because apparently it wasn't within the purview. Isn't it of ironic? The, Don't you think of the search warrant? Right. Well, this is a little ironic. And then when they went back to obtain them, you know, they weren't there. Of course, the FBI said they got them later somehow. But mm, okay, sure. Who knows? Very, very interesting. So it's a lot of it's a big it's a big fucking mess. That's that's what all this is. Um, Elon again certainly has every right not be just as frustrated and infuriated as Elon, but at the same time. You know, if it's going to be a town square, a public square, I don't, you know, does that fall under the more extreme abuses of the First Amendment that have been ruled on by the Supreme Court? Again, there's a lot of questions I have and a lot of very consistent answers. I see a lot of contradictions. Both yeah, ways. they have to define doxing first and stuff exactly. like that. They, they'd have to define their terms to actually talk about something and not nothing. And is the person, does it get in a situation where like a Alex Jones situation where it's sort of just commenting on the news and making it more known, then that gets you in trouble. If someone retweets what Jack Sweeney figured out, is that the same crime as then potentially what Jack Sweeney or is the same Jack or Sweeney, whatever the kid's name was committed? I mean, it's just, there's a lot of, it's a really messy quagmire um, filled with uh, a lot of twists and turns and like a labyrinth. It's, it's like really a riddle wrapped inside an enigma envelope of a question. Is there a minotaur with like, or like maybe um, a satyr or something that's half musk, half animal, well, half he's, like? He's got the Midas touch, Tony. We don't know. We'll have to. We'll have to see what happens. Tune in next week in the Twitter files. Turning the labyrinth to gold, huh? Yeah. Uh, LD, did you uh, did you find a reference? Because I'm still I, I want to go to the Wikipedia page for this Thursday night massacre. I'm looking to understand how it's crystal knocked because I just assume that they're right, and maybe I'm not smart enough, and I just need to read more and I'll understand this. I'm sure, that one doesn't have any sort of 
um, issues in regards to authenticity. You know how Wikipedia has those authenticity codes. It's like, oh, it's not well source. It's not this, that, or the other thing. I wonder. If I'm just trying to get like- to the paragraph where Elon sent people with burning torches through the neighborhood with pitchforks and encouraged them and incited them and like you know did whatever was so bad. No, it's like the summer of 2020. Yeah. So if you search, um, <laughs> just saying. Uh, if you search Thursday Night Massacre. I'm using pre-search. It kind of scans a bunch of different search engines. You get uh, this That's top Colin Pape's joint over there, pre-search. That's right. That's fancy. That's really, if yeah. you respect yourself when you're searching, you're using like a, a pre-search. Oh, yeah, and thing. go search New World Order under pre-search and see what the top hit is. It's a yeah. little uh, December. So you search Thursday Night Massacre, you get December 15th, 2022, Twitter suspensions. Click on that. It brings up. Bloody Thursday. Thursday. Which bloody there's a whole Thursday. list Bono of Bloody Thursdays. <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, here's a Thursday Night Massacre. And apparently okay, it does, it's yeah. being considered for deletion in accordance Fair with enough. Wikipedia's deletion policy. Fair enough. Uh, you know, I was questioning. I was wondering if they'd have that sort of uh, qualifying descriptor there. And they certainly did. Kudos to Wiki. Here's is the, there an area where it gets crystal knocky or look, there's the list. There's the list. There's I wonder the, what the source is three, four, list. five, and six, if they're all the same source. <laughs> the list of people who got seven day bans versus the list of people who've been banned for the past seven years. That's interesting. Right? They make a big deal of this <laughs> list, but not the other list. It's a so articles. Article. NBC okay, yeah. news deadline. Hmm. They're not biased at all. No. Good. <laughs> Let's see where is it? I want to like they, oh. By calling it Kristallnacht, they're calling Elon a Nazi, right? Because that's who was running Kristallnacht. I mean, he's helping the Nazis in the Ukraine, isn't he? Face <laughs> off battalion? Oh, wait, was uh, that to say too much? They don't have a blood soil ritual that you can watch right now of them mm-hmm. doing like these SS officer type of rituals. No, not at all. Not at all. It was like in an Indiana Jones where like uh, there used to be this thing going on, but now they're reviving it down in the uh, the cave systems. Well, the United the Nations spokeswoman, Melissa Fleming, said she was deeply disturbed by the suspension. in the reign of Clive. Yeah, they're coming out with another one of those. It's supposed to be very woke, a woke Indiana Jones. Dr. Jones, you're out. a grave robber, too. Let's talk business. They brought in a time machine. and For Harrison Ford? Well, he's 80 years old, save, man. Well, they can't use him anymore, so some woke woman has to save the day. Something like that. Good. Sally May, I think they call Good. Her. Luck at the box office with that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Critical Drinker did a fantastic uh, sort of synopsis of the absurdity. It's when writers get, when they run out of ideas, they throw in time travel. And oh, well, there you go. It's a useful mechanism by which to create very poor movies and wokeify things. Dude, you need like, to go watch Tenet again. That's all. All right. So, uh, LD, let's go back to that wiki page. All righty. It takes 15 times watching Tenet to get it. Whereas Primer, you like have to Primer? watch it four times. Yeah, four times mm-hmm. for Primer, but Tenet's like a 15 time. It's a mm-hmm. Christopher Nolan gig over oh, there okay. Primer at the uh, Tenet. So what it's is also you a palindrome, look? I think. Because you go backwards and forwards, red team, blue team. Sure. It's just a t- it's a temporal uh, temporal pincer movement for two and a half hours. That's all. So what all right, are we looking so- for again? Well, how did it get all, where in here does it get compared to Third Reich and the Nazis? Or did the journalists just make that up and it has nothing to do with the story and they're overreacting and hyperbolizing their plight? Well, 
That's good. Question. For them to call the actions that happened to them Kristallnacht, I think that's anti-Semitic. Hmm. Has anyone written articles on that yet? Yeah, I was wondering if the ADL had any issue with this. Right. Yet. Um I I don't see anything overtly that's that's alluding to that. Uh I, I did see that the um the spokeswoman the, for the United Nations is is very upset. She yeah, said Elon nothing make them wear yellow stars or anything? Let me see if I can find it. Because there's nothing in it about Crystal Knocked. But let me well, see. it was all in the Twitter feed. Oh, so there's there reactions proto- to what he did. So I was just looking at the source material to see if there was anything there for them to justify that reaction that I was missing. But apparently I was reading it correctly. And that happens just for so Crystal Knocked happened what? So 9th and 10th, November 1938. The Night of Broken Glass, also called the November Pogroms, was a pogrom against Jews carried out by the Nazis. Yeah, we already went into that. The November and there was a program. lot more than seven people involved, and a lot they all suffered something worse than a seven-day ban from Twitter, which only was like a 72-hour ban. I think they all got reinstated, I thought. Because he did a vote, and it was like democracy in action. Yeah, I'm looking for just like Thursday Night Massacre plus Crystal Knocked. I'm not getting any hits for it. So it must have just been a Twitter thing where their Twitter people were comparing it to. Yeah, so we'd have yeah. to, it would be in my Twitter feed from that day then that I was responding to the people who were being so ludicrous and disingenuous in these well, situations. I'll, you know, the one thing about modern culture, especially with millennials, is that, you know, they don't really read much. And history has been not only so whitewashed, but. You know, it's so racist that how can you go back and review history without scrubbing it or providing the proper narrative around it? So, well, you in other words, they FBI don't understand history. Like, yeah. <laughs> like James Baker to like make sure the history is just right. It's very no, you know nice, what's interesting? Clark. Remember we were talking about James Baker and James Baker last week? So yeah. both of them are James A. Baker. James mm-hmm. Addison Baker the third was the... Uh, Secretary of State. And the other James A. Baker, I think Anderson or something. That's the... FBI dude at Twitter that was fire fire. They're not related. Not only that, uh, during the book club, so James A. Baker, Addison Baker, the third was mentioned in the second chapter of Whitney Webb's book in volume two, One Nation to Blackmail. Um, yeah. but he's James, with the group that did the thing with the Kennedy. That's oh, why. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. But James A. Baker, you can't find anything, not a mm. birth date, or not mm. like where he was born, who he's married to. All these different things, like it's, and that's interesting in and of itself. So how, you know, how much of part of the deep state is he, and how much of his information has been scrubbed before he even got the position at Twitter? That's a very interesting phenomenon. We couldn't find anything. He could be a sheep dipped CIA put inside FBI, so that if he gets caught, that's what I was thinking. They take the heat. That would be very British in that situation. That's how they would run that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Mm. Very. Very true. Mm. All right. Well. We can move beyond the Thursday night massacre because it seems like much ado about something that's already uh, a moot point because now we're going to have Twitter file seven. It's going to be like the Fauci drop that's supposed to come up the next week. Although with the holiday, who knows? Maybe they do it like the Federal Reserve and they drop all this information and then you have a happy new year. You forget all about it and they bring out new lockdowns, new masks and all the other fun things that come with COVID 2023. Remember they had that movie a couple years ago and they were advertising like COVID 2023. It was in that movie that came out during COVID. And they're like, hey, it's still going on in the future and there's a new version. Hey, just like it's it. Revealing a method. What do you got there, LD? Yeah, just to, to tie up this this and um I think I think this is the, the tweet 
somebody re, uh, quote tweeted Ben Collins, this account duty to warn. This is a, uh, <laughs> was posted by libs of TikTok, but this, this is the tweet. I think I'm guessing that, that, uh, <clears throat> Elon likes, so it says last night in a bloodbath, Twitter purged in mass mainstream journalists who cover Elon Musk. I'm reminded of crystal knocked <laughs> free speech with the second big lie. This is what bare knuckled fascism looks like. My oh, goodness. Man. That fascist label. Is Comparing what happened to those people to crystal knocked is bare knuckled fascism. I agree. I'll admit that's not what they're saying. Oh, my bad. I wonder if they understand that fascism also applies to the left as much as to the right. What do you call Apple and Facebook and Twitter and all these places censoring Alex Jones? Years and working ago. with the government. And on the same with the fucking government. day. That's on the same day. Yeah, yeah. Come on. Come on. Speaking of which, Alex Jones might get vindicated. That's he might right, not, yeah. He might not owe billions or trillions of dollars because there's some guy at the Associated Press who I guess didn't know any better. He's like that reporter that came out with the Paul Pelosi story. Oh yeah, Paul had shoes on. He was he was dressed and they were hanging out and in a sex slave. Door, right. Mm-hmm. And then that guy yeah. is like, You haven't seen that guy since they deep sticks him like he's joining us on. So like, get him out of here. He's shut him up. That story right? gets weirder and weirder. Man. I know that story does get weirder. We might cover the hammer later. <laughs> well, what was hitting? But we there was also is it like, that is video. It like the Gimp in Pulp Fiction. I mean, is he just like tied no, no, up no, no, in the no, basement no, no, or no. something? No, you're going back to the Yay interview now. You're getting these stories all mixed oh, up. This is man. like who's See, on first, Grand Theft World version. LD, That's how you know that, we live in a simulation. We do have secret uh, footage. We got Sam Brinton, the luggage thief, not just oh, once, right. but twice. And they, they did a sting operation to be able to catch him. And LD uh, showed me right in, right in pre-production. He's like, look, we got this security footage from the airport. You can clearly <laughs> see how they caught him. And That's right. Yeah, we have, uh, we, have, we have it right here. Here we go. Yep. <laughs> Listeners only, this is a, a rubber phallus stuck to a luggage conveyor belt with a amused crowd standing around. So, we painted a painted a picture for you. Seriously, though, the guy that was in charge of nuclear waste, he went, he he, he got, you know. So there was a great meme going. by Ben Garrison. You have He's that in not the, running in the, and jumping on it right now. <laughs> well, allegedly, yeah, we see him later, but uh, I think you know, it's, it's cut from yeah. That. yeah, allegedly. There was also the Ben Garrison uh, cartoon, and it's got Sam Brinton, and he's got like his two suitcases. And then they had SBF, and he's got like a big suitcase of money, oh, 20 yeah. billion. And then they had Biden with the podium and like the bank, and he's like, you guys are amateurs. It was a great uh, political cartoon. There it is. Find that. Oh, yeah. no, he's got it because I dropped it. Yeah, earlier this week in the chat. There you go. Amateurs. If you're gonna steal something, make it big. You're both amateurs. <laughs> it's a confederacy of thieves. Yeah, it's funny, and the Twitter files make it true. So, there you have it with that Twitter philia story. Hmm. We'll cover the rest of that Twitter philia there's story a lot of later. Philia, yeah, going on. Yeah, there's some philias. We got. Uh, I'll just give you a preview for what happens later when people. And it's not Fidelio. That's from Eyes Wide Shut. Well, we got this clip coming up later. Uh, Ms. Nomani was an InfoWars clip, and it was all about racism and critical race theory. That's pretty mm-hmm. soft. And then we got this Burmese clip talking about Elon Musk. Uh, not Elon Musk. Elton John. 
the man who left Twitter because of the rocket man, uh, Russell Brand called him a pedo on stage years ago. And that footage surfaced and it showed up in that Burmese video. Cause I guess Elton John had some skeletons in his closet and there was a court case and some interesting stuff going on. And then I started looking up this, uh, well, there's these trends with Yoel Roth and the whole, uh, Elton John type situation. So I looked up and like, you know, Cecil Rhodes, I understand was a, a gay adult individual, but I had also the question of the penchant for children, the the Lavat Scouts, the taking of boys to the woods to train them and military exercises and all that goes with that. Well, according to the Washington Post, Cecil Rhodes was a pederast, which puts a whole new light on all those Boy Scout sex scandals that people finally found out about decades and decades and decades and decades after they had them. Jay Leno on Joe Rogan makes a joke about it about how he, when he was in the Boy Scouts, they knew that the camp guys were banging some of the kids, but since they weren't being banged, they let it go, right? Tells you about well, about uh, Jay Leno. There was also this FBI file, uh, file this week on Lord Mountbottom. Uh, there was the dog-faced soldiers. We're going to cover all these stories. There was the Buck Plug Dean, because we didn't cover it last week. we got to say something about it later t- tonight. There's uh, interesting guests to the White House. There's an interesting uh, show tune Disney thing going on right now, and uh, other stories. So let's keep wading through. We made it through Thursday, Thursday night massacre. Thank goodness. We survived. What was that? I want to get the t-shirt. Like I survived the Thursday. Yes. I survived it too. Um, Let's find this clip of Alex Jones being vindicated by the associated press. The person who said the quiet part out loud. I mean, what he's saying is pretty obvious, and everybody who was reporting on it should have been also observing that obviousness, but they were running with this narrative of how it's going to put Alex Jones out of business, InfoWars is never to be seen again, he, you know, all this stuff. Like, they're going to have total total destruction 2. on the man. 2.575 trillion, something like that, potential judgment. Yeah, it's it's become such a clown. And clown so when he set it up, and he's like, the AP has vindicated me, and... I was like, I don't know about that. Let's. I want to see the proof. But I, I love wanna, the way I, they did the editing of this video, though. Yeah, yeah. It, it was pretty funny. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm looking for this. Is it uh, on the show card? Chat. I think <clears throat> I missed it on the show card. I apologize. That's, um, that's my adult. Okay. He uh, he dropped it right. Yeah, it's on. It's on the band video archive over They're there. They're saying yeah. he has a chance vindicated. I got gotcha. you. Yeah, because yeah, there was two. There was a couple of vindicated items, stories yeah. this week, so I know it gets lost in the shuffle such things going on there we go there we go paste it in click it up what was this story about some dude with a fake breastfeeding like what the i'm looking through a production i'll do that dude yeah there's what the hell and the other guy the woodshop teacher with the big bazungas oh yeah yeah. like you're not allowed to take pictures and stuff there's this whole scene going on up there and then there was this other type of uh story time thing where a guy had his tits in a box and then he's just showing them around a lot of stuff this week i never thought i would see i had to see it because it's part of the job simulation holy shit don't even they've gone plaid that's, that, uh, the, that's all I can say. Never thought I'd hear you say there's a guy's tits in a box, but uh, I mean, it used to be a dick in a box, wasn't it? But now it's tits in a box, something like that. Woke if I remembers that SNL. But, oh, yeah, there all are right. so many ways to go with that. You know, Let's go with there. this clip. <laughs> Alex Jones vindicated, maybe. Oh, InfoWars is almost shut down. Good MSM. Good Democrat lawyers. 
Do not go to InfoWarsStore.com to keep band our video on the air. No. We're not going to be here if we don't get financial support. I'm not bitching. I'm not complaining. But there's not a place you can spend money better to get great products at the same time that will keep truth and hope alive and where this broadcast isn't just reaching the general public, it's reaching the intelligentsia of the planet and it's recognized. You've vindicated and you've made the right call all the way. You are the new news media. I have hedge fund managers tell me they watch uh, War Room and, and, and Infowars because the other channels, there's no signal there, it's just noise. I want you all to know something, Alex Jones was right. This is an information war. And that's because of your support. That's not to my credit, that's to you. So recognize your investment and what you've done and double down on it. But as AP reports, we have a patent stay on air if we just get the funds in to do the appeals and to continue these bankruptcies. There are some significant issues on appeal. This is a very unusual trial. Um, the court basically uh, put him in default and they went straight to damages. And that's very unusual. And that's a very draconian ruling by a court. Now, a civil trial such as this generally has two issues, liability and damages. In this case, however, you are only considering the issue of damages. Why is that? Because the court has made that determinations, determination for reasons that you need not concern yourself with and that you should not speculate about. Therefore, liability is established and you are not to consider liability. And the judge today said that she will hold me in criminal contempt if I say I'm innocent, if I say I'm bankrupt, if I say I wasn't the first person to question Sandy Hook and over 10 other things. No judge in U.S. history has ever told somebody what they can and can't say. And a court of appeal is going to really scrutinize that. Um, a judge is required to, if, if a litigant is not participating in discovery or is violating, you know, the litigation standards, uh, you know, the judge, there's a number of things that a judge can do before actually putting him in default. You'll see the AP says Alex Jones has a lot of options and Alex Jones was railroaded and Alex Jones wasn't given a fair trial. What do you think that is? The damages award needs to be supported by the evidence. So the appellate side is very rich here. And I'm in personal bankruptcy. All my cards are on the table. All my chips are in. They're, when we file this stuff on Friday, they're going to be, the enemy is going to be so blown away because they're just going to see I've been truthful about the whole time. I wish I had $10 million. I wish I had a million dollars. I don't. I'm out of money. So it's very, it's very possible that both the compensatory damages award and even the punitive damages award, depending on what it's based, could be discharged. And if that's the case, this judgment's wiped out. And I'm here to make sure everybody has that choice because God works through men and women. And I know God's been working through me for 30 years, 28 years on air. So no one who wants prosperity and security and basic life on this planet should serve the new world order. It's very, very simple. Take him out and make sure he can't do it again. And you called this judge a tyrant, correct? Yes. Okay. And you actually use that word a lot with your audience. You call people tyrants, don't you? Only when they act like it. Oh, 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 oh. Merry Christmas.
hard to believe. It's only when they act like it. So they're saying there's a chance. Oh, we can hope there's a chance for free speech. But we're not going to have much of a chance for free speech if we keep having the youngest among us indoctrinated away from who they are. Because here's here's the history. Once upon a time, uh, things weren't like this, but they weren't perfect. It's like gotten a lot. There used to be a spectrum between tyranny and freedom, you know, between freedom and despotism. And there was a spectrum. And back in the day, in the 30s, 40s, 50s, when they showed us this film, uh, it's a historical film that uh, I've used many times in productions. And it gives you like this bookend. And it's like way back then, we were way far away from Nazism, fascism, despotism. But as you start to censor and do these things, you get closer and closer to that. Well, I think that they're not only doing that to the adults in, in through mainstream media, but they're doing that through the public schools, through indoctrinating the next generations in a very different reality than that which exists that we are all living in and communicating about usefully to each other. They want to break those systems. Now, and that's that system of removing education from children's lives and replacing it with an indoctrination, they took away the rites of passage that demarked from a young person into an adult. They created this phrase called teenager, meaning that, oh, we have no expectations of you until you become an adult. So you're just a teenager. You don't need to worry about it. Whereas adulting used to be something people did by the time they're 18, you move out, you start working for yourself and, and, and supporting yourself and going through life. That was a thing. But now they want extended adolescence. They want you to be 30, 40, 50, 60 before you figure out you're being gamed. They don't want you to have this useful information. And part of the way that they obscure all this stuff is they get you focused over here on critical race theory. Now you can go back to Frankfurt School and critical theory and Herbert Marcuse and all the ideas yeah, and the yeah. ideal, idealistic evolution of such uh, connotations and, and things that are now in law in our society and being taught in law school and being reinforced in the, the public schools and all this sort of thing. And the reason this comes up is because I saw a woman speaking to a large group of people and she's an immigrant and I was listening to what she was saying. And I was like, oh, I see why she can say this. I was like, well played, well played. And I thought this is a really useful clip. Everybody should hear this. So we're going to go to Ms. Nowani. And she's uh, addressing a group of people. And she's got some some handouts, some pictures, some props, some books. She's going to talk about things uh, regarding the so-called education of our young people. But I would argue that you're going to see it's a form of indoctrination to lead them away from freedom and into a world of despotism forever. There is no doubt that the hierarchy of human value that was about white supremacy is illegitimate. Every single person is opposed to the idea of white supremacy. But we cannot replace an old hierarchy of human value with a new hierarchy of human value that demonizes children with this book, Whiteness is a Bad Deal. Signing a contract with the devil. What is the message in this? The message is the shaming of human beings. No child should be shamed. And why is this a threat to our democracy? Because we then have posters like this one in the Los Angeles School District. What does it say? F America with KKK replacing the C. Because the idea is that our nation has become a white supremacist nation. And that is not true. That is not the reality. And we can see exhibited here today this poster also, F the police. 
This is an ideology that I call the woke army. It is an ideology of activists who are going through America's school districts and our communities, and what they are doing is a threat to democracy. This is an anti-woke immigrant mother, Ashira Noani, calls out lepers to their faces at House Oversight Committee. Let's play that. Here it is. So my name is Astra Namani. I came to the United States at the age of four. I was an immigrant to the great state of New Jersey, and I grew up in Morgantown, West Virginia, a mostly white state. I was affirmed, I was supported, and I was able to grow up a girl who knew not a word of English when I arrived to become a reporter for the Wall Street Journal. I am sitting here before you today apparently the face of white supremacy. I am wearing a shirt that my father made. My father survived literally white supremacy in India. My father is five foot three because when he was a boy, the white supremacists that were the British rule in India literally funneled food away from the people of India and my father starved. And so he grew up to be a young man who came to the United States of America because he believed in the values and principles of this great nation. My father made this shirt for me inspired by the gown that Representative Ocasio-Cortez wore to the Met Gala. And it says on here the names that we the parents in the United States of America have been called, including in the video that you featured Chairman Raskin. Things like domestic terrorists, white supremacists, QAnon moms. What is it that we, the parents, have dared to stand up against in the United States of America over the last couple years? It is a divisive ideology expressed through this book called Critical Race Theory. It is a book that is taught in law schools, but it is translated into our school systems with books like this, Not My Idea a book about whiteness. The trickle-down effect of the demonization of any human being because of their race is books like this. Where does this book take us as an idea? It takes us to this very simple idea. An idea that is a new hierarchy of human value. There is no doubt that the hierarchy of human value that was about white supremacy is illegitimate. Every single person is opposed to the idea of white supremacy. But we cannot replace an old hierarchy of human value with a new hierarchy of human value that demonizes children with this book, Whiteness is a Bad Deal, Signing a Contract with the Devil. What is the message in this? The message is the shaming of human beings. No child should be shamed. And why is this a threat to our democracy? Because we then have posters like this one in the Los Angeles School District. What does it say? F America with KKK replacing the C. Because the idea is that our nation has become a white supremacist nation. And that is not true. That is not the reality. And we can see exhibited here today this poster also, F the police. 
This is an ideology that I call the woke army. It is an ideology of activists who are going through America's school districts and our communities, and what they are doing is a threat to democracy. What is the greatest threat that our children face today? It is the learning loss that has happened in our school districts. The Department of Justice declares clearly the characteristics that lead any human being to extremism include having less education. Chairman Raskin, I don't know if you know it, but the reading level in your school district, in Montgomery County Schools, is at 32% of kids that are reading at, at grade level. Math is at 30%. Congressman, Congresswoman Talib is here. In Detroit, it's 18% and then 12% for math. It is a failure. This is a system failure. White supremacy must be defeated, as must all extremism. This is our mandate as adults for our children. Our children are in a crisis today, and the idea that we, the parents, are now the agents of white supremacy is unacceptable. All of these books that I have here today are the indoctrination that are being put into the minds of our children instead of the fundamentals that are critical to make them educated, enlightened citizens that protect our democracy. That is our greatest right. mandate. And it goes on. The full video I am is on Infowars.com. But, but the point is, she's acting like they don't know because she's not evil. And she has all the other books pushing pedophilia and transgenderism and sterilization. She goes over that. She goes, don't you know this is happening? Of course they know. They're the ones that brought in all the new curriculum to dumb everybody down as part of their plan. And we're exposing that plan here today. These aren't liberals. This is a transhumanist death cult. Hour number two straight ahead. Your phone calls. I'm going to get to the really hardcore clips where they're promoting pedophilia in Congress and more. And we're going to go to your phone calls. Hour number two starts right now. To everybody you know, whether it's a local radio station or listening on the internet, you are the real power of this broadcast. Share the links now, infowars.com forward slash show, and please shop at infowarsstore.com. You know, it's interesting, the history of critical theory. Um, it's one of those situations, I mean, this is what, you know, Peterson talked about when he first came out and so many others sort of followed suit in regards to looking back into the history of where these ideas came from. And when we talk about critical theory, we talk about postmodernism. Critical theory, I believe, is even older than postmodernism. It goes back to the 20s and 30s and then was sort of popularized, excuse me, under the guise of postmodernism in the 50s and 60s, more uh, specific in the 60s. Um, and, you know, what's interesting about it, it's really about the inversion of reality. That's, that's, you know, we go back to the definition of satanic or Satanism, as Crowder um, defined it a couple of weeks ago, we're really just talking about the inversion of reality. You know, Satan, in order to divide and conquer uh, individuals um, by telling lies, gaslighting individuals, by essentially contradicting the truth, contradicting the truth about nature, about reality, about the boundary conditions that exist, about, the, you know, the law of identity, these sorts of very fundamental ideas that people just know and don't even need the philosophic basis for if they're being honest with themselves about the world they experience. Um, but instead, what we're getting is propaganda in order to subvert the consciousness of our the youngest among us, the ones that we should be instilling the values and principles of education, of liberty, of you know their own, own autonomy and agency. And it's a, it's an absolute tragedy. And critical theory extends it's that's the overarching branch, if you will. It extends to critical legal theory, critical gender theory, 
critical race theory. It you know just branches out into all these sort of subsections of human inquiry and in regards to what makes up our reality in order to invert all of those ideas in order to you know say everything is racist to go back and and try to say that uh, you know the history itself is racist and needs to be re you know a new narrative needs to be given about history as though history is a narrative rather than a series of facts. But what if the racists maintain control by getting people to like over apply? this idea and it gives them cloaking power that's that's what's been every going so on. often exactly. right. every so often they just rewrite the history so that you don't see what's been happening over and over and over again but well, that's so why you watch grand theft world so you can see these things so let's get in our time machine tony and i are going to travel back in time i'm going to press this button right here bada bing bada boom here we are back in 1770 it's a little event in time called the bengal famine now, there's 10 million people who starved to death. It was like the holodomor of their day. It was a result of free trade. And by free trade, I mean the British East India Company running their opium and heroin empire and subjugating a, a large part of the earth, especially if they weren't white and English speaking. This is where institutionalized racism uh, is, is coming from. There's a history here. Now, I jokingly was talking about Robert Clive and Temple of Doom was... and Indiana Jones, but like really... He does play a role in this history and uh, of this time uh, of right after this famine. So, <clears throat> and the difference back then is that that was an absolutist thinking. You know, scientism was emerging, and especially it, be, it gained its sort of footing in the the mid to late nineteenth century. With that being an absolutist idea rather than a relative idea. So, absolutism, relativity are two sides of the same coin. Back then, they're saying it's sort of the progress of the favored races, those adorned by God with intelligence and and whiteness or whatever to be able to rule the world. And they used the guys, they inverted the idea or they, you know, had a propagandist, Adam Smith, come out and say, look, that's free trade. But in fact, it was hegemony. Um, the British forcing the trade with China for opium and tea. Yeah. So taking the food, wanted, making sure that people there starved, starved so that yeah, they could, or became addicted or both. Right. And from that, the East India company graduated and retired and they left it to the British Raj and the British Raj continued all the way up through uh, the, the 20th century. And then during World War II, you get something very similar. Now, this is probably what Ms. Dawani is talking about her, her father having lived through, or maybe her grandfather having lived through the Bengal famine of 1943. So there's two British oriented Bengal famines. They did it again under Churchill. 1.5 million people dead. And that's in the middle of World War II when they did it. Right. And I mean, so here's a timeline of major famines of India during British rule. Oh, my goodness. Do you yeah. guys see a pattern here? You ever think about your food supply and storable food? We're not selling that on this show. I'm just saying the people who do that, I kind of have respect because they, they understand history. And that it wasn't just Stalin in the Holodomor starving people out over in Ukraine no. back in the 30s. This is a major theme of empire and, and history. Of of, of taking people's food like they did this in communist china mal, oh, yeah. mal david rockefeller's yeah. project over there they just take people's food and let them starve to death absolutely so this well, is that's one of the biggest things about socialism and communism is it can't produce so therefore it has to steal and that's where they invert reality through words and they tell you 
no, this is just a reappropriation. You know, we're giving handouts. Don't worry. We're taking it because we need to deliver it more equitably to all the citizenry. And instead, it is preserved for the most powerful in that society. And most of the people starve for the ones that are actually producing the food in the first place. But it's part of civilizing India, mm, Tony. They correct. were a bunch. Yeah, see the language game being played. Yeah, they, yeah, they had to become civilized. And the British, during their rule, could not keep these people fed. So why should they be in charge? I don't understand that. I don't think Gandhi understood it. And eventually people fought back against it and kind of overturned that, though. I think they're pretty much not too separate from that agenda. Any of the countries they let have nuclear weapons are part of the the deep well, once, state once globalist the, agenda. The Indian government opened up to foreign capital in the early 90s. That was sort of the. That's where yeah. they did BCCI. Yeah, it was like yeah. one of the first things. Yeah, exa- exactly. And that was, was Pakistan, too. But no, no, for sure. I mean, the British know, separated the subcontinent of India the British took and, India and they carved off Pakistan. And they're like Muslims yeah. in Pakistan, Hindus in India. And the British, again, the British Empire was messing with the civilization, trying to shape it in their image. You might also go watch a movie. First off, it's a Rudyard Kipling story. Kipling that had the swastikas on the spine of his books back in the day. He wrote a story called The Man Who Would Be King, which in 1976 was made into a movie with Michael Caine and Sean Connery. Excellent movie. And you'll see all about masonry and secret societies and Alexander the Great and the British influence of hey, go help this warlord overthrow his other enemies and then just take that guy over and you control your whole country. All these types of things are set forth in that film. So if we're going to talk a little cinema, that's something that is in on this topic. And as uh, earlier in the show, if you guys want a copy of that history blueprint, you can get it on grandtheftworld.com. I just use that to set up the next story because obviously we just talked about the British East India Company, the British Raj, the British Empire. Now, the British Empire has a little intelligence agency, many of them, but you're familiar because of the marketing with MI6. Yes, it's the place where James Bond, the, the super spy, he was working over there. MI6 was around in the early 20th century. CIA not created till 1947 under the National Security Act by Clark Clifford, who was later found guilty under BCCI. Oh, small world. So MI6 helps to create OSS and CIA. British intelligence create American intelligence. It's that special relationship. We're no longer enemies. Even though you guys got a king, we're friends now. We're going to share all our intelligence data. You're all up in our White House. You're in our Secret Service. You're in our GCHQ helped to make NSA. MI6 helped create OSS and CIA. It's a British Anglo-American intelligence establishment that American taxpayers have been funding for like 100 years. That's not my point. My point is when you now hear this next clip where you're going to find out CIA whack JFK, CIA is number two. And in the words of Austin Powers, who does number two work for? A lot of also people were pointing out Kissinger this week. Oh, he's a big uh, ringleader. Who does number two work for? He works for David Rockefeller. So we're going to look into this claim, unsubstantiated as of right now, that the CIA whacked JFK. Tucker Carlson apparently had some conversations. I have only heard bits of this, so I'd like to learn more about this story, see if it's uh, if there's veracity to it, if it's the official leak of that information, if it's untimely in their narrative, or if it's exactly what they want us to know and think about this at this time in history. So let's check it out. Carlson tonight, so not long after Jack Ruby shot Lee Harvey Oswald on camera in the basement of Dallas Police Headquarters, 
a lot of Americans started to have some questions about the Kennedy assassination. It was, you'd have to admit, a pretty extraordinary sequence of events. A lone gunman murders the president of the United States, and then, less than 48 hours later, that lone gunman is himself murdered by another lone gunman. What are the odds of that? It's one thing if you get struck by lightning, rare but possible. But if every member of your family also gets struck by lightning all on different days, you might begin to suspect these are not entirely natural events. But oh, replied the US government, they are. This bizarre chain of killings was all entirely natural. So less than a year after the JFK assassination, the Johnson White House released something called the Warren Commission Report. And the report concluded that while their motives remained unclear, both Lee Oswald and Jack Ruby had acted alone. No one helped them. There was no conspiracy of any kind. Case closed. Time to move on. And many, many Americans did move on. At the time, they had no idea how shoddy and corrupt the Warren Commission was. It would be nearly 50 years before the CIA admitted under duress that in fact it had withheld information from investigators about its relationship with Lee Harvey Oswald. But even then at the time, before that was known, the government's explanation didn't seem entirely plausible and some people started asking obvious questions about it. It was at that point, as Americans started to doubt the official story, that the term conspiracy theory entered our lexicon. As Professor Lance DeHaven-Smith points out in his book on the subject, the term conspiracy theory did not exist as a phrase in everyday American conversation before 1964. In 1964, the year the Warren Commission issued its report, the New York Times published five stories in which conspiracy theory appeared. Now today, of course, the term conspiracy theory appears in pretty much every New York Times story about American politics. It's wielded, now as then, as a weapon against anyone who asks questions the government doesn't feel like answering. But despite 60 years of name calling, those questions have not disappeared. In fact, they have multiplied with time. And here's one of them. In April of 1964, a psychiatrist called Louis Joylin West visited Jack Ruby in his isolation cell in a Dallas jail. According to West's written assessment, he found that Jack Ruby was, quote, technically insane and in need of immediate psychiatric hospitalization. Those are conclusions that, puzzlingly, no one who had spoken to Jack Ruby previously had reached. Ruby had seemed perfectly sane to the people who knew him. Louis Joylin West pronounced him crazy. But what, what West did not say was that he was working for the CIA at the time. Louis Joylin West was a contract psychiatrist for the spy agency. He was also an expert on mind control and a prominent player in the now infamous MK Ultra program in which the CIA gave powerful psychiatric drugs to Americans without their knowledge. So of all the psychiatrists in the world, what in the world was this guy doing in Jack Ruby's prison cell? The media did not seem interested in finding out. In fact, the New York Times, in an extensive 1999 obituary of West, never mentioned the fact that he had worked for the CIA, much less his time in Jack Ruby's cell, which seems relevant. So you can see why non-crazy people would wonder about what really happened. And of course, many have wondered. In 1976, long forgotten, the House of Representatives impaneled a special committee to reinvestigate the JFK assassination. Their bipartisan conclusion? Jack Kennedy was almost certainly murdered as the result of a conspiracy. But the question is, a conspiracy by whom? Well, the obvious suspect would be the CIA. Why else would the agency withhold critical evidence from investigators? Is there a benign explanation for that, for maintaining this level of secrecy for this many years? Not that we're aware of. 
And it is illegal. In 1992, Congress passed the President John F. Kennedy Assassination Records Collection Act. That act mandated full disclosure of all documents by 2017, 54 years after JFK was killed. The last administration promised to comply fully with that law, but under intense pressure from CIA Director Mike Pompeo, withheld in the end thousands of pages of CIA documents. Today, this afternoon, the Biden administration did exactly the same thing. That would be thousands of pages of documents after nearly 60 years, after the death of every single person involved. But we still can't see them. Clearly, it's not to protect any person. They're all dead. It's to protect an institution. But why? Well, today we decided to find out. We spoke to someone who had access to these still-hidden CIA documents, a person who was deeply familiar with what they contain. We asked this person directly, did the CIA have a hand in the murder of John F. Kennedy, an American president? And here's the reply we received verbatim. Quote, the answer is yes. I believe they were involved. It's a whole different country from what we thought it was. It's all fake. It's hard to imagine a more jarring response than that. Again, this is not a, quote, conspiracy theorist that we spoke to. Not even close. This is someone with direct knowledge of the information that once again is being withheld from the American public. And the answer we received was unequivocal. Yes, the CIA was involved in the assassination of the president. Now, some people will not be surprised to hear that. They suspected it all along. But no matter how you feel about or what you thought about the Kennedy assassination, pause to consider what this means. It means that within the U.S. government, there are forces wholly beyond democratic control. These forces are more powerful than the elected officials that supposedly oversee them. These forces can affect election outcomes. They can even hide their complicity in the murder of an American president. In other words, they can do pretty much anything they want. They constitute a government within a government, mocking by their very existence the idea of democracy. As cynical as we have become after 30 years of watching government officials ignore the voters who employ them, we were shocked to learn this. It's not acceptable. Americans have trusted their government less with every passing year since the killing of John F. Kennedy. Maybe this is why. And people have known this for a long time. The people who knew would include every director of the CIA since November of 1963. And that list would include Obama's CIA director, John Brennan, one of the most sinister and dishonest figures in American life. That list would also include, we are sad to say, our friend Mike Pompeo, who ran the CIA in the last administration. Mike Pompeo knew this. We asked Pompeo to join us tonight, and though he rarely turns down a televised interview, he refused to come. We hope he will reconsider. You know, it's an interesting phenomena. Uh, one of the, obviously, the big question here is who is Tucker's source? Now, obviously, Tucker Carlson usually is very um, scrupulous, and his team is uh, does the due diligence to make sure that they cite the information from where they get it and also make sure they source everything properly. In this case, you know, it comes from some insider that wants his identity protected, considering the allegations being made. Uh for years and years and years since I was a young child, the excuse always was, well, until all of the members that were associated with the JFK assassination have, per have perished, have passed away, that then they could finally un 
unleash the documents. Um, but again, to Tucker's point, this is about protecting not those individuals, but an institution. And that institution was set up, as Richard always says, and rightfully so, with much information and much artifactual evidence in support of it, um, that it was set up by British intelligence. And let's not forget, you know, Wild Bill Donovan and Alan Dulles, both Dulles brothers, in fact, um, Wall Street bankers and lawyers. I believe Donovan was a lawyer, uh, Alan or his brother, forget which one of them was a Wall Street banker, the other one was a Wall Street lawyer. And you consider you consistently say the same sort of pattern. If you actually go back and look at who was the head of the CIA, uh, William Casey, under the Iran-Contra affair, he was, again, I believe he was either, I believe he was a Wall Street lawyer, if I remember correctly. And that's from the second chapter of Whitney Webb's book. And the reason why that's fresh on my mind is because we just had a, uh, we discovered the second chapter for Maddie Bannon's book club that she hosts every other Friday for the GTW community. So, you know, you'll see a pattern of behavior of individuals that are protecting big money, um, usually lawyers or themselves financiers working on Wall for Wall Street institutions, major banks and hedge funds and so forth, that interestingly enough, get involved with the CIA. Of course, Epstein was helping to facil facilitate a lot of the black markets, particularly child trafficking for a lot of these individuals and institutions, hence why his name pops up with a lot of these individuals, and hence why... Whitney Webb had to write an entire volume, volume two, just on Epstein's connections with it, but then required a volume one into the history of blackmail, espionage, and um, uh, mafia organization, CIA, uh, government organizations working in tandem together. And so, you know, she backed into it, as I like to say. She had to, she realized she needed an entire volume one in order to uh, understand the entire story of how an Epstein comes to light how he gets his power, how he becomes, ingratiates himself with these organizations and institutions. And uh, at some point, I think we're actually going to do a history of espionage and clandestine organizations with Senna, who's been uh, studying the history going back millennia, actually, you know, well over a thousand plus years ago. And you'll see a lot of same patterns pop up with a lot of the way in which they well, quite frankly, gain leverage over individuals. When Richard Grove interviewed John Taylor Gatto, for the ultimate history lesson, John Telegato appropriately summed it up in one phrase. It's the science of leverage. And that's what it is. It's a science. It's a methodology of leverage of, in other words, gaining blackmail, gaining dirt on individuals and positions of power so you can compromise them and hide behind the scenes through various smoke and mirrors uh, in order to manipulate institutions, governments, policies, so forth and so on. And this has been going on for that, pretty much the history of civilization itself. The only difference is the advanced technology, but the same techniques are still employed today. I think it's like John Lennon said, they're playing those mind games. <laughs> they are. And I got a couple of books because Tucker brought up Jolly and West. He might be a Jolly little, uh, he might be a little uh, dyslexic like me transposing those letters because he called them joylin yeah joylin which, yeah but we're, he's talking about jolly west now i'm pretty sure jolly west was either mentioned in this book by jim keith mass control engineering human consciousness or this book mind wars brain research and national defense we'll have to see but um the the gist is jolly and west was a researcher from the uh that mcdonald's project mcultra MK Ultra was a CIA project back in the day that they did jointly with the British, coincidentally. And we cover this heavily and in Canadians this film as well. I mean, it was state like of mind. 
there's a commonwealth so, a large portion of the commonwealth was involved. right yeah so we cover this in the film state of mind the mk ultra aspect uh extensively you can also watch aaron and melissa dyke's uh mega series called the minds of men jolly and west mk ultra you and cameron all these sort of things my point would be jolly and west going to see jack ruby is like harley pastor like going to see kanye it's like alan dollis being the head of the warren commission yes very suspect mm-hmm. very suspect that jack ruby who's that's not his real name and he's a, a mafia hitman type situation going on and was it uh convenient he's a patriot that he took out oswald and risked his own life to do so could have been shot by a security guard man how do you know it's going to go down well or is he there to get the loose ends maybe the loose ends did they wipe him up by the end of the weekend you know way back in the day <clears throat> a young john taylor gatto other film right here he was at cornell university and he and his roommate a cat named edward j epstein they heard about kennedy getting killed and they both agreed that if oswald this alleged patsy uh was dead by the end of the weekend that they would consider it a conspiracy theory conspiracy but this is before the word even came out right i I blew the punchline so oswald's dead on sunday nicholas katzenbach the Rhodes Scholar writes a memo that will be used for the Warren Commission. It's basically the blueprint. It's like when uh, Zelikow had the blueprint for the 9-11 Commission report before they even did the research. It The Katzenbach memo, the Rhodes Scholar memo, illustrates the official narrative going forward. Well, it makes sense. He's the British Oxford guy inside, you know, the the system right there. He's going like, to say memos and dossiers. That's right. So he labor. writes yeah. he writes that memo and it goes off into history now. Edward J. Epstein, who made that bet with John Taylor Gatto, he wrote a book called Inquest that looks into the method by which the Warren Commission came to its conclusion. And because of that book, Inquest, which I have right over here, because of that book, Inquest, the CIA got so upset that Edward J. Epstein's asking questions about this, that the CIA has a memo, 1095, 1035-960 concerning criticism of the Warren report. It's a 24 page memo about Edward J. Epstein Gatto's roommate because he wrote that pesky book. And because of that, they had to bring the phrase conspiracy theory into our vernacular. It's clearly articulated as a pejorative in that memo. And now everyone who repeats it today can understand why they should be getting paid by the CIA. It went through that memo a couple of shows, a few shows ago, maybe a month or two ago. And I remember one of the interesting things is the way Throughout the entire memo, they paint Edward Epstein's book. For one, they're very concerned about the book. But two, yeah. it's like the, the instant dismissal. So the second you read any details about it, the excerpt lift, uh, neglected aspect, a whole host of straw men fallacies all over the place. Yeah, they're not concerned that case, he might be right, right for other reasons other than they know what he's writing is right. Right. So they and have so, to discredit it somehow. Yeah, and so they, they build a... a, a a specious case to say the least against that book and the position without really uh, getting into the detail of what that book had to say in order to paint a picture that was nice for the American public that nothing to see here. It's just a conspiracy theory. This is not a well-versed researcher uh, in the topic, so forth and so on. And it's just, it shows you sort of the, really what they've been doing from that point onwards, not that they weren't doing it before, but the gaslighting became more immense and sort of impossible to imagine especially in the modern digital age yeah so the fact that confusing individuals 
I mean, Dr. Lewis Jolly and West is not an accidental character in that whole thing that went on for the CIA's top or one, top two. He's in the top two of the MK ultra doctors. This is you and Cameron's the other one for him to be the guy that's checking out Jack Ruby. That's as strange as SBF Samuel Bankman fried taking Ghislaine's lawyer and Sullivan and Cromwell's going to adjudicate. Uh, be yeah, the right. On the, on the right. Case. Well, Maxine Waters, uh, the oversight committee for it. And also, let's not forget uh, Ellison, Carolyn Ellison. Yeah, I think yeah. she lawyered up with that ex-Clinton lawyer. So it's just this. Yeah, it's well, she might. Yeah, she might be the inside person who was there to make sure it all went down. Like, Well, that. that's what the, I think the New York Post had an article. I had it up today. The dead, bi- the dead Bitcoin billionaire said that, you know, he said his girlfriend was setting him up and they were going to, yeah. you know, and then he ended the New up York dead Post three hours is, later. There's a couple of lawyers that the New York Post quoted from that said the only way they can build a case so quickly is if she's giving information to the FBI. At least that's their claims in the New York Post article. I'll have to bring it back up. I'll have to see if I can find it real quick. But Or yeah. if it was just the latest incarnation of the... Ghislaine Maxwell, Robert Maxwell slush fund that came from BCCI and Iran Contra days. Because when you look at the political players around it, they're all the people who have maintained power since those days anyway. Exactly right. They're all swarmed around it. So maybe it'll lead to bigger things. LD, did you find that clip? You were looking, looking for a clip from State of Mind for uh, the, the MK Ultra section, and it might... Well, are you referring to the John, Library of yeah. Cognitive Liberty? Yes, sir. Okay. The uh, I mean, we've got the the full the director's cut or writer's cut. Excuse me, it's five hours long. So yeah, there's not, oh well, actually there probably is an MK Ultra section in there, but it's hard to find because there's no B roll in that cut. So then there's the okay, Info you're Wars cut a section within it. Well, um, see. I could tell who's on screen if you. Uh, it's either Colin Ross, he was an MK Ultra guy, or uh, the guy from the in the Blazer from the American Psychological Association. It's probably a third or two thirds into the movie because that's more heavy duty information. You're looking uh, behind the scenes at the Grand Theft World members area. This is where you can screen my past films and podcasts for the past 15 years or so. And right now we're looking for a clip inside the movie State of Mind, the yeah. psychology of control i'm um, looking for the mk ultra section that right there is the finders on. case i think that's the child trafficking part of it let me fix mob yeah so well he finds that i did find the uh let me just take this down i did well, find the new york post Go ahead. Uh, zoom is not letting me that's right in the uh oh right there it's, it says in the top corner what it is that's the they're, they're talking about television right now so Eldon Taylor is talking about television. So maybe right after that or right before that would be the MK Ultra section. Dun, dun, dun. Philanthropy and pharmaceutical. There's a lot covered. Actually, uh, uh, what LD scrolling through is the, the five-hour writer's cut of what became a 90-minute film. So MK Ultra, Electromagnetic Who's the, the guy on screen there, he is the Canadian. Colin Ross. Colin yeah, Ross. he's MK yeah, Ultra. Yeah. Uh, investigator he investigator. had access to the declassified documents God, i remember listening to him almost 10 years ago he was on Jan Irvin's podcast back then and it was uh very interesting what he had to say in regards to not only mk ultra but the beer the the quagmire of mk programs that existed uh, right and, and under mk ultra there's a whole bunch of different sub projects yeah 
There was the Washington sub project. There was the you and Cameron Canadian right. sub projects. I think I found there that again. Were their, their tests on towns like uh, Pont Saint Esprit in France. Pont Saint Esprit. Yeah. yeah, they dosed people, and there's the whole uh, about that. Frank there's Olson. Frank Olson. Yeah. Right. The murder of Frank Olson and the CIA. Yeah, that's a decent Errol Morris uh, joint. What's that called? Uh, Wormwood. About Frank Olson and CIA MK Ultra. So if you don't think there's anything to it, well, then there's the book. But then there's the book, The Murder of Frank Olson. Um, Or you could go back and watch the 1978 ABC News special, Mission Mind Control, and they'll tell you on the on the evening news special report about MK Ultra. So here's the book. It's called A Terrible Mistake: The Murder of Frank Olson and the CIA Secret Cold War Experiments. And that's published by Trine Day Books, Chris Milligan over there, who publishes really. Whitney Webb's books. So while you're over there getting Whitney's books, get yourself some we, we terrible got on the mistake. Show a couple weeks ago, I think Burmis covered it. Um, there's also this. I'll just get this on the record very quickly. This is in the New York Post. Carolyn Ellison likely working with feds against Sam Bankman free. This was before or after it crashed. That's a good question. I would assume after, but uh, it just goes on to state. It's more circumstantial, but it certainly has uh, some legitimacy to the hypothesis. So it says here, Sam Bankman-Fried's reported ex-girlfriend was likely among the first people to turn him over. Let me just get this out of here. Was likely among the first people to turn him on him and help prosecutors build their for a fast-moving fraud case in the epic 8 billion-plus lapse of FTX. Quote, she would have a, among the greatest incentives to cooperate as it was seeming likely that in his effort to exculp- exculpate himself, Bankman-Fried would try to finger her. Former Securities and Exchange Commission lawyer Howard Fisher told the Post. Fisher said, quote, the speed of the indictment and the breadth of the charges against Bankman Freed meant someone relatively senior is cooperating with the federal authorities in exchange for leniency for their own potential misconducts. End quote. And final quote here, I believe this is from Fisher as well. Quote, it is possible Bankman Freed's publicity tour in which he repeatedly disclaimed either knowledge of or responsibility for mishandling of theft of customer assets spurred senior officers to fear that he would specifically blame them he said so that's uh you know what's going on in that world as well what book you got there what i have here is uh inquest by edward j epstein the warren commission and the establishment of truth the real question is you know they established it they didn't find it they didn't (laughs) discover it follow up with the what you mentioned and i remember that story that got uh, reiterated to us but when did he start writing that? Was that right after? Was that a decade I'm, or two after? No, that's I'm thinking I'm... he started writing this while he was at Cornell with Gatto. That's what I would figure. And then let's see but when he published it, because they were at Cornell in 63. And this right. is a 1966 first mm-hmm. edition. Wow. So, okay. so took him three years. And Warren Commission report didn't come out until 1964 anyway. So they had some theories, him and Gatto, they were throwing around some ideas. Then they're like, okay, Warren Commission came out. Let's check it out. And then he's like, oh, this is bullshit. And then he wrote a book on it. And uh, he goes over how they had a purpose, vulnerability of facts, uh, the limits of investigation, limits of investigators, right? There's these boundaries created and then the the hypothesis. So uh, there is many similar books written about the 9-11 Commission report. I was just going to say there's a lot of similarities so uh, you just learn about all these processes and you can be like, that's not how the, it's supposed to be done, but you have to come to your own conclusions by reading the book. He, in order to get this to be a New York times bestseller and, you know, for him to be an author that continued to, cause I have 
I mean, he's written a ton of books over the past 50 years. I have oh, yeah. uh, News from Nowhere, Agency of Fear, um, his Arm and Hammer book, two books on James Jesus Angleton, and a book he did on Hollywood called The Big Picture. And oh, it's like there's a ton of books. I read them Dark all because the I was going to interview him at one point. Well, I believe. Yeah, that's one of the best. Yeah. And he Edward J. Epstein. Because uh, one, he whitewashes it, and one, he, he, castigates it so it's a it's a messy quagmire for him i don't know if someone well he started out with an article and you can find it on edwardjepstein.com it's called have you ever tried to sell a diamond Hmm. and then that article went pop and then he's he went and contacted the oppenheimer family who ran to beers after cecil rhodes died you know there were some partners involved barney barnato the oppenheimers oppenheimers were a a german family from back in the day they were doing business so oppenheimer was running that cartel and they said uh, ed epstein come down and live with us see the diamond cartel from the inside and he's like yes please and then while he's doing that, he discovers that diamonds are worthless and they're using a bunch of fancy schmancy marketing to ever to get everyone to equate this worthless stone to love. And he's like, people should know about this, but you got to right. tell people in the right way. Otherwise, you're not going to get your book published. So he writes a, the video version of it. First off, you can go to PeaceRevolution.org. You can get the podcast. It's like episode 28. It's called Diamonds, the Jewel of Denial. Yeah, like that, Romancing the Stone fans. So you get into that, and there's many layers to it. You're going to hear from many different sources, but Ed Epstein is in there. The clip I played in that episode is called The Diamond Empire. So there's like a an article, a book, and a video. And from there, you can pretty much educate yourself forward away from supporting the British Empire and institutionalized racism and blood diamonds and stuff like blood that. diamonds yeah like they say blood diamonds but those are just the ones that escape their cartel the individuals entrepreneurs oh, yeah. are dealing the the blood diamonds from cecil Rhodes with the the laser etching and all this other stuff that's a cartel upon a cartel upon a cartel yeah it's a which, gemologist or yeah. i forget what the other term is but the ones that actually form it into the nice crystalline structure you get the people put on Plus, they can make diamonds out of peanut butter now. Like any carbon based oh, yeah, thing, they, they, can make, they can make diamonds out of anything. You know, so they have synthetic diamonds now that they just lab grown. I think they call it or synthetic diamonds. Yeah. So it just and the Russians have had diamond vaults. You know, and you learn this through Epstein. He's like the the Soviet Union and the Russians. They have diamond vaults that if they ever opened them and and flooded the market, it would all just be you could pave the streets with these things. Well, that's the thing about the De Beers diamond cartel is they're buying up most of the supply and holding it back in order to create an artificial scarcity. Plus, there's also the when you go to refine the diamond is only a couple uh they control all of those sort of institutions kind of a circular economy yeah it's literally a circular economy well we might learn more about that later tonight circular economies it's an orvorus of diamonds oh good application thank you and and de beers uh cecil Rhodes in that group down there they also had gold mining so it wasn't just diamonds you know, it's like if uh, if they made the Burl Ives song, Diamonds and Gold, you know, it's Rudolph time. Get your claymation type of stop animation out there. They could change that song over and it'd just be the, sponsored by De Beers. De Beers is a cartel and it couldn't operate in America legally until like 2010. And I think it was in Epstein's book. What and changed? And in the, in the introduction of that book, he goes into how they were able to overturn Japan's entire culture around uh, marriage ceremony um, through propaganda and uh, advertising i mean it was like one or two pages he sums up the entire story of how they were able to take a completely different culture completely isolated and within literally i don't know a couple of years completely change 
the entire yes. sort of characteristics Japanese culture and they used uh, the British royals the you yes. know formerly Saxe Gotha taken over British Empire royals because they would wear diamonds and rubies and sapphires and all these exotic gems from all the far off places they'd conquered yeah. why would they want to wear a, a clear like colorless type of stone and then De Beers is like but if you wear them diamonds will become a girl's best friend and you'll have your uh mk ultra at marilyn monroe out there teaching people and then lady lady madonna can like uh that's a beatles callback lady madonna can later do like like a virgin or whatever uh rich whatever diamonds girl best friend remake she did like a, like a like a diamond dances. for the very first time like a <laughs> yeah this is not this is not uh what is those what are those singing shows america's top talent this uh, is not america's that. idol or something this is america's worst comedy show but somebody's <laughs> got to be at the bottom of the rung you know somebody's got to hold the ladder for all those other great comedy shows out there and we are happy to be on the field here holding that ladder mixed metaphors allowed <laughs> seriously you know, the, the end result of the meiji restoration the japanese buying diamonds no i'm just kidding but oh. part of it was that before or after the atomic bombs hit them? Before. Yeah, it was. You're right. You're well, right. It was the 1920s and 30s. I believe. Diamonds weren't definitely. enough. And diamonds definitely weren't forever in Hiroshima. And that was memorialized um, in the famous anime Grave of the Fireflies. That was Studio Ghibli. Check it out. It's worth watching. Seeing it from the Japanese side, what had happened. So if, if you have questions about diamonds, all the sources are in Peace Revolution 28 or 29 whatever it is back in the day, go take a tour. Also, it's in the Library of Cognitive Liberty for all Grand Theft World members. I think uh, What's-Her-Face once featured that on one of her productions, if I remember correctly. She's like, I listened to this Grand Theft World podcast and was positive. It's about how diamonds are worthless. She was making fun of it, but then alluding to the history of diamonds. That was another, that's another woman. I can't remember her name. Oh, another one. Uh, oh, you're right. About. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. Um, there you go. I, I found the beginning of that, that MK great. Ultra section, if you'd like to play that. Yeah, let, let's uh, let's check it out for a few minutes now. What you're going to see is, let me explain the complex series of actions that turn into movie making, right? I'm going to be in some of these clips. I don't look like this because it's a long time ago. So get over that part. The next part is after they filmed me, they came back and said, we lost our writer. He, he's doing something else. He's got I a different that. project, right? And oh, they asked me that. to write the script for this film. And I did it with my good friend, Kevin Cole, and we knocked it out of the park. We took 40 hours of raw interview footage. We transcribed it. We took notes. We found the video clips, matched it up, and assembled a six-hour version that's in the Library of Cognitive Liberty. And you can see what it takes to put all those clips together. And then from that, we found the essential 90 minutes that the directors and the producers of the film, the people paying for it, wanted and then we made this final cut that was on DVD and somehow went out of distribution and can't be found anywhere. But uh, it's in the Library of Cognitive Liberty in a couple of different forms. So what you're going to see is something right out of my Adobe Premiere that does not have B-roll, doesn't have fancy audio. But what you have are some juicy clips that couldn't make the movie and should have made a movie themselves because there was a lot of value left on the table. You're going to get a little slice of probably what didn't make uh, the 90-minute version of State of Mind, The Psychology of Control, brought to you by Grand Theft World. Everybody knows about the race at the end of World War II to get Nazi scientists. The Russians wanted them. The United States and England wanted them. And the United States and England got most of them. 
because the Nazis didn't want to go to the Soviet Union, another authoritarian system. They wanted to go to a, quote, freer system. And like an infection, they came to England, Canada, and the United States. And it wasn't just over NASA and rocketry with Werner von Braun and Goddard and others. It was tens of thousands in mind control and torture and military science and surveillance. And the CIA got modeled to a great extent off of the Gestapo. And so we see really the evil of the Nazis being transplanted back to the United States and England where the eugenics philosophy that they had embraced had originally sprung. So the Nazis were basically coming home, coming back to the scientific intelligentsia that had spawned them to begin with. But they were the rock stars. They were brought back to the England and the U.S because the Nazis had embraced eugenics and taken it so far that the scientists were coveting them. These were the sharp, young, black uniform men that had done so much uh, for the social Darwinistic experiment. And so they were put in command positions over research, not just in NASA, but at the CIA and in military training and in secret police training. And so the science of Nazi mind control uh, that had been brought to its highest level under the Third Reich to that point was brought back here to the United States to be deployed against the American people. Operation Paperclip was one of a group of projects set up in the in between 1945-1950, just at the end of the Second World War. And the problem that the United States was facing was there was all these German scientists who were kind of in the wind, loose, wasn't clear where they were going to end up. And the uh, French, the British, the Russians, and the Americans were all trying to recruit them. So it was kind of a recruiting scramble. Additional problem was a lot of these guys were, as far as the State Department was concerned, war criminals. They were linked directly to the Nazis and therefore couldn't get visas, couldn't come into the United States. So the CIA set up this series of programs uh, to route everybody around the State Department visa requirements, get them into the country, which included uh, Werner von Braun and a lot of people in the rocket program. Albertus Strukold, who is regarded as the father of aviation medicine. So a lot of really well-known people. The American Mind Control Project began at the end of the Korean War. We had POWs uh, come back from Korea that had been captured by the Chinese and, and the North Koreans and put in, in, in uh, POW camps over there where they had to, uh, they were subjected to uh, uh, re-education classes, uh, communist indoctrination classes, sleep deprivation, hypnosis, drugs, uh, in, in attempts to control what these people thought and to change their personalities. The most talked about and best known CIA mind control program is MKUltra, but there's actually a history before that. So in the Second World War, the OSS, which was the precursor of the CIA, was conducting hallucinogen, marijuana, uh, various interrogation type drug experiments. And then that rolled over into uh, Project Chatter, which was a 1948 project with the Air Force. Then in 1950, actually three months before the beginning of the Korean War, Bluebird was signed into operation, which then became Artichoke, which then became MKUltra. So there's quite a long history of experimentation going back at least to the Second World War. It was probably as much of an experiment at what they called brainwashing back then as anything else. But when we found out about it, 
we decided, well, you know, if the Russians and the Chinese are up to this, then we need to figure out what, what it's all about. And so we started, uh, the military started the, the Artichoke Project uh, and the, the Bluebird Projects, which I think was the Navy one, and they, they were trying to figure out, can we make a Manchurian candidate? Can we make a super soldier? You know, there were three basic books on MKUltra that started the whole revelation going. John Marks, Search for the Manchurian Candidate, Walter Bauart, Operation Mind Control, and Alan Shefflin, The Mind Manipulators. When I interviewed John Marks about Search for the Manchurian Candidate, he said a very interesting thing to me. He had been given 10 boxes of CIA information on a Freedom of Information Act request, not his first. He had been trying to get this kind of information on the mind control program of the CIA in the 50s, 1950s, for a long time. And finally, as a kind of a sop, maybe even a joke, they gave him 10 boxes of materials that had nothing to do with the projects except the accounting data, the financial data, thinking that Marx wouldn't be able to do anything with it and they would, CIA would be perceived to have fulfilled the FOIA request. But Marx was too smart for them. He saw into the financial data and realized what he had his hands on, that this was not only MKUltra, mind control program of the CIA, but it was divided up into many, many, many sub-projects. And he had some of the funding details that provided the foundation for him to move forward in his research and discover what they were really up to. In, in the late 90s, there was a report which was commissioned by President Clinton. So the report is back to him on the radiation experiments. And that was the main focus. So they talked about, for instance, uh, Dr. William Sweet at Harvard saw a guy in the emergency department called HP7. HP stands for human product. This guy came to the one of the Harvard Hospital ERs unconscious. Uh, he was injected with plutonium, so obviously he didn't give consent. They injected him to try and see what plutonium does inside your body. He died before ever waking up. And the neurosurgeon around that program, William Sweet, had cross-funding with Jose Delgado at Yale. So the experiments were looking into this, uh, releasing radioactivity over the general population, uh, subjecting pregnant women to radiation, putting uh, radiation in cereal eaten by mentally retarded kids at schools while telling the parents it's a nutrition experiment. And spliced into that was some chemical biological warfare, and then some mind control victims came and testified at those hearings. And he said to me, these 10 boxes of material were the starting point for me, John Marks, Walter Bauart, and Alan Shefflin in these three vital books that exposed the whole program to the public. But, and here was the kicker, Marx uh, said to me. In 1962, the MK Ultra program supposedly finished. They stopped. But he said they didn't. They just simply transferred the whole program to the Office of Research and Development, ORD, in the CIA. He found that out and he requested more boxes of information from the CIA about that. And this was pretty much Marx's quote to me. The guy at the CIA said to me, 
you got the 10 boxes of materials, Marx. There's a hundred more, and you're never going to see them, and neither is anybody else. So this is, to me, one of the crucial testimonies on how, in fact, the MK Ultra program did indeed continue after 1962 inside the CIA. It expanded. It was made even more secretive so that it would be even more difficult to dig up information on it than it had been in the 1950s. And that's important to know. If we don't resist uh, all of the different information that comes our way and weigh it and, and use our own mind instead of what somebody else wants us to think, eventually uh, society would become nothing more than automatons, robots, that just all march and lockstep like lemmings and follow whatever great leaders out there. It happened in the Third Reich. Uh, it happened uh, in, in Rome in the ancient days. Um, it, can, it happened in uh, Russia with the Bolsheviks. It can happen here. Now, we know for sure that um, psychic spying programs, Stargate and related programs, ran at least into the 1980s. We know that non-lethal weapons, these electromagnetic energy weapons, are ongoing into the 21st century. We know that there's MKUltra-like activity going on at Abu Ghraib Prison and Guantanamo Bay. So there's really no doubt that this is an ongoing, you know, present-day kind of program. The, the atomic experiments and the uh, uh, different drugs and the different things that were uh, hypnosis, the mustard gas experiments and things that were done at Fort Detrick on U.S. service personnel, um, usually it was a voluntary thing with the military. They would ask for volunteers, but they'd be told this is not going to be harmful and you can quit anytime you want, that sort of thing. And usually it was something they wouldn't notice would be harmful until maybe months or years later when it would come back to haunt them in another form as a form of cancer or, uh, you know, uh, uh, leukemia, um, you know, different things like that. Well, MKUltra was basically made public in the 1970s in a round of Senate committee hearings. And the story we're told is that uh, when Richard Helms shut MKUltra down and its subsequent program, which was called MK Search, in 1972, all the documents were shredded, but they missed seven boxes worth, which were later found in some archives. So we have seven boxes worth of surviving documents. I'm not sure I believe that story, but we do in fact have seven boxes worth of documents. Robert Heath was a psychiatrist at Tulane, and you can search him and find the Robert Heath Society, which is still active at Tulane, He's well regarded. He uh, had money from the CIA, various branches of the military. And he would do two things. He would put electrodes into people's brains, and then he would put LSD, mescaline, other hallucinogens in, and see what the effect was. But something happened. There's a therapist in New Orleans, Valerie Wolf. Two of her patients, Christina Cola and Claudia Mullen, are somehow, don't ask me how, permitted to testify before this committee because the two patients claim, indeed, we were subjected to radiation experiments. Somebody made a horrendous mistake and allowed the two patients and the therapist to testify. Also, Valerie Wolf therapist submitted, uh, I'm going to say, 80 to 100 pages of testimony to the committee, which was allowed on the record and becomes official government documents. From various therapists and patients around the country, 
some on the record, some off the record, saying that they had been part of some strange experiments. So Claudia Mullen and Christine Nicola get up on the stand in Washington and they say, yes, radiation, but it was only one part of mind control experiments that we were subjected to by the U.S. government starting out when we were children. What? This suddenly blows everybody's mind in the hearing room. Nobody was prepared for this. Yes, we were experimented on by CA doctors, military doctors. They were trying to turn us into um, sex agents using sex or assassins. There was physical torture involved. There was hypnosis involved. There was coercion of all kinds strange spinning colors and wheels and we were brought into these experiments as children i mean talk about surreal they're in this hearing room and when they get finished the committee is just dead silent uh, can we control uh, what people think and do and how they act on the battlefield can we make somebody braver than they really are and it was getting up to where they were asking questions, can we create kamikazes like the Japanese had? Can we, re can we create programmed assassins? And when the CIA took it over, it was, it, was, uh, it was called MK Ultra, and it was under Dr. Sidney Gottlieb of the TSS uh, division of the, of the CIA, which is the Technical Services Division of the CIA, the Dirty Tricks Department. They're the ones that came up with the projects to try to uh, assassinate Fidel Castro, the exploding cigars, all of that. And Gottlieb was in, into uh, the mind control part of it, and he uh, he had several doctors working under him, t uh, handling various projects from LSD and other drugs that were mind-altering drugs, uh, to hypnosis, to um, experimenting on people with sleep, sleep deprivation. Everything the Chinese and the Russians had done, and then some. And uh, so that's where MK Ultra came from, and it was discovered about 1973 and they supposedly had shut the project down when in actual fact all they did is they just changed the name of it and it still continues to this day because uh, what it uses now is, is, is they, uh, they go into different types of subliminal mind control, altering the subconscious, being able to influence a population, not just one person but an entire population by use of the media. Uh, so the mind control aspect of those in power is something they've always wanted for hundreds and thousands of years, uh, how do I control the population? If I can make them like me, and if I can make them do my bidding, then I don't have to fear them. And so that's that's basically where MKUltra went. Was it the, could they create a programmed assassin? Could they create a, a, uh, a super warrior? Uh, could they control a population? And, that, and that, that's uh, basically what the whole thing was all about. Sirhan Sirhan could realistically very well be a mind control patsy. And the lead investigator uh, for the FBI said, we're not ruling out the Manchurian candidate aspect of this case. This is what was ongoing investigation. It's clear from books I've read that the physical evidence doesn't support him being the only shooter. There's more bullet entry holes in Kennedy, other people, door jams and walls than there are chambers in Sirhan's gun. Uh, you can see on the video that he's several feet in front of Robert Kennedy. The fatal shot was a rear shot from a couple inches behind his head. So it doesn't make sense, just physically, that he was the sole shooter. Clearly somebody else was involved. 
He has amnesia for the period of the shooting up until this time. He, his handwriting in his journals either look like psychotic ranting or some sort of mind control programming that he's repeating over and over and over. And there's you know, various hints in the literature. There's the woman with the polka dot dress and so on. He's connected to a famous hypnotist at one point. So there's tantalizing reasons to think he could be a mind-controlled assassin, but not definitive proof. Basically, I see him as more patsy than them. Every single one of those was the, 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 the programmed assassin or the patsy or people who did stuff that they really later said they don't remember doing or, or they had some kind of off-the-wall reason for doing it. Um, and they weren't just out there just, you know, normal crazies. Uh, Jonestown actually started out under Jim Jones in San Francisco, and he had his People's Temple set up there, and he got a, a lot of different followers. He was a very charismatic speaker, and then he finally told me, he convinced this whole group of people that they needed to leave San Francisco, and they needed to go to, to uh, Guyana, and they needed, needed to set up this new place they're going to call Jonestown, and it's going to be an ideal location, and so on and so forth. And he was able to convince all of these people to get leave everything behind, and give him as all their assets, all their money, and everything, and then he would he would be their leader down there. Um, it was a total mind control operation. Now, whether he worked directly for the CIA, we may never know. Uh, he could he could uh, be on his own. He could be working for someone else. We don't know. But we do know is that all these people were. Directly influenced by him up to a certain point, and uh, there was a, a some of them that wanted to leave, and he wouldn't let them leave. So they got a hold of somehow got the information to some relatives at home, and Congressman Leo Ryan flew down there, landed uh, at at Jonestown on the airstrip there, and uh, was uh, was was killed on the airstrip, gunned down, and uh, uh, Jones knew that that. Uh, there was going to be some retaliation for that. You just don't go around killing American politicians. And so he convinced everybody that, uh, you know, that the best thing to do is just go ahead and commit suicide. And he made the Kool-Aid with the poison and it was forcing people to drink it. A lot of them didn't want to drink it. And uh, consequently, they tried to get away and were shot in the back, trying to get away. And uh, we asked, well, who, who shot? You know, who shot these people? Well, uh, 82nd Airborne went in jumped in uh, later and, and got there and of course found, found all these dead bodies and saw that a lot of them had been shot trying to get away. And then you know, immediately they were engaged by a military organization it, right there at Jonestown, uh, at least a platoon size of guys wearing green fatigues and carrying automatic weapons and they had a running firefight until they chased these guys off into the jungle. So Jones had his own private little army or somebody provided him with one. It could have been mercenaries. Uh, we don't know who, who these guys were. But uh, basically Jonestown uh, was a huge um, crowd type uh, mind control experiment. Uh, Jolly West was a psychiatrist who was stationed at an Air Force base in San Antonio for a period of time. He interviewed the downed Korean pilots who had, quotes, falsely confessed to German warfare. Not convinced those are false confessions. And then he was an MKUltra contractor at Top Secret. He also worked for various branches of the military. And he was directly involved in the mentoring candidate programs. This is described in the MKUltra documents. And then he went to see Jack He's Ruby. Studying dissociation, 
creating special states of consciousness using sensory deprivation, isolation, hypnosis, and so on. He also uh, wanted to experiment in uh, prisoners, in uh, California prisons. Um, and uh, I think that was shut down before he actually got to do that. Uh, but he was heavily involved in a lot of the mind control stuff. But what's interesting about Dr. Jolene West is that some of the people he had interviewed or examined after they had done something, such as Jack Ruby right after the, the uh, JFK assassination. Uh, uh, he, he interviewed um, uh, Timothy McVeigh after the Oklahoma City bombing. He interviewed Patty Hearst. He interviewed uh, uh, several of the, of the major uh, crime figures, Charles Manson, Sirhan Sirhan. He just seemed to pop up in all these places that were all basically mind control subjects. And he was directly connected to Martin Orn, who was also an MKUltra contractor, and in turn to G.A. Chesterbrooks, who ran Manchurian Candidate programs. He's famous for killing an elephant at Oklahoma City Zoo with a dose of LSD, so he did LSD experiments. And then after uh, sort of the phase where the Korean War was over and the MKUltra contracting was over, he came, became an expert on destructive cults, which would include like the Heaven's Gate cult that they all committed suicide so they could join up with the mothership behind Hillbop Common. Uh, he was brought in, so here at this point he's now at UCLA, Chairman of the Department of Psychiatry at UCLA, and uh, there's a murder committed in Dallas where uh, a guy walks into a police station and shoots somebody who's in police custody. And so the local authorities are thinking, well, who should we bring in to help us with this murder? Maybe a local psychiatrist, maybe somebody from Oklahoma. No, they get Jolly West to come and interview the shooter, who is Jack Ruby. So he was directly involved in interrogating Jack Ruby. He also was brought in to interrogate Timothy McVeigh, and he was uh, one of the defense experts on the Patty Hearst trial. So he's had his finger in quite a lot of interesting history in the United States. And clearly, he's not a randomly chosen psychiatrist. He has top secret clearance, he knows about mind control, he knows about mentoring kind of programs from both an offensive and a defensive and a counterintelligence perspective. Go ahead, pause it. Uh, one of so it's official. The biggest news this week came from Tucker Carlson, and he said Jolly and West went to see Jack Ruby, and we talked about that 10 years ago. So you guys are on the, the edge, the cutting edge of this type of research and information. Hanging out with us gets you 10 years ahead of the curve, hopefully not 10 years in some sort of Stalin-esque berg, like a gulag that they're doing these days. Those camps. I don't want to see you in a camp. I'd rather see you on the street as a free person. May we meet in freedom. <laughs> not because it got so bad that they locked everybody up who believed in freedom. All right. So, um, Jolly and West, Lewis Jolly and West from the Tucker Carlson report. It took a few minutes to get to it, but I remember, yeah, there's a point to that clip. And the MK Ultra pro, uh, productions that they were putting on back then, they just rolled it out. Like those were the tests to figure out what they could do. Now you're seeing the great reset. You're seeing it in prime time. You're seeing it, you know, billion dollar ad campaigns to make people take injections. Like what you just heard, they were experimenting on people back then. Children. Mothers, soldiers, like is, is nothing like is nothing out of bounds for these people? Apparently not. It tells you a lot about your enemy, right? 
and juxtapose some of those things you just heard in that clip to what's going on today. Do you see it more clearly? They want to change the attitudes, values, behaviors, and beliefs to be more in line with a collectivist, globalist society under world government. That's their goal. They stated over and over and over and over and over, you know, you got to pick up on that, that, that theme that they got going on there. That's also, right. You have to consider the, the possibility that John West, uh, Timothy McVeigh, that was another interesting one as well. Hey, I thought on, also, man. I thought I wanted to say something earlier, but I wasn't sure on that connection. Manson the and fact. the Helter Skelter shit mm -hmm. and Sharon Tate and Ro so, Roman Polanski makes a movie, uh, Rosemary's Baby, about killing babies and shit. And, you know, John West right there. Isn't that about the Satan being incarnated in a child or something like that? Getting that confused. That was a 1970s film, Rosemary's Baby. Or am I getting that confused with another they gave an Oscar. horror film? Anyways, um, I think the important thing to understand is like there's two dimensions. Well, there's multiple dimensions, but two of the main dimensions of this. One of it is individual personalized mind control. They are working on being able to create, uh, create a split personality disorder, a multiple personality disorder. Um, using sensory deprivation, psychedelics, um, extreme torture. You see that in what Kingsman a little bit when they have to shoot the doll. Yeah. You know, that's sort of the like first Kingsman, the first one, not the most. Whereas recent. the second one's more of an homage to Cecil Rhodes in the concentration <laughs> camps that he invented down in the Boer War. That's correct. And, you know, but then there's um, uh, mind control on a wider scale, on a cultural scale, on a larger community scale which has to go with the propaganda you were witnessing, the mass formation, the other terms that have been given to it, the mass Stockholm syndrome. Conspiracy theory, anti-vaxxer. Right. That so on one stuff. level, but the, what, um, uh, who is that? Uh, Colin Ross. What he's saying is like, but they, it's hard to say whether it's a hypothesis considerably um, right now, just a theory, potentially a hypothesis that they are able to, if not perfect, actually able to implement a sort of Manchurian style situation. For these individuals in other words they had some ability to control these individuals up to a certain point but not to the point basis. that they wanted to because right. they're trying to create super soldiers and if they could Correct. have done it through mk ultra they wouldn't have what these a, robots well they but also they're like you know what the robots listen robots. a lot better yeah yeah, yeah they're gonna yeah. transhumanism works much better or just robots straight up organic robots either way they, the, problem getting... the problem with multiple personality disorder is when you create split personalities multiple personalities you have multiple complete competing personalities that are always vying to come to the forefront of one's ego. So, you know, it's hard to control that over a long period of time. You may, in a short-term period, you may have the ability to use trigger words or keywords or whatever. Um, so, but the point is they tried and they worked on it for years, if not decades. And they, it's within reason to consider the possibility as a hypothesis that they are able to utilize this to some degree of effect effectiveness. But then on the, the cultural wide scale, it's about really gaslighting, confusing the public, creating, you know, mass formation through free floating anxiety and contradictions within the narrative and all these sorts of things we're witnessing on the mass scale. Oh, here it is. I do have it. I all mean, right, it so, just shows uh, and the fact that each one of these like serial killers in history, not just serial killers, but people have committed mass terror, you know, terroristic. They got connections. The fact that the same guy seems to show up to many of these same individuals. You know, that's just curious to me. Um, All right, so, so I, have a, I got some history for y'all that fits in with this. Here we go. This is the book, The Manchurian Candidate by Richard Condon. Now, I believe he wrote this in 1961. This is not a first edition, but let's crack it open because we can find when it was published. And the question is this, because uh, here's my understanding. The book was written. They optioned it for uh, a screenplay in a movie. Frank Sinatra plays a key figure in here. He 
Frank Sinatra was also good friends with Jack Kennedy, helped him get elected with his mob connections, these sort of things, right? And then after Kennedy's whacked, possibly by a Manchurian candidate, Frank Sinatra takes his movie off the market and you don't see it for a long time. And then they remade it in the last 10, 15 yeah. years with Denzel Washington right. and Leive Schreibner. But let's see if we can get the uh, the low down on this. This is a copyright 1959, and this is a 1987 or 2003 reprint. Oh, by Louis Menand? Oh, he did the intro. He also did the uh, Metaphysical Society, which is a great mm, book. Yeah, that's very interesting, right? Yeah, Metaphysical so, Society is very interesting. Yeah, so this is a, a book, but you can see two different movie versions. Actually, it says right here who... I could have just read the cover. Brilliant and exhilarating, says the Operation Mockingbird, New Yorker. <laughs> so whether you want to read the book or you want to see it, just see what they were trying to do back then. Now, you heard some of these researchers. We didn't have the B-roll and licensing and all that sort of stuff for that version that you guys were just seeing, because that's like the director's cut. So um, Jose Delgado was a Yale professor. And he had this experiment where he wanted to hook up these electrodes to a bull's brain and then see if he could push some buttons and make the bull like not charge. And he did that experiment and it was like a big thing because they're like, oh, we can control the minds of animals. Eventually they can do that to people. Uh, hashtag Neuralink. So there's these plans that have been going on a long time and there's agendas that are in there and they need fresh faces on these agendas. You know, you can't just show, you know, it's the ARPA DARPA faces from the past 60 years. You're going to need some new people on that end. Right. Yeah. So like I mean, out of DARPA, you get MRNA and you're going to need a fresh face to sell MRNA to the public. Now we got this guy in the wings. He's been working on this Bortaint medicine injection, chemical castration thing for Pfizer called Improvac. We could probably get him to be like the front guy, during this thing, his name's Albert Borla, Albert Bortaint Borla, and he's the world's most famous veterinarian. And you should listen to him and you should take the experimental mRNA produced by DARPA and distributed by Moderna at all. And, uh, you know, Pfizer, yeah. all great he's places. A he's a CEO Pfizer. Right. Right. Yeah. It's, it's, I forget what I was going to say in regards to, um, What's well, ironic because well, no, if people no, no, knew no. history, it wouldn't be such an easy sell for Bortaint Borla. I think the issue becomes so, like, you can hook up electrodes to an animal's brain and gain the results you need more effectively. Um, but the one problem with humans is that we have self reflective consciousness, conceptual consciousness. So it takes much more. You almost have to arrest the portion of the brain that allows for reason, self reflection, ref, ref, uh, ref, reflexivity, if you will. You have to um, arrest their development. You have to arrest the thing that makes us human in order to bring us down to the level of an animal only in order for those machinations for those mechanisms rather to work effectively. And so that's what complicates the human animal in regards that we have reason, conceptual consciousness. It makes it much more difficult, which is why, you know, you get the multiple personality situation. You get that's good. That's a real use case. Like there's people around back in the day, sitting around the boardroom table, trying to figure out how to control people. Delgado's got them all convinced we can hook up these electrodes. And there's a whole bunch of people who support that. That was right? third wave of behaviorism. That was yeah. a fourth order, second order cybernetics. Yeah. Right? Essentially there's like Macy conferences. Historians break it up into like three categories, behaviorism, et cetera. But that leads in the, that the last, the third wave of behaviorism led into what now we get as transhumanism. So there's one side of the table. They got R and D going. It's going to cost millions of dollars to figure that out. There's another side of the table and they're a bunch of lazy nerds. And they say something like, what if we just got people to assume? 
And then Operation Mockingbird comes in and it's like, they, it's like, you know, there's a narrative and everybody's saying the same narrative. So it must be true. They took that experiment. I don't know if it was Milgram or uh, the, the dude who did Stanford prison experiment or who, who did it. But when you have a bunch of people in a room and two plus two equals five and everyone raises their hand and you feel like a jerk not raising your hand. So you want to comply with the group. There was like those whole set of experiments that were done. Yep. That's what they're putting in the practice that they're putting non-informed consent, medical experimentation that would make the Nazis blush and be like, we should have thought of that. Uh, and all these other things combined at the same time with a whole bunch of national security directors who back oh, the wrong yeah. story consistently. Now I want to take you to where they come from. Cause Alex Jones said it in the first part of that clip and you guys might not remember. Cause that was 20 minutes ago. So let me just take you back in time. Let's go to the history blueprint. This is the Odessa network. And if you don't know what the Odessa network is, it's the post-World War II Nazis. It's the people who funded the Nazis, protecting their favorite Nazis. It led to things like NATO. Is there a thing going on with NATO over in Europe these days? I don't keep up with the news. It led to things like Operation Gladio, Operation Paperclip. And in, in Operation Paperclip, you're bringing folks like Klaus Barbie and Otto Scorzini over to America. But you've also got, going back to what Alex said, uh, the the origins of special ops. Now he said the Nazis trained the CIA. <clears throat> That's true, but well, MI6 yep. was funding it, and MI6 funded the creation <laughs> of the Nazis. So those organizations that funded the Third Reich, yes, they were then creating Mossad and training Mossad. Yeah. They were creating OSS and CIA. Like there's Germans like uh, Reinhard Galen. I'll go to him in a second. He helped to train the Mossad. So a Nazi that, you know, did all these atrocities is over there training the, you know, the new state apparatus it, as an example. Not, you have also above um, Green Beret's British commandos, George de well, Shield, and he's connected with Lee Harvey Oswald. Yes, you know? he so is. That's, like, that's a very strange. But I'm taking a, a left turn in Albuquerque because yeah. that's the easy route. Let me take the hard route. These ideas of uh, the British commandos. All right. There's a history during World War II. So if you go back in the history of British commandos, let's do it for a second. I know you probably haven't done this research. So there's Royal, British Admiralty, there's the Royal Marines, there's MI6, Intelligence Service. They came up with this idea for the need of British commandos. Now, we used to have a British commando training camp because we didn't have our own back in the day. So we had one that was theirs. It is called Camp David today. It used to be before being a presidential retreat, it was an assassination training camp, much like Camp X on the other side of the Canadian border. So our Green Berets are coming from a British standard of special forces, right? So I went in, I, re I researched what are the history and origin of all the special forces groups? Where did they get their ideas? Well, it's interesting because you got people who were, you know, <clears throat> in on the death of Kennedy that were directly created by Reinhard Galen, these other, these other groups, Dr. Franz Sick and the Ga Six and the Galen organization, the, the Nazis, the Odessa network. So the British had commandos. And then after World War II, they're taking this Odessa network and they're they're spreading it around. So let me go over to uh, let's see if I go to special forces. Do I get there from here? No. Let's go back to the British Green Berets. And then we have special forces in the United States. We have the Army Green Berets. They had them first, right? And then you get into that, and then you can see uh, participation over time. But I remember going back, and there's some really interesting guys from the British side in the 1920s who learned all the combatives and hand-to-hand -hand combat back in the day. 
and those combat techniques to, are like the 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 history and lineage of what's taught today so british commandos james bond special forces uh commando techniques of one-on-one -on -one fighting and special weapons and tactics all these sort of things does have a history and lineage that runs through germany but that that train that runs through germany bad metaphor started in britain well it starts with uh assassination techniques and then it leads to sort of special forces that you get like you know uh army rangers today you get navy seals you get those but you know it starts out from an origination standpoint with assassination first and foremost as their primary goal then it expands into these larger groups that do special ops that are just sort of like uh you know larger well, scale assassination if you will. let's let's take another step back the 30 AU or the 30 assault unit or the number 30 commando group was uh, one of the British empire's special commander groups. You had people attached to it like Werner von Braun, yeah. right? Didn't he come back over here? There's operation torch Ian Fleming and the gang, right? So they had these auxiliary units, they called them. And that was under uh, C. So in the James Bond movies, they have M this guy's called C Colonel Col Colin Gubbins. And he would sign his paperwork and Ian Fleming worked for him. He'd sign his paperwork with a C. Now I say that you have to imagine it, but I know I have, Oh, here it is. I had that guy's memoirs. Here's C's memoirs. You want to know what it's called? I'll give you a second to guess. Here it comes. It's called C <laughs> and you get to learn about sir Stuart graham mengis the secret oh no actually c was the second guy mengis was the guy who came after gubbins so let's go back to uh, our assault unit history here press this button here um back to gubbins and we're talking about people who are running the mi6 right so on top of their intelligence network because you have the secret intelligence branch Right. And that turns into our OSS during World War II is being created. Here's Gubbins in charge of our OSS. So, in the history of MI6 uh, controllers, I'm pretty sure that Gubbins and then Mengis was the other one that came up. Let me go to Stuart Mengis. And you're going to see these are the creators of these assault units that the Americans just adopted. Right. So, Mengis, this guy right here, adopted C, and expanded. Right. So, yeah, because it was C, more associated with assassination on the British side. We expanded to more special operations on the American side, but same idea. Well, they were the, they were the teachers of it. So Man right. Stuart Mengis went by C. He was uh, in charge of MI6. Let me take you back to the history blueprint. Uh, this is during the time of World War II. He's the spy master. Uh, he worked with Sidney Riley, who was their great spy prior to that, right? Mengis ran the Baker Street Irregulars with Ian Fleming, Evar Bryce, uh, Vincent Astor, all these other characters that were involved in the infiltration of American of America and the creation of American intelligence because he was in control of the Double Cross Committee, which is the Double Cross system, which knew that America was going to get attacked at Pearl Harbor, but didn't think to tell us. This double cross system is the intelligence Rosetta Stone hub of the Anglo-American establishment. This is how British intelligence took over American intelligence by creating American intelligence. And it's still this way today 
which is why you can't see those JFK records because British intelligence has 75 years security and secrecy. That's the gist of what Tucker is telling you, but not telling you. What's Deep capture. Is, uh, I didn't realize this. Gubbins was born in Japan. This has been during the British sort of occupation, the Meiji Restoration, July 2nd, 1896. It was the younger son and third child of John Harrington Gubbins, or Oriental Society of the British Legation. That's really fascinating. I had no idea that he was his parent. Wonder that rings a lot of questions up into his parents, who his parents were then. Well, here, here's another MI6. Lingu linguist, consular official, and diplomat. Father of Sir Colin McBean Gubbins. Let's see what this leads to. This is the MI6 director that presided over yeah, the Cambridge Five spy ring. Same. Percy yeah. Silito. He used to work for De Beers. That's what qualified him to be in charge of MI6. He's covered in The Smugglers, The Rise and Fall of Diamonds by Edward J. Epstein. Oh, look at that. He's friends with Harry Oppenheimer, too. And John Cecil Masterman, who ran the double cross system and, and undermined America to get us into World War II. This is fascinating. The Diamond Smugglers. Maybe we should read about this, Tony. Is there a point? Oh, Ian Fleming wrote a story called The Diamond Smugglers? That's That's interesting. And then Edward J. Epstein, maybe he should be below that on there. Yeah, because he wrote that after Ian Fleming wrote that. So the Diamond Smugglers, Ian Fleming, about Spectre. I don't think we need to know about this, though. This sounds like fiction, even though it's connected to reality, Tony. What the hell is this? The most distinguished order of St. Michael and St. George, a British order of chivalry founded in 1818. Anyways, his father was a part of this organization called, uh, let me bring this up, Order of St. Michael and St. George. Oh, I got that. Yeah, the most distinguished order of St. Michael and St. George Saint... is the British Order of Chivalry, founded on April 28, 1818, by George IV, Prince of Wales, while he was acting as Prince Regent for his father, King George III. So that's the father of Colin Gibbon, Gubbins, excuse me, who's C. Uh, okay. In honor of two military saints, Michael and George, of course. All yeah. right. So I got, well, uh, wow. there's also that's interesting epic. sim. Yeah. So this is British Empire, Orders of Chivalry. And then you got all these interesting. Oh, Dr. David Kelly. Yeah. Now, wasn't he part of the wow. Baha'i group that we talked about a couple yeah, weeks yeah, ago? Yeah. And they, he's a weapons inspector around Port and Down. That's right. Interesting. What about Emma Georgina Rothschild? She's in that group. Lord mm -hmm. Kitchener, who runs those Kitchener, concentration oh, yeah. camps from the second. Uh, what was that? The Kingsman movie? Yes. He's he's in that movie. Uh, let's see. Good dude from the Rhodes Trust. Uh uh, well, it's uh, all oh, this Forbes guy, Walter Loge Forbes, yeah, Bruce Lockhart, MI6 guy. This is really, yeah, I'm sure there's nothing to this, this order. No, nothing. Can to Americans get so this like, order? Uh, Colin Gubbins, his father is essentially a part of this order, as well as being a um, a prince regent for his father, King the Third. I can't see Gubbins on here, so I'm going to add him I'm by sorry, extraction. That was uh, Prince of Wales, but still, he was the one who set up the order. Uh, which Prince of Wales? So, according to this, so Colin Gubbins' father, whose uh, name was, da, 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 what was it? It was John. Let's go back to John John Harrington Gubbins. Okay, so was a part of this organization called Order of Saint Michael and Saint George. This was set up by um, it's a British Order of Chivalry founded on April 28, eighteen eighteen, by George the Fourth, Prince of Wales. And this is while George the Fourth was acting as Prince Regent for his father, King George the Third. Um, it was basically set up 
originally awarded to those holding commands or high position in the Mediterranean territories acquired in the Napoleonic Wars and subsequently extended to holders of similar office or position in other territories of the British Empire. It is that present awarded to men and women who hold high office who or who render extraordinary or important non-military service to the United Kingdom in a foreign country, hence why its father, um, John Harrington Gubbins, was awarded it because he was a sort of diplomat um, at the British Japan Consular Service. So he's a part of the British. He, Gubbins was appointed a student interpreter in the British Japan Consular Service in 1871. And so it was part of sort of... You know, All right, so, when his, so he's second generation at least. And when Gubbins comes into it, you know, he's in charge of the special operations executive, which is their team of assassins, commandos like James Bond's character is is written as an SOE uh, player. OK, the insignia. But, but right here, you can see later in life, uh, he went to join uh, the, the builder group, Bilderberg group. I've never heard of that, but that's interesting. And then he was also supported the special forces club, which he had co-founded. The special forces club comes out. So there's no real special forces in uh as we know them today until after there's this group that includes the 30 au but the special operations executive is like a whole layer of their infrastructure that they never kind of told us about right it involves camp x where they're doing the assassin training ian fleming went to camp x for assassin training they're so they're not so much making up creative stories to entertain an American audience in Hollywood or in literature, they're kind of revealing their method and uh, their, their license to kill is being uh, uh, shared with America as America takes up the coup business. Coup, coup. Hmm. I heard a couple pigeons talking about a coup. That's a JFK joke from Bill Hicks. So there's a whole bunch of these operations, but then you get into, um, this British infiltration of the American intelligence community. And that's, that's what ends up in charge and benefiting from the death of JFK. And those people are still in power today, which is why you can't see the JFK rep records. Nope. No, not for you. That's why you can't see the Pfizer records. That's why they're running interference for the group of people who basically funded the Nazis and benefited from everything in the post Nazi era. It's the gist exactly right and i'm just yeah i'm just exploring what this military order is because this is very extensive i know any one of these is really interesting and it's yes. not a rabbit hole it's learning about the world we live in using exactly. evidence artifacts and things before they censor everything and make it a a disney world like here truman just show give, just to give an example of the composition of this order the british sovereign is the sovereign of the order and appoints all their members of the order by convention on the advice of the government the next most senior member is the grandmaster the office mm. was formerly filled by the Lord High Commissioner of the Ionian Islands. That'd be like uh, Western Turkey today. Or, or, yeah, Western Turkey. Now, however, grandmasters are chosen by the sovereign. Grandmasters include Sir Thomas Ma uh, Maitland, Prince Adolphus, Duke of Cambridge, Prince George, Duke of Cambridge, George, Prince of Wales, uh, Edward, Prince of Wales, Alexander Cambridge, First Earl of Athlone, um, Edward Wood, First Earl of Halifax, Harold Alexander, First Al Earl Alexander of Tun or Tunis, and Prince Edward, Duke of Kent. So this Duke. is uh, an interesting, you can see the insignia. Let's see here. This is what they, look at that gold. So that's what they're It means about. nothing. Those yeah. are just symbols to that St. George, I guess. Patron He's slaying the dragon? He's slaying the dragon. What's that yeah. dragon symbol? And you have the crown is that dragon also so in Prince Charles's 
uh, regalia and uh, iconography. Does that mean the crown stands above the sun? Is that like sort of rays of the sun? Well, crown means corona means crown, crown yeah. which right. means something to do with the sun, doesn't it? Yeah, the two lions with wings on either side, the crown above. You can yeah. see the heavy symbolism. Do you oh, guys see I'm wearing my St. George's shirt tonight? <laughs> no, what do you got? Uh, synchronicity. Uh, Let me see. Oh, yeah. Tony's on screen. There we go. Let's see. Uh, oh, I got to switch things. Woo. Yeah, you got to push a button and, and mission yeah. control over there. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> this is from like sophomore no. year football, I think. Now that's, uh, that's, that's also Tucker Carlson's alma mater, right? That's right. And Prescott Press Bush. Where is that? In Maryland? Newport, Rhode Island. Rhode Island. Right, okay. right there where uh, Ocean Drive. Where they have those, those big nice mansions. mansions. From the people in the opium wars back in the day who didn't lose the war. They were the, the ones Boston. funding the war. Indeed. The Boston Brahmin style or the metaphysical club. Yeah, Boston Brahmins, the whole Eastern establishment style. There you go. Yeah. yeah. Fit right in with the Georgetown set. <laughs> Georgetown. That's right. That's absolutely right. So, yeah, you can kind of see. So, he's part of this weird order. And out of that, you got Colin Gibbons, who happens to be, you know, setting up the British, you know, assassination well, camps and training and yeah i mean they, auxiliary they, camps i think is what the technical term was right so yeah i'm trying to remember the the, the two british guys that did the hand-to-hand combat i know i covered it in a peace revolution episode a couple years back when i did the history of combatives but I if uh, they studied under like is they learned by beating asian people i was gonna they say came, they yeah. came they were shanghai cops and yes. they're like look here's how to handle and then they the the military's like teach everybody yeah and then that was the beginning of combatives training and i was trying to remember what that because there's name. a in the middle east there's a big sort of history in regards to assassins obviously and asia as well um, so i just wondered where they got it and i wouldn't it wouldn't surprise me at the occupation of those territories Especially, I mean, that could go back hundreds, if not over a thousand years, back to the Crusades, even because a lot of those innovations, if you want to call them that, were in practice even during those times. Yeah. So the special the operation gist, organizations for assassins that carried out. Yeah. So the clandestine activity is here. Let me uh, go back to this book before we get rid of it. All right. So this book is called C. It is the story of sir stuart graham mangies is how you pronounce it it looks like menzies but you pronounce it in their vernacular as mangies and uh you can check up on that spy master to winston churchill so churchill depends on this guy and he this is this is running intelligence during the biggest uh wartime effort over in britain now you had uh the death of c on 1923 his official residence in Queen Anne's Gate, Admiral Sir Hugh Sinclair, became the chief of the Secret Service. So C dies, Sinclair takes over. He's known as Quex, like uh, Cumming, who was the C character running MI6 during the Bolshevik War. Um, that's the time of Sidney Riley. And then you get over here, they're talking about Ian Fleming and his roles. Hold but on, that's was, not, but that's not what. Yeah, was Colin Gubbins when he died? Was he taken? Was it taken over by Mengis, or is that? Am I, I think no. I think uh, uh, Gubbins ended up working under 
quacks and then under mengis oh, that makes more to sense. create yeah because soe much longer than that he had to have because he was his timeline is he died in 1976 okay so they're saying 1923 in that book when c dies see there was c's earlier before yeah Kong. and this is what uh, you know uh that, that a, goes back into, in a bond movie they call him m Right. I wonder if that's covered in dope ink at all, because that would get back in 19th century um, British State Department sort of machinations. But anyways. So just like Tucker said that uh, Mike Pompeo and these other guys, they they're running the CIA. So they know what's in those boxes. They know what's in those documents. They're the ones holding them back, saying it's bad for the agency. Over on the other side of the pond, this guy, Mengis. They're, you know, he's in charge of the ultra. He's seeing all the decrypts. He's the only one who gets to see all the intercepts, right? Those intercepts in, in the time of Churchill, Churchill in world war one was working in room 40. Operation sea lion. That's what he was, yeah. saw the intercepts. They knew the Lusitania was going to be sunk and they let it go. So that America would get into world war one. This is world war two. So now Churchill's in control. Because he was the badass who got America into the World War One and helped out with the other uh, agreements that were being cut at that time and went with the narrative. He's now in control. And this guy is the Churchill on the spot. He's looking at all the intercepts. They're working in the double cross system. He's working at, the, at some point under John Cecil Masterman. He sees that they, they're getting the questionnaires from Japan because they've got spies in Japan and Nazi Germany. They know they're going to attack Pearl Harbor. And they're like, great, uh, let's let's take it to America and help get these questions answered so they can get America into the war. So what turned into later the joint intelligence committee of the Anglo-American establishment. I mean, it has a long history, so I'm not, I wasn't just satiated when I learned the history of OSS and CIA, a great book to read will be the old boys by Burton Hirsch. Oh, it's yeah, going to yeah. tell you it's the wall street elite and the organization they created. It's, you know, over here, uh, wall street lawyers create the intelligence agencies. And in the UK, the big brother country, it's uh, city of London bankers that create the intelligence agencies. And from that, you know, that lawyers work for people with money. So bankers, then lawyers are number two. Who does number two work for? The London the city of London bankers who have a, a intelligence agency that can conduct the assassination of a sitting president in the United States, not just once, but probably twice, if you look at the evidence, and successfully cover it up beyond reasonable doubt because the enemy speaks the same language as we do. I mean, That's some Manchurian candidate shit. It's interesting, sort of like, <clears throat> just going through even the wiki of this, it says here, this is Colin Gubbins. His experiences in the Russian, this is the interwar period between World War One and World War II. This is sort of where he's learning how to manipulate both sides double cross so this is what it's stated here just on the wiki alone it says here quote his experiences in the russian civil war and the irish war of independence stimulated his lifelong interest in what he called irregular warfare one of the lessons drawn from the latter war was the importance of captured enemy documents which had provided the security forces with a wealth of invaluable intelligence on the ira upon later establishing soe one of the key security uh, features entered introduced was quote commit as little as possible to writing memorize if you can if you must carry that's um uh he says angleton that's his memory sort of the idea that he was in in, in in and of himself a database anyways back to the wiki if you must carry documents select what you must carry burn all secret waste and carbons end quote after a period with signals intelligence at G ghq india Gubbins graduated from the staff college of quetta in 1928 in 1931, uh, was appointed GSO-3 in the Russian section of the War Office, 
having been promoted to uh, brevet major. In 1935, he joined MT-1, the policymaking branch of the military training directorate. In October 1938, in the aftermath of the Munich Agreement, he was sent to Sudetenland as a military member of the International Commission, promoted to brevet lieutenant colonel. He joined GSR, later to become MIR in April 1939. He co-wrote training manuals on irregular warfare tactics for resistance movements, later translated and dropped into occupied Europe. He was also he also made a visit to Warsaw to discuss sabotage and subversion with the Polish general staff. And that's just sort of like the basic, basic, basic stuff you'll get from Wiki that shows you the interest in making sure that they have intercepts documentation but they themselves don't commit anything to writing playing both sides making sure what they're not saying there is creating also false documentation which is a key british hallmark in regards to dossiers and memos and you know uh creating sort of false narratives that are needed in order to get america into war or you know propagandize whatever side against each other even though they act as though they're on our side that's how double cross works yeah we're on your side but you know we're just going to withhold information or tell you fake information in order to make sure that you stay on our side and by our side we mean do what we want you to do well they even put it right there in the name they call it the 20 committee because it's xx but xx in latin roman numerals is 20 well what is xx also it's a double cross and they use x2 the american version is still xx they just call it x2 it's still double cross it's the americans who are loyal to the opium syndicate working with our former enemy the british empire to undermine america and bring it back into a global government situation like cecil rhodes and his uh, coterie of acolytes who followed in his footsteps want, still want to this day ironically enough i mean they're here, close to even... getting it but this Grand Theft what, World stands in their way. So go he's ahead. A part, he's a part of the prime mover being one of the main individuals that helped set up this organization called Special, that you alluded to, Rich, Special Operations Executive. And it was a secret British World War II organization founded in July 22nd, 1940 under Minister of uh, Economic Warfare, Hugh Dalton. And from the amalgamation of three existing secret organizations, its purpose was to conduct espionage, sabotage, and reconnaissance in occupied Europe, and later also in occupied Southeast Asia against the Axis. And in America, they, those right. are SOE agents that they sent here. There's British Security Coordination, BSC, that was set up in Rockefeller Center, but they sent spies from SOE, uh, Ian Fleming, Roald yes. Dahl. Oh, so Ian Fleming wrote- well, It says here that Baker Street are right. Those who are part of the liaison- uh, Liaised with it were sometimes referred to as the Baker Street Irregulars. Right, uh, which comes from Sherlock Holmes, yes. who was written by Conan Doyle, who said he wanted America back in the British Empire. So these guys take a name from a guy who started this whole Anglo-American idea before Cecil Rhodes even was in power, right? That was a yeah. Pilgrim Society book that refers uh, to Conan Doyle having yeah, that Conan agenda. Doyle. So Baker Street Irregulars, who are they? Oh, they're just children's book writers. You got this guy who wrote uh, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, Roald Dahl. You got this guy who wrote Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, Ian Fleming. These are just, they're not assassins in your country. These are just like, they're people working with, uh, you know, the British diplomats in Washington. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Don't worry if they're killing people in America who might be pro-German. Don't here, worry about it. Just Nothing to see there. 1938, this. before America's into the war. Like, they are like, I don't know, encroaching. Just just to wrap it, you know, absolutely. I mean, just to wrap it up, here's the three. So they mentioned it's an amalgamation of three organizations. So what are those three organizations? 
this is sort of fascinating. This is just under origins. The organization was formed from the merger of three existing secret departments, which had been formally shortly formed shortly before the outbreak of the Second World War. Immediately after Germany annexed Austria in March 1930, the Foreign Office created a propaganda organization known as Department EH after Electra House, its headquarters, run by Canadian newspaper magnate Sir Campbell Stewart. Later that month, the Secret Intelligence Service, SIS, also known as MI6, formed a section known as Section D, the D apparently standing for destruction, under Major Lawrence Grand to investigate the use of sabotage, propaganda, and other irregular means to weaken the enemy. In the autumn of the same year, the War Office expanded an existing research department known as GSR and appointed Major J.C. Holland as its head to conduct research into guerrilla warfare. GSR was renamed MIR in early 1939. So those are the three organizations that then end up becoming the special uh, and under the special operations, operations executive, uh, you got veterans like Sir Kenneth Ken Adams. You know who he was? He's Kubrick's production designer. Right. And actually, when you look around the people who are around Kubrick, there might be a lot of ex-spies working around Good Stanley. Oh, you mean like right? all the NASA individuals that were helping out in 2001 in space? Obviously. Yeah. So here's the Very SOE strange. guy, Sir Kenneth Ken Adam, James Bond production designer. Also 2001 Space Odyssey, also Barry Lyndon, also Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, also Dr. Strangelove, also Goldfinger. I wonder why they're so interesting. Moonraker, in Spy Who Loved Me, Spy Who Shagged Me. Moonraker is fascinating because that's eugenics right there. Thunderballs. We'll hear that story in a couple minutes. We're changing it up after this. You only live twice. You're going to bring the hammer to the Thunderballs? Reincarnation film by... No. Is it like so, Thor's hammer? Thunder but here's the other guys. Now look. You want other people we worked with, with Broccoli, Harry Salzman, Ian Fleming, Kenneth Graham, Ken Hughes, Paul Dean. These are other guys. Roald Dahl. Roald Dahl. These are other Stanley Kubrick. So when you get to Kubrick and who was he working around, you had, uh, let's see, there's Herman Kahn. There's Vladimir Nabokov. Where's the one? Oh, Sir Ken Adams' guy. Penn, Pinewood Studios where Stanley's filming. That's a big MI6 film shop right there. So for Kubrick to do these movies in a place where GCHQ, MI6, the, the, these guys were working in this place. And there's a whole bunch. There's a whole history of, of British uh, filmmaking. I think that uh, was, that, was that after Dr. Strangelove, too, that a lot of the, those individuals or that one in particular? Uh, or was it? We no, I, th I think it was since the early 60s that they were working together. Well, so even with Dr. Strangelove, that's fascinating. They would allow him to do Dr. Strangelove. And then political warfare executive. Maybe it's over here. The other filmmakers are because I was trying to find where's the other uh, brothers. There was brothers that had a film company that did a bunch like the H.G. Wells film. Uh, Things to come is mm -hmm. produced by a film company. It might be right here. Uh, and that film company is run by MI6 and they use it as a front company to send into all these different countries and under the auspices of making a film, they are conducting intelligence. It's like that movie Fargo, only they were doing it for like a hundred years. Now I'm trying to find that guy's name, but I can look for it because we can yeah. change out of this topic. You guys get the point. This isn't new stuff. It's connected to history. You need to become uh, you need to become familiar but, with but the general grammar, the the and, prime movers and shakers, and the organizations, and the evolution of those organizations around you. But the fact that we're now into cinema and mass media propaganda, propaganda, oh, propagandizing, is. and sort of uh, narrative control. I mean, that I just shows it. you how deep it goes. Yep, go ahead. Alexander Corda, 
worked yeah. for Quex at MI6, um, was mentored by Stevenson, was part of the Z organization, which is interesting, uh, was a filmmaker, and he has a brother, Zoltan Korda, and together, and Vincent Korda, and they, they had Korda Films. So Korda Films produced Things to Come by H.G. Wells, and they had a comp- uh, London Films was the mi6 front company they made oh, jungle, jungle book, book. Wow. kim after kim philby and, yep. and rudyard kipling's keep in memory a, a game to groom kids and teach them how to be spies right mm-hmm. and with this zoltan corda alexander corda you know z organization front they're able to go in these countries and and uh, make different uh things so the the kim kim philby kim roosevelt they're named after this keep in memory game Kim's game, keep in memory. So when you get into, they've been grooming kids to be intelligence agents, but also what other great games are they playing out there? There's also Kim's game being used in these other things that tie to some Baden Powell type of, you know, Cecil Rhodes, Levat Scouts stuff. We'll get to in a couple hours. Maybe we'll see when we get to this news or maybe we're going to get to it sooner than I think. This is, you know, this the origins of the scouting movement and the people who were the commandos. <clears throat> There's a heavy overlap, if you see what I'm saying and building out. When you see something like these scouting sex abuses, of which, like, there's a lot of them. There's a lot of them. There's two elements going on. One, they abuse the children, and two, then they take these traumatized, abused children and train them to become assassins, to become special military operations men. So there's so they take some again, there's a pattern of abuse. MK right? Ultra. Yeah, that's what's yeah. and that was going on before behaviorism was even founded as a science. Yeah. Yeah. In, the, people in the woods of Rhodesia, it was yeah, going on. There you on. go. Right. Exactly. Yeah. All right, right, so, so there's a pattern of taking traumatic people and then using them to commit heinous atrocities, crimes, assassinations, murders, special operations for military, intelligence gathering. And that's where you get Epstein and stuff like that of what we're dealing with in the modern day. And well, and, you like know, when many, you've got many, Common many, Core, many. when yeah. Common Core's psychosocial checklist asks first graders about their sexual identity issues, yeah. that's you can tell that's, it's into that globalist Common Core education. I'm sorry, indoctrination system that a Rhodes Scholar helped to create, David Coleman. Yeah, that goes name. back to critical theory and Georg Lukacs and Herbert Marcuse and those individuals overturning, you know, basic principles and values of mankind. Common core relativistic view on reality. David Coleman, Rhodes Scholar. Oh, so there. So Common Core follows in the road in the Rhodes, Rhodes Scholar. Oh, so if Cecil Rhodes was a pederast and a Rhodes Scholar, someone who follows after Cecil Rhodes is designing Common Core. I don't know. Maybe there's something to be seen there. Or maybe they keep it in the woods so no one can hear them scream. I don't know. Oh, Jesus. Jesus wouldn't like it. No, he wouldn't like it at all. I don't think. But if he was here, he'd probably get canceled like Kanye. Just saying. All right, so let's change up. I want to go to this Jason Burmis clip where he's talking about the rocket man. No, I'm not talking about Elon (laughs) Musk. I'm talking about Elton John because I was a little incredulous when I heard good jason you know and he even says he's like look dude i love elton john's music it's been there it's part of our culture he's like but there's some other stuff you should know about this and i was like okay dude i don't know if i'm gonna be surprised but let's hear it 
And when he brought up that Russell Brand called it out on stage and never got sued, I thought, in fact, Russell Brand has only gotten bigger since he said such things, I think. So I don't know what that's all about, but uh, it's worth learning about because in the context of some of these other stories that happened this week, I think we need to look at this history. And see oh, that can bigger. also possibly segue into the O.L. Roth. Yeah, absolutely. I want to go to the Crowder yeah. clip on that. And, yeah. you know, I liked Crowder's treatment of the Twitter files with tw Trump getting banned and stuff like that. But I don't think that's the biggest trove. No, the old raw thing he had this week yeah. was was fire. He did it a good job. Needs to be put in a time capsule so people yeah. in the future could relate to what we're going through back here. Because they're going to say, how could people ever go along with all that stuff? Just like people used to say, how could the Germans ever do all well, those? How well, could they do it? You just showed it psychosis on the going on. We're yeah, documenting it. You showed it on the screen with the history blueprint. Like that's how that's how much clandestine activity and machinations it takes to get to the point at which we exist in our current culture. Yeah, it takes a lot to get it this fucked up, but it also takes a, a lot of knowledge and understanding to get it unfucked up from this situation. So this is why it's the re revitalization of america and not demoralization it's the remoralization of america because all these leaks are coming out there's a lot of good whistleblowers we're still going to talk about tonight leaking this stuff out and uh you know i i got hope i got optimism i'm a white pill type of person and uh i think that the more that people see other whistleblowers coming out people from wuhan lab and stuff like that coming out the you know the more the merrier they're going to see the the tide is turning people are pushing back and if you want freedom not to be dead forever now's the time to push i'm spartacus let's you know let's let's go forward yeah so let's check stop out this taking it yeah stop take it take it <laughs> and now he's now he's going back to try That's to find that burma show yeah oh it well mars this. ain't the kind of place to raise your kids in fact mars it's cold as hell please no it's not unless your name is elon and oh, you're a fan man. of von braun cool. then it would be a type of place to raise and there's no one there to raise them if you did and all the science i don't understand well he's not a fan of fauci clearly he should be terminated what are elon musk's it. pronouns again prosecute fauci. prosecute and fauci oh, prosecute last and i checked fauci. Yeah, that's right. yeah about the and yeah it was like a forward slash so it's like also Fauci, maybe. That's his version of an and because he speaks kind of yeah, high language. Yeah. 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 He's running on an algorithm. Makes sense. Like Lex Friedman. Very much so. <laughs> Very much so. See, he the passes... problem is Elon Musk is like version one. It's like the beta version. So Lex Friedman's like I got news for everybody. Turing didn't even pass the Turing test. Well, the Turing test is found to have certain built-in recur recursive paradoxes that make it not a viable solution for determining conscious machines but anyways we can get into that if we're in the and area. the origins of the apple logo later is it is it uh because of turing and he ate a poison apple or is it because of the garden of eden talk amongst yourselves let us know in the chat comment below which do you think it is both also and there you go also slash and good answer elon thank you all right great let's go to this clip by jason Burmis. Uh, he's not followed by Elon yet, but Luke is. So maybe uh, Elon will start following Burma's brigade. Let's go to JB. And he's going to tell us about the rocket man crashing and burning, getting off Twitter. Oh boy. Doesn't self land. You love. Good morning, everybody. I am Jason Burmas. This is reality rants. And 
I don't know if I fever dreamed this story, but on the way to the broadcast, I had forgot I hadn't brought it up and then I couldn't find it. And that usually doesn't happen to me. So Burma's Brigade, I realize it's early, but if you're out there and you can find this story, um, it's going to go in association really with everything we're going to kick this off with. And that is the entertainment industry, um, the over-the-top sexual abuse of not only women via the Me Too movement, but what? Children as well, okay? And the sexualizing of children. And the initial story that got me to want to do this uh, really doesn't have anything to do with that. So the initial story that, wanted, that, that got me ready for, for this was, and maybe I fever dreamed it, or maybe it was an old story. Uh, I, I thought I even maybe tweeted it out. I, I go through my feed in the morning and sometimes uh, I, I don't see everything. But it was a story that a judge was ruling that documents that uh, had been kind of locked up in the court system would have to be unsealed in this case against uh, Elton John via sexual harassment. Now, that case had nothing to do with kids at all. But over the years, I've reported on Elton John because he deserves reporting on. And look, it's so hard. Because yeah, Rocket Man, big song. Hey, hey. You know, a lot of people love it. Tiny Dancer. I grew up as a kid watching The Lion King. And even for being like, uh, you know, in my preteens to teens, I think well, it might have been teenager, 94, so whatever. But, but that soundtrack was phenomenal. Phenomenal. Elton John. Just great stuff. That doesn't mean he's not a monster. I'm not saying he's a monster, but it doesn't exclude him from the idea that the things that maybe he does behind closed doors aren't so great. And obviously that's a huge danger in a celebratard, infotainment-driven society, one of which we've been accustomed to really for about a century now on a mass level. You know, with, with the advent of the Industrial Revolution and communication systems and real-time radio, broadcasts even. The propaganda has ramped up so much that unfortunately the general populace idolizes, idolizes dreams of interacting with, of being around celebrity, period. And because of that, you don't want to think the worst of your favorite actor or your favorite actress, or your favorite movie star, or your favorite television character, etc. But sometimes you have to separate the art from the artist. So again, maybe I fever dreamed it, but apparently um, I, I thought there was going to be unsealed court documents via a former Elton John case. And it, it's very possible that I didn't fever dream it, and it is a new story, and he's just got people that are just great at scrubbing that internet. we Just to find the stories that we're gonna go over via archived, it's not easy sometimes. It's not easy. So let's let's inter integrate it with the, the news of the day, 
You know, and the news of the day every day now is Twitter, 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 Twitter. And don't worry. We'll talk about the muskernuts. We'll talk about Twitter. And this one was just so juicy that I couldn't lead with it. Elton John says he's leaving Twitter. Elon Musk wants him back. Really? Really? You want him back, huh? Breaking news. Elton wants out of Twitter. Elon wants him back. And... You know, I, I I didn't cover it yesterday. I guess I'll, I'll I wasn't gonna really kick it off, but then since this integrated with it, oh, oh, oh look at that! We'll get there in a minute. Uh, we might as well. Muskernuts here was brought on stage by Dave Chappelle, and, and look, Elon Musk is a persona, is a smart guy, but he's middle management middle management for these people and uh johnny vedmore who i've had on the broadcast and will have to have on uh, the broadcast again in the near future has been digging into the origins of a lord elon and from his research uh, a lot of people go back to zip 2 as kind of where musk was at in uh the mid to late 90s but vedmore has uncovered some information that suggests that Musk was working for Microsoft in the early to mid 90s, cementing that association with Bill Gates, sustainability, the green agenda, which which Musk still pushes, pushes it hard, right? But Musk is now, uh, you know, the hero of the fourth industrial revolution we got some clips later of the villain of the fourth industrial revolution klaus nutschwab and the gang and what the model really is and what sustainability really means and since we're talking about the royal family here and we're going to be talking about the royal family via elton john we've got some clips of uh charles talking about that agenda but we got a lot to get to here a lot to get to by the way 175 watching let's thumbs it up subscribe and share so i'm not gonna bore everybody with this with this clip he, they're out in san francisco and he gets cheers and he gets booze and I, I think the media loves to jump on this one because first of all they're just going to talk about the booze and the narrative is somehow elon musk is a bastion for free speech for one side and then a villain for the other and all these people are like, oh, we'll show you Fauci. Fauci's saying his life is in danger because of Elon Musk. This is classic narrative control, right? This is classic limited hangout. Like I said yesterday, we're not getting the blacklist. No one's going to see the full list of people that had restrictions against their count. And when it started, instead, we're getting what? We're getting name brands. And, and it's good that this documentation is getting into the public arena because you can integrate it with other information and show people that it goes well beyond what's being discussed on even Fox News, right? So many people tell, oh, well, Fox is, co Fox is covering a little bit of it, but they're not covering the real aspects, okay? So uh, the, most of the country that, that are booing Elon Musk, they are booing him, in my opinion, for the wrong reasons. And then anybody who's cheering for Elon Musk, they're cheering him for the wrong reasons. And I like Dave Chappelle, too. You know, I'm not in these inner circles. I don't know what it's like to hang out with a gang. Okay, I just, no clue. None. But 
I'm, I'm sure on one level, Musk is integrated enough with his companies that he can talk about certain aspects of it. And that's what he's there for. But he is a driving force for military industrial complex technology, again, which we'll go over later. I don't want to get too far away from Elton. Okay, so Musk wants Elton back. Why would you want him back? Russell Brand, love him or hate him. Uh, another guy that, you, you know, I follow Russell Brand on Twitter. And I haven't seen Russell Brand's tweets in a long time. A long time. All right. In fact, the only time I think I ever really did see Russell Brand's tweets or do, and I haven't seen them in a while, is when somebody else that I'm following and interacting with in DMs, like that's someone I really know, retweets him. So this is a story uh, from 2013. I've been covering this one almost a decade. By the way, we're going to go even further back on Elton John. Russell Brand had a show called Brand X on uh, FX TV. And if you've ever been to one of these live screenings in Hollyweird, if you've ever made that that jump to the the left coast, the west coast, into <laughs> onto a lot of dreams and fantasies, uh, you'll know that there's always like a pre-show. Sometimes they have another comedian or act come out, warm the audience up with the applause in front of them. And they got a producer telling you to break and when you're going to clap and the whole nine. And occasionally, you know, Daily Show style or back in the day, Quarter Report, you'll have the host come out and do a little bit that won't be on television. Okay. In the pre-recording. And in this pre-record, okay, just want to put it out there. In this pre-record, let's just hit the button here. We'll do it live. Uh, comedian alleges two UK showbiz stars are, uh, we'll just say child abusers, to shocked TV audience. Now, in the article, they were too scared to publish the names. And uh, some say old Elton John is playing around. Now, I did my due diligence back in the day to find out who uh, the two people were. And it was indeed Elton John and John Barrymore were the uh, two individuals named by brand in on the Hollywood scene almost a decade ago before an audience. All right. Now, there's another case. I'm, I'm, there's several cases with old Elton. Old Elton. He's been playing around. Really. He's on his farewell tour and he's quitting Twitter and Musk wants him back. What? If any of these allegations, he should be in prison. In prison. If any of these allegations are true. And the strange case of Sir Elton's obscene photo. Okay. And they talk about um, Scotland Yard and basically these photographs that were supposed to be artwork of children. And all I'm going to say is I haven't gone far enough down that rabbit hole to see what the alleged images were. Not my thing. I, I, I could take it. In fact, what I'm going to show you already kind of disturbed me that came up in a thread that I was tagged in from that post in years ago. All right. So basically someone had uh, 
reposted that on a thread about Elton, and perhaps um, maybe that's the top where I where I've seen this. Okay, it started with Elton John right here um, in in the feed that uh, he's going to leave Twitter. All my life, I've tried to use music to bring people together, yet it saddens me to see how misinformation is now being used to divide our world. Always been used, and it's been used to protect people in power, protect the entertainment industry, protect people in the royal family that you hobnob with, LN, or have in the past. For instance, we're going to show you um, that not only was Seville a good friend of the royal family, he was considered apparently to be Prince Harry's godfather. Okay? This misinformation train is another sell-up by, by the Klausians out there, the Schwab nuts. Okay? I've decided to no longer use Twitter, given their recent change in policy, which will allow misinformation to flourish unchecked. No. Uh, listen, again, I'm not happy... I'm not bending the knee to Elon Musk by any means. We, we, we're talking about it. But that's the narrative that somehow someone who's doing the bare minimum, bare minimum for free speech, like all of a sudden, at least there's not fact checks on the side. And by the way, Epstein is trending and New World Order was trending also today. I love your music. Hope you come back. Yeah, is there any misinformation in particular that you're concerned about? And I like how Carrie Lake, man. Yeah, I got to get Carrie Lake on the program. I'm sure I can. She does a lot of interviews. Um, she's fantastic. She says, by misinformation, I think he means truth. By the way, we don't have a th hundred thumbs up. We're about to get down and dirtier with Elton John and only so dirty. Okay. So. In this thread, all of a sudden, and I don't want to go too far down, but we're going to go to the, we're actually going to go to this story in a second that's coming up here. Uh, so now, Sir Elton John is a what you call it, or is that you hate homosexuals and you wish all of them would just fall off the face of the earth? Either way, here you are making the world a better place, one hate-filled tweet at a time. Basically, he was saying. Uh, He's more upset that Twitter has cleaned up uh, the the vast amount of CP footage that was on on the platform. Okay, now again, I'm not there. I'm not saying one thing or the other. But then he comes back, and and by the way, don't care if you're gay. Do your thing as an adult. Do your thing. I, I don't care as an adult. But we've already seen the sexualization of children. All right, and we know people in on high levels are into this stuff. So so we talk about that 2013 story. We talk about the airport story. All right, how about this one? Elton John makes the Cub Scouts trip. Um, so here's the actual article. And basically, Elton John put a performance on back in the uh, late 90s with teenage uh, boys dressed up as Cub Scouts. Was it harmless high camp or a assault on wee campers? Sir Elton John infuriated British scouting leaders on Sunday night when he performed with six strip-teasing teenagers 
attired in Cub Scout uniforms. The boys grabbed their crotches and bared themselves down to their skimpy shorts to the tune of It's a Sin by the Pet Shop Boys. Oh. Oh, you thought the drag queen story time and all that other stuff to sexualize your children well, it was new. No, it's just gotten worse and more normalized. And when a celebritard did it back in the day, it was largely ignored. It is pretty deplorable and in bad taste what they have done in terms of denigrate our, denigrating our uniform and what it stands for. Now, look, the Boy Scouts certainly have their issues. I, and we know that. But anywhere where you have access to children outside of their parents and people in a hierarchical structure of power, you're going to have those issues. And it's, a, it's so unfortunate. It. So that goes on for quite a while. Go over to uh, Burmese's Rockfin page. Go over and support him at Red Voice Media. He's doing a morning show over there. All sorts of good stuff coming out of the Burmese Brigade all the time. But he just ended with, e <clears throat> not Elon, Elton, Elton and the Cub Scouts on stage, scantily clad as sexual objects, not in the educational metaphor, but as something that I think if there weren't thousands of Cub Scout sexual abuse cases that you can easily find, type in Cub Scouts sexual abuse, CNN, MSNBC, Slate. All these uh, left-wing outlets that don't talk about Epstein's client list, they were, they were happy to tell you about Boy Scout stuff going on back then. They used to care about child abuse and such things. <clears throat> but then they got the word from Buckingham Palace that that's off, that's off limits, just like JFK's death files. Well, if anything, they got people sympathetic to that sort of behavior to be the, edi the editorialists or the um, journalists, you know, <clears throat> the editors and journalists, in other words. So the people that are privy to that sort of thing and they get promoted. It's like a privy council they got going. Yeah. It is like a privy council. LD, can you bring up the uh, Cecil Rhodes pederasty from the Washington Post reference? Oh, yeah. Because uh, I was looking for this article while he brings it up. Now, Washington Post, I'm, I'm sorry you guys have to lay off all those people and that people aren't finding your news interesting enough to stay in business. Um, we're not hiring, so don't don't apply here. Uh, we're at least not hiring from the Washington Post. That's what that means. Now, this uh, Washington Post article is not available unless you subscribe. And I said to the production chat, I said, hey, I found this article. It appears that it references Cecil Rhodes as a pederast, but I can't see the article. And LD thoughtfully was able to access the article. And he sent me some screenshots. And the screenshots look something like this. Oh, he he has it on the archive type thing, way back machine type situation. Is that what that is? That's right. Yeah. Uh, oh, how useful get... the way back machine. It's like a time machine. It's yeah, almost. But this this movie does have a plot that we're in, so it's good. Yeah, I was able to bypass the paywall with archive.is or VN or whichever. Yeah. Uh, this is not. This is a book review from August third of nineteen eighty three, in the Washington Post, where democracy apparently dies in darkness. Um, and yeah, it's it's about the second of a trilogy uh, called Men and Men. There's a passage that I highlighted for you down here. Um, ah, somewhere. See, I had it. 
That's hang right. On, we're doing it live. Hang on. I didn't. I didn't Enhance. tell him I was going to call on him for this. Well, Enhance. Enhance. That's a Super Troopers reference. Oh, there it is. Uh, yeah, so this passage, the central figure in the trilogy is Cecil Rhodes, the anguished pederast, whose genius, ruthlessness, and imperial vision were one of the wonders of the age. He built an immense fortune from diamonds and gold in South Africa, and that was but the beginning of his fevered dreams. It is sneak the pederast. It's like Burmese's fever dream. Hey, look, look, at, look at how that's it like says. the winning phrase Pederast of this podcast. Who, Fever dream. <laughs> oh boy, that could be that could be taken out of context in many different ways. Look how it says. Uh, go up a little bit, LD. Mm. It says like the anguished pederast whose genius, ruthlessness, and imperial vision were one of the wonders of the age. I mean, they sort of sneak that qualifier in there, like, oh yeah, he was just he happened to be a pederast as well, and also a major imperialist and genius. It's like what? He, what? So what? he's hanging out with Kipling. What? A writer of children's books, just like uh, Ian Fleming and these other guys who come later. And if you don't think Kipling was working in intelligence, he is the storyteller from the man who would be king that we mentioned a couple hours ago. So uh, John Bilger Skinner, I think, is Rhodes's buddy's name. Let me go to the history blueprint over here and type in so we can see the origin of the scouting movement, because I think that's interesting. Right. Uh, Skinner, uh, John Skinner, Belge Wilson. Origin of the scouting movement. Oh, special operations executive. That's interesting. This is such a small world. Yep. Lord Hugh Dalton. People yep. were talking about earlier. Camp X assassin training. Oh, my goodness. Cecil there. Rhodes follower is, is Wilson. So he's in charge of the world's organization of the scout movement. And he was mentored by Robert Baden-Powell. First Baden-Powell, who is also an interesting guy. He might have also had some inclinations for... Uh, boys in the woods he's in charge of the the lavat scouts which were you know they had to recruit young people into the military to fight down in the boer war and rhodesia and whatnot so uh to get to be a lavat scout which was the british soldiers down there they would have like these uh cub scout type things go off in the woods with the older guys and learn some you know stuff and john skinner belge wilson was one of these and then who was the other guy involved charles warren later but Robert Baden-Powell was best friends with Cecil John Rhodes. And so there's a clique, a coterie. And over here, you see the others, Dalton, Kipling, Earl Gray, Albert Gray, fourth Earl Gray. Um, uh, who's the other one? Low. But just the overlap between Kim's game, the training of spies, the grooming of children, and British intelligence is a very, very small, tightly woven web that leads into the boy scouts of america and you know the the abuses that were going on and probably still ongoing are not limited to just boy scouts they're probably going on in girl scouts and the world scouting movement as a whole well, and burma said it best i mean any organization that takes children away from their parents and you know has some sort of third party that's supposed to oversee the operation that's where you're always going to get abuse cases like that the catholic church um, obviously the Boy Scouts of America, Boy Scouts of whatever country, because it's an international organization, you know, that stems all the way back to the 19th century. So I don't know when it started, was founded and the institution was, um, set up in America, but nonetheless, like anytime you take children, education, the school system, I mean, Gatto re relayed a story. I don't know if it was, I forget. It was Just the fact the that people, the people who brought us commandos, the guys who made the SOE. 
also uh, are bringing you the world scouting because they need to take traumatized, abused children. They're the best to be able to control and utilize for, you know, um, military operations or whatever operations they deem are necessary. So it's not a surprise. And then ultimately, those types of organizations are going to attract like attracts like. And so whether it's the Catholic Church or the Boy Scouts or, you know, entertainment in Hollywood, the these individuals find a safe haven in these areas, find easy access to what they're interested in. And then it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy from there. And it's absolutely fucking evil and disgusting. But that's that's the reality. And parents need to have uh, more conscientiousness greater judgment and discernment in regard to the institution they allow their children to frequent or not frequent in regards to what's going on with them. I mean, when you, when your child is supposed to be taken away from you and educated in some fashion, whether it's the boy Scouts or theology or the Catholic church or in Hollywood to become a you know famous movie star or something like that should be pretty dubious to that sort of accusation. Now that now that the school system, what's going on with children in the school system with grooming I mean, it's uh, this has been a long orchestrated plot by individuals that are unfortunately and tragically interested in this sort of absolute evil, which is really well. It's almost it like they're the they're being put into a panopticon situation and then experimented on. Oh, you mean the guy who like came some up some sort with, of human products? The guy who came up with utilitarianism. Well, he's a pederast. And social but sciences. There's, there's no there's no overlap between pederasts and intelligence communities. They run the, the intelligence communities run. <laughs> Epstein sits the front for intelligence communities running fucking child trafficking. I mean. So point Christ. made. So let's go to the next story. Now that we've uh, covered Cecil Rhodes, the pederast, let's go to the uh, FBI file on Lord Mountbottom, the uh, mentor to King Chucky the third. Lord Mountbatten, I think is his name. Did we have that in the chat there? It, yeah, it, it was in the chat, but there's also articles. You'll, the FBI had a file on Lord Mountbatten, and he was a well-known pederast, and probably from a long line of well-known pederasts who then get entertainment guys like Jimmy Savile to come and be their parent, like the godparent to their children. For Harry Gingerballs' case. <clears throat> well, I can go to a Sun article. Uh... Let's see I don't know. Did you have one? I probably saw it on screen <clears throat> while Burmis was doing that report and wrote it down and said that's something I think we should look at during the show. Um, sorry. No, I'm I could pass and go. There you go. Um, there you go. Oh, there you go. This is right. a Sun article, Sun UK, from uh, August 19th of 2019. Low morals FBI claims that Lord Mountbatten lusted after boys could overshadow 40th anniversary of his murder by the IRA. Mm. The IRA got him, huh? And the tunnel well, got Diana. But it, MI6 is never around when those people die. Gay brothel is a headline there. or uh... And that's not a problem. That's a lifestyle choice. He, he's doing that. There, if there's no kids involved, there's, there's no Jimmy Savile. If there's no kids in hospitals being taken advantage of, et cetera, et cetera. That's under consenting adults. So we're talking about that's that. fine. These are, these are children who are not consenting. That's why I, I support uh, Julian Huxley's position at the Homosexual Reform Society over there. Like he, he wasn't just world eugenics guy. He was also in charge of the Homosexual Reform Society. So 
there's maybe an overlap for some of these people, but you can't attribute it to the whole group. No, that's true. Yeah, that'd be absolutely a fallacy, <clears throat> sort of composition fallacy, but um, or a generalization. But there is a proclivity for British intelligence to have those sort of things going on. Yeah, might be useful absolutely. on spycraft in blackmail networks named by Whitney Webb. It would also be useful. They might be rolling it out to the greater, wider public. So yeah. let's get into these next stories. We'll we'll find that FBI file. <clears throat> Not so interesting anyway. We got the gist. Let's go to the dog face soldiers. And I'm not making fun of soldiers. Uh, this is not something like me misquoting former Vice President Biden. This is an actual uh, thing, story that was going around this week. It's a new line from Balenciaga. I guess these are the models for it. And uh, let, let's see if uh, LD has that story. Uh, yeah, this is from, I found an article from Task and Purpose. Dot com army investigating soldiers who posed in dog bondage masks. The incident is cur currently under investigation. This is from December 14th. And uh, yeah, the army is investigating a number of social media posts They're that, fans of Scooby -Doo. that appear to show deal? soldiers wearing dog themed bondage masks in uniform. It's puppy play. Hmm. Multiple soldiers. Uh, is this like when those guys wear the uh, the Q patch, but they're like guarding uh, Vice President Pence and stuff? Is it like that? <laughs> they're like, like they, uh, they're playing that? too hard not to be like it's not a psyop, but we see that like that's obviously. Well, uh, apparently they're out in Hawaii. Oh, oh so makes, it's not a problem. Yeah, it makes more sense. Where did we get Hawaii from again? Did we did we inherit that? Oh, right, it was a British territory. Great. Thank you. Didn't have to look that one up. Was able to use my old memory on that. Uh, let's go to uh, last week. There was a big story. We didn't get to cover it because the, the news was so crazy last week that this story was not moving the needle this week. It just deserves to be covered because we should have covered it last week. It is what they call now in popular culture, the butt plug Dean story and project Veritas released some footage of a educator, educator at one of the indoctrination camps, private indoctrination camp, if that makes it any better, uh, $40,000 year, $40, a year indoctrination camp. And I don't know, I think most parents probably weren't aware of what was going on, but but the school defends what you're about to hear, even though they, def they deleted all their social media and all their internet presence. They're very proud of what you're about to see in the form of... Uh, is it a inauthentically edited video or is it a jump cutted video? So you don't have to take three hours in the conversation and watch person, you know, on camera say it in even more detail. So let's see what we have from project Veritas. James O'Keefe is now also back on Twitter, back on Twitter. He's got a million followers over there. Go ahead. And while you're following me on Twitter at tragedy and hope, go ahead and uh, follow James as well. Let's go to the project Veritas clip from last week. No, is no, there no. a longer one? I found one that's two minutes and 20 seconds on the website. Dean said? Is there yeah. a longer one? Oh, my God. Let's get to this Boom. quickly. Walked right into that uh, one. Yeah. Take it. Yeah. There you go. Um, Let me see if I can help you find it. it well, that was the, the one on the front clip. page of the paper, uh, or <laughs> front page of their site. So... Yeah, it's going to be on Project Veritas's YouTube channel because I think he does still have a, a YouTube presence where he's able to. Well, let me go over there. That's going to be the best source. So for our audience, nothing but the best. 
especially since I'm sure, hopefully, we got over that thousand subscriber mark tonight. And we'll be able to say confidently that we are going to bring you the longest uncut version of this Project Veritas video as possible because you don't want to make a decision on a 30 second clip. You want to have some context to these situations. And uh, maybe we should also take a look at the school statement unless it's covered in the report. Well, yeah, look, the only thing I can find is two minute, 20. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's basically 20 second clip, but, uh, yeah. Yeah. That'll, yeah. Let's go to the two minute, 20 clip then. That's fine. Mm -hmm. Just making sure. Here we go. No, you're, you're, you found the right People will get I had like two minutes. <laughs> the the uh, quartering has a longer segment where he covers it. He, I think he covers the two minute clip and talks about it a little bit more and goes over some Twitter. I don't know if we want to play him again, where it provides a little bit more time. Then maybe I don't know if you guys are some. No, no, we got lots of stuff to do before the end of the show. So All let's right, just fine. go to the, the two minute yeah. 30 clip. Here we go. I had like our LGBTQ plus health center come in. They were passing around butt plugs and dildos to my students, talking about queer sex, using blue versus using spit. Meet Joe Bruno, Dean of Students at the prestigious Francis W. Parker Private School in Chicago, which happens to charge $40,000 per student. Well, they're just like passing around dildos, butt plugs. The kids are just playing with them. They're like, how do you, how does this butt plug work? How do we do like, how does this work? That's a really like cool part of my job. Parents might be stunned to learn that Bruno's version of love and acceptance means handing out sex toys to underage students. So I've been the dean for four years. During Pride, we do a Pride week every year. And I had, um, I had like our LGBTQ plus health center come in. They were passing around butt plugs and dildos to my students, talking about queer sex, using blue versus using spit. Who is this? This is uh, an LGBTQ plus health center came in to talk to my high school students. Nice. They're just like passing around dildos, butt plugs. The kids are just playing with them. They're looking at them. In the school? In, in a classroom. Wow. Yeah. While I'm sitting there. And we had a drag queen come in, um, pass out cookies and brownies and do photos. That's and so amazing. And everybody's cool with that, like the plugs and the dildos. Nobody complains. No. I mean, if the parents found out, but they... No. It's queer sex. This is the drag queen that came in. What's her name? Uh, Alexis Bevels. Alexis Bevels. And just hung out in my classroom. And was there... Or hung out in my office. You have so much freedom. It's so much... Wiggle room. So much freedom, so much money. I mean, to do bit. stuff. Trustees are okay with that too. They don't know. They would. It's like we. I wouldn't even like run it by them. Like, why would I run it by them? They'd be like, "Oh my god, that's wonderful." Like yeah. How old were the kids at with the classroom? 14, 18. They're like, how do you, how does this work? How do right. we do, like, how does this work? Right. Um, so, yeah, that's a really, like, cool part of my job is I don't have to worry about stuff like that. He doesn't even have to ask him because apparently he already knows that they're going to be okay with it. I mean, how Why was this up is that individual? Like, yeah, we're teaching queer sex to underage children. Like, well, the education about it's one thing, but the the props and the pageantry and I don't, I don't know. I mean, there's elements that make me say, why didn't uh, this exist before? Why does it exist now? All of a sudden, drag queens need an audience of children. Like, why wasn't this a thing? Why didn't this happen in the past 20 years, 30 years? 
what's going on? Is it have something to do with that CRT we heard about earlier tonight? And yeah. The indoctrinating I mean, we, of the children in, in the camps. Do you remember when we played? It was from the Mises Academy, but I'm forgetting his name. But he goes over the history of postmodernism and Georg Lukacs, who tried to institute this very same thing in the 1930s in like uh, an Eastern European nation. He he got thrown out. And then, and then Kinsey course, popularized it for America in the 60s. In the 60s, that's right. And the he took um, evidence, quote unquote, testimony and evidence from a fucking pedophile that was raping a one month old, not a one year old, a one month old. And one year olds and so forth. He had to, they, he drove to the middle of I think the New Mexican or Arizona desert in order to pick up like a black diary from the person that from which he was getting his evidence to say, oh, children are sexual at a young age. And that's what legislation has taken up in the 70s, 80s, and 90s. A lot of groups like NAMBLA to exist and come out, which are even today. When I, more heard, I heard about NAMBLA on the John Stewart Daily Show I heard 20 about years ago. Park. And when, when I heard him mention it, I thought that's made up. And then, then I found out it's not. And it's then not. I live in a country where it's not. But you know where that Thanks does go Alfred on? Kinsey. It goes on over in Asia where the British had conquested all those uh, Temple of Doom countries over there. That's a big thing, the older men yeah. with the young boys. And That's it's going it. on in U.S. military bases because they follow those British customs. So those things moving close to home to changing culture, changing attitudes, behaviors, and beliefs, isn't it? You know, it wasn't until um, I think back in 2011 when we researched, I forget her name. Uh, she passed away, but she exposed Kinsey and uh, his entire operation. Oh, man, it'll come to me in a little bit. I can't quite remember her name. It's on the tip of my tongue. But either way, um, really a phenomenal individual did an expose on that entire history. Um, but uh, I heard about that organization because Kinsey helped push legislation in the 70s, 60s, 70s, and 80s that tried to argue that children are sexual at a younger age and these groups should be allowed to exist. And what's really tragic about it is I remember... I had come in to understand that that documentary that we watched all those years ago. And then I watched the South Park episode. It was like one of the first or second seasons in South Park. Now, if I hadn't known about this beforehand, I thought I would have thought South Park was making a joke. There's no way an organization like this could exist. And the end of the South Park episode, they just make it blunt. Like, you guys have sex with children. You're fucked up. Like, Because they eventually, basically, this, the whole narrative of the episode is like, Nambla convinces the parents. It's like, oh, we just we just want to like dance with your children and like touch them. And so the, the parents are like, Oh yeah, you're just like nice people. Kind of like the drag queen coming in and be like with the cupcakes. Oh, we're just like nice. Maybe, she, maybe she is, but there's a slippery slope there. There's a big time slippery slope. And so at the end, South Park just calls out for what it is like, no, you want to have sex with children. And all the parents are like, Oh yeah. Oh wait, that's what they want to do. And then the parents like, you know, chase them out of town. And like, that's, it's, they ingratiate themselves by acting all coy and like, Oh, we're not really into this. We're just, you know, being funny about it. It's like, no, you're not like you're, you're grooming these children to accept sexual rhetoric, you know, teach more avant-garde styles of, you know, uh, sexual practice. And then you're attempting to do that with them. You know, it's, it's a slippery slope, unfortunately, a fallacy in regards to like the operation of many of these individuals that again, ingratiate themselves to these institutions because it gives them a smokescreen by which they can operate and get what they want whether it's the catholic church the boy scouts our education system today sounds like they want to access the kids that sound yeah there's one key theme here and without their all, parents and oh wait it's like chapter one of brave new world tony that's the situation yeah. they want yeah that's right they want children without it's the parents around fucking frustrating exactly and then they want to act coy about it like no we're just educating or no we're just like you know it's gaslighting 
You're being yeah. right. Yeah. And then you make the Karen's like, well, am I being, maybe I'm being too harsh about this. And that's exactly what the South Park episode in the first or second season. That was so long ago. It's like 20 plus years ago. That's, I would have thought it was the biggest joke. And if I hadn't known that, no, that's a legit organization. And they've been more vocal as of recent, even the past couple of years, because of how critical race theory, critical gender theory in particular, in this case, in this context. Well, um, the, the CIA started out making cartoons back when they did Orwell's Animal Farm. And if the CIA and or Mossad and MI6 don't control South Park, I'd be really surprised that they don't take that opportunity to set that agenda in the world every week, just like the Simpsons. Whether maybe I'm just reading too much into history. Whether they do or not, that episode certainly exposed that group for what it actually is. So I'll give it I'll give it that. And it does seem like they to me, South Park. I don't know. I mean, it's it certainly would be, but. It's spec they made a major ideological twist. You know, they went from man bear pig to man bear pig being actually real. And it's like, why don't that happen? So they made like three episodes about having to do like a mea culpa about oh no, climate change is real. Sorry, we didn't make you didn't make fun of it with man bear pig and Al Gore. It's 50% bear, 50% man, 50% pig, man bear pig. So okay. 100, 150%. Well, I'm going to take that raw material and I'm going to make myself a segue. I'm not going to ride it off the cliff, though, like the guy who made the segue. I'm going to say, uh, <laughs> I see your man bear pig and I uh, counter your move with some otterific. Let's go to uh, Crowder's report on Yoel Roth and let's learn a, a little bit more about Twitter's chief safety sexpert. Got to say it slow like that. Otherwise, it gets all tied up. We can drag, drag the queen out of the White House later. Yeah, for sure. All right. But we're, we're setting up the dominoes. I am absolutely furious. I am absolutely filled with rage that this was going on. Reason number three, that he's a piece of human excrement. I like it. He's a pervert. That adds the serious. It does. Yeah. Uh -huh. He's an absolute pervert. <laughs> so this isn't just hearsay. I should say this. Let me be clear. I think, I think he's a sexual deviant. Okay. I also think after yeah, looking yeah, yeah. into him that he is. Personal opinion. Personal I can't opinion. declare it. You can label this misinformation if you want. Just to be clear. All right. So here's why I think so. 2010, Yul Roth posted a link to a story titled, Can High School Students Ever Meaningfully Consent to Sex with Their Teachers? Spoiler alert. Maybe. You can go read it. 2012, <laughs> Roth tweeted out, I enjoy having the kinds of meetings where Googling, quote, gay bareback porn is considered academic work. Gay! Ugh. 2015, Roth actually uh, wrote this regards, regarding the future of porn at Twitter. Quote, Twitter will live to porn another day. Thing I just yell out loudly at work. <laughs> Hilarious. Unbelievable. All right. So, so these, these are the tweets on his personal account. Do you know that he had a secret dirty account? Not kidding. Not making this up. Oh, he had a yeah. dirtier. 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 Well, he called it his dirty account. For him, this is normal everyday language that right. he would he use around anybody. Account, children, he had right? a silly boy account. Did he have a silly boy account? He had a silly boy account. It was called Otterific. <laughs> Otterific? At Otterific. So yeah. if anybody on the I feel like you're saying that flippantly. <laughs> nope. And Otter probably means something horrible. That it we probably shouldn't... does. I don't know. I'm just saying. Oh, I thought it was Otterific the then made perfect sense. Otter. Yes. Otter. Autoerotic. Yeah. It's probably sick and disgusting. His name is my name too. Cannot comprehend. I see. But that account and all of the tweets have been wiped. 
Really? Yeah. So what we're Weird. hoping? Why are you telling me about this? Song? I've been doing research for the last forty-eight hours. Why are you telling me? About, well, how did I not know about Autorific? I'm just saying, Autorific. Okay. He made a couple of comments in some of his tweets about having this other account, and there's some really interesting tweets that that. I All right, send it to us, have. control room. But I'm just. Uh, saying, it's, it's, yeah, it's it's been taken down, so they can see if they can find it. And Otter is a gay man who is very hairy all over his body, but is smaller in frame and weighs considerably less than a bear. That doesn't make any sense. Otters are smooth. <laughs> well, that that is weird. I mean, oh, I, I get they're mammals. The ones I've met certainly are. <laughs> I get, I get, I'm, they're mammals. Right? So technically, well. there's hair. Do you think of otters as hairy? Yeah, no, I, nope. But yeah. I get it. I just thought of them as cute. Yes. Yes. I've never touched an otter, to be honest. In Santa Claus is coming to town, he says he's as slippery as a seal, which is let's just be honest, it's another otter. Yeah. I thought a seal was a, yeah. It's just a bigger otter. But I know the they're not the same is, thing. If, I don't know much We think about he's nature. dirty on this. He creates an entirely separate account so he can let his coat. freak flag fly. Like yeah. that's what this guy's doing. Yeah. Well, here's something else. Again, why I think he's a sexual deviant. Yeah. Now those are tweets, and you can say, ah, people drunk tweet all the time. Sure, you can tell by the typos. Here's his his PhD thesis was titled Gay Data, and in it, he said that minors should be, he advocated for minors to be on gay dating websites. Here's some quotes. It's worth considering how, if at all, the current generation of popular sites of gay network sociability might fit into an overall queer social landscape that increasingly includes individuals under the ages of 18. Minors. Yeah. Read that as minors. Yeah. Individuals oh. under the age I of 18. I, I get it, y'all. Minors. I think individuals under the age of 18 sounds worse. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think it sounds worse. Whatever focus he... group you ran sucks. Who'd you hire? Frank Luntz and his stupid sneakers and toupee? Also, I love the way that he tries to sound smart by the words he chose. Yes. But he just sounds like a bigger fucking idiot. Pardon my language. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> my God. And he forgets to put a plural on the word things. Yeah. Thing. Hmm. Mm, sorry, uh, HIV brain. So, A plus. <laughs> rather than merely trying to absolve themselves of legal responsibility or worse, trying to drive out teenagers entirely, uh. which we know means teenagers under 18, service providers should instead focus on crafting safety strategies that can accommodate a wide variety of use cases for platforms like Grindr, including possibly their role in safely connecting queer young adults. I don't know why he sounds like the dentist from, I'm going to be a queer dentist. (laughs) (laughs) We don't need any homo dolls. Stop trying to have sex with kids. Yes, I would say that. Is it that hard? Grindr is a hookup app. That's yes. all it is. It's a hookup app. Do whatever you want as an adult. Yay. Stop. Yeah. Yeah. Why is this so prevalent? Right. Well, and why do you think they hate conservatives and hated Donald yeah. Trump so much? It's and why disgusting. do you think this guy buried the Hunter laptop story? Leave our kids Sex alone. Kids. It's seriously just disgusting. It's absolutely I'm disgusting. I'm so tired of seeing it. It's nonstop. Every time they leak one of these things out about any of these guys... Anything. It always involves child. It's it's disgusting on every level. It's absolutely disgusting. This is also why it's important that we're able to talk about. Look, I get that this is not a pleasant topic to discuss. Oh no, I'm not it. saying that I'm. No, I'm, no, no. I get it, but yeah, I'm saying to people just, out there, look, they can't discuss this at church. We've talked about this in the past. Yeah. Pastors go out and go. This is why I have a problem as a Christian going to church, and they'll say, "Oh, you know, there's evil out there." And why don't you name it? Why don't you name it? The evil. The Lord will. You're speaking in generalities. How about the head of Twitter Trust and Safety advocating for? advocating for pederasty, advocating for sex with children. And then they'll be offended that we address the evil that we live. Look, you have people on the right who don't acknowledge the evil, and then you have the people engaging in the evil, and we're kind of in that in-between. I'm sorry it offends you. This person's a degenerate. But your uh, college thesis is based on how to make social media uh, able to connect 
adults and children have sex. Yes. So you get hired at a social media company mm-hmm. to be in charge of safety. Mm-hmm. Just want to make sure oh, yeah. that's clear. That's some pretty good foreshadowing because it's going to come back. Oh, good. We are going to bring this tugboat back to shore. Oh, just wanted to make sure that I heard that right. And I want to make sure that you don't have an aneurysm because it oh, gets good. bad. Can I have a gun? Yeah. Well, we have <laughs> yeah. plenty, but no. <laughs> yeah, if you we, kill yourself, do it with I... anything other than a Walther. I don't want oh, a sponsorship. I don't think he wants to kill himself. <laughs> <laughs> we have someone uh, retweeting one of the otter tweets. Oh boy. He said muscle bear with beard hot. Yeah. Muscle bear with beard holding a child inexplicably hotter. Holding a child. Muscle bear holding and this is one of the tweets that I saw somebody else retweet. How about that? Okay. Don't take this as a threat of violence. If that is confirmed and that is real. Someone saying holding a child is hotter. That's someone who if they're ever near my children is getting their ass kicked. Is that okay? Yes. Is, that, is, that, is that okay? Does that offend you more than a guy saying he's sexually aroused by a hairy gay man holding a child? He's getting the shit kicked out of him. And we're at a point where we're af- people are afraid of being demonetized. They're afraid of being removed if we say, hey, 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 you want to sexualize children? You got an ass beating coming your way. How about, how about this? We'll give him an, I'll give you an, renounce it. Renounce the shit you just said about being about being aroused about it, being erotic in a sexual context with a child. If you don't renounce it, if there aren't severe consequences for people like this, and I mean, I mean, with the proper legal system, legal or system. if they're around yes, a child, they shouldn't be allowed within a hundred yards of a child. An electrocution. Yep. Lethal injection. Right. Joking. <laughs> well, like a bunch of Home Alone things. How about that? Yes. Yeah. A bunch of, yeah. Uh, Except uh, you know, you know like, how it really works yes. when you're hit with yeah. a pain can. Yeah. <laughs> You just, you just play the sound of children frolicking. They put their... It was the sound of a torture. But you can't... Coming down the playground stairs. <laughs> you can't even pretend that that was something where you're like, but it's like a good father. It's this... It, no, it's no. you saying hotter because you're a pervert. Because you're a pervert. And this is also the problem with so many people being able to hide their identities. That's yeah. the well, biggest and, and, problem. Yes. And by the way, mugclubforever.com yeah. because God only knows what happens. Other people have to tiptoe around it, including, by the way, we're not just talking about liberals. Hopefully conservatives are ready out there to charge the hill. I don't want to see a conservative movement where you're concerned about being demonetized. We're concerned about being removed. And we, we can't have any kind of conservative movement where they're the enforcement arm of big tech because they tell you that we're not allowed to say what we just said. I don't think it's all that controversial. You sexualize children, you're a criminal. Isn't Were you about to say something? Yeah, so that was in response. That tweet was in response to something he had posted about right. having a hotter profile picture, which means he's saying, this is hot. The profile picture you're posting Yol is hotter. This isn't just him commenting that that's hotter. It's saying, hey, Yol, I see that you just posted another profile picture. It's actually hotter than it was before because Yol was actually on his autorific saying, I just posted a much hotter picture for my profile. Like, Did we just read the response or was that We him? just read the response, the response. to that. Yeah. What was it that he said? So it, be that's what that's what's not available anymore. He just oh. hinted that he had done it. So these, so we can read the responses. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. There's got to be a way to read the way back. There's got to be. I hope. Yeah, I, I hope it. Elon seriously digs out. There's got to be a way to oh, find. Oh, Elon that. knows because Elon made the comment about Yol, and he started all. Well, this true. is what brings yeah, it. So, true, yeah. so during Roth's time at Twitter, this is and Elon talked about this. Child porn was a huge problem. We just had this last week, and this. Ties well, sure, right the back head into of Yol. security was running it. Yeah, Elon Musk said to a tweet about child porn on Twitter, it is a crime that they refused to take action on child exploitation for years. And then you had Jack Dorsey claiming that the story was false. Elon replied, 
When Ella Irwin, who now runs Trust and Safety, joined Twitter earlier this year, almost no one was working on child safety. I made it top priority immediately. Now, I know what people are going to say on the left because they want to obfuscate. He got rid of the department that had Trust and Safety. No, he got rid of the Trust and Safety department so he could actually enforce the laws regarding child pornography. Because if the Trust and Safety department allows child pornography while throttling the Hunter Biden laptop story, it ceases to serve any relevance. So that's the switch they try and tell you. Elon Musk got rid of the child trust and say he's, he's allowing child. No, 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 no. He is going after and has been publicly attacking previous heads of councils at Twitter for abetting child pornography. And he's yeah. putting his money where his mouth is. This is really important. Don't let people fool you into believing that Elon shut down that department. Now, here's what happens, right? Shouldn't that be number one and that's what he made it? It yes. should have been number one before and it's why he made it number one now. Yes. Now, that should be the top priority of any security for an internet site, I would assume, for a, a social media site. Yes, absolutely. You should. You deserve the full run of the law if you do not get rid of child pornography on social media. I would think, hey, com- if we, this is the whole myth of common ground. There's no common ground. Common ground. We talk about dreamers. We talk about we talk about kids who come here and there's no fault of their own. What about dreamers? And they should get okay. We should get a citizenship. Hold on a second. Before we get to common ground, hey, what about getting? What about saying child porn is bad? Well, I would say it, but my college thesis that oh, no common ground. I have plenty of friends. I could use a few enemies. Screw you. Now here's the thing. Elon Musk went after Twitter for this. He was very public about it. I just read you the tweets, right? Now let me ask you this. This is a tweet. It is a crime that they refuse to take action on child exploitation for years. Okay. Does that sound like a threat? Does that sound like a call to violence? No. No, because guess who gets to play the victim? Roth. Because Uh even though he's a white cis male, Elon Musk is a white heterosexual cis male. See, we go back to that. And so he said that he may have to, he had to flee his home due to what CNN described. Again, CNN is in this incestuous relationship as, quote, an escalation in threats resulting, not Elon Musk, resulting from Musk's campaign of criticism against him. You mean there's been an escalation of threats resulting from Elon Musk's campaign of criticizing someone who actively promoted and wrote a thesis on supporting child pornography? We feel bad for the child porn guy? You you wanted to oust... Clarence Thomas, because he made a joke about a pube on his can of Coke, and it was a very funny joke. All of America wrote down in their journal, he he told a funny joke today. This guy's telling people that child porn should be acceptable, and we're supposed to feel bad for him? Come on, guys. There's not going to be a civilization left to protect unless you put your foot down. Look behind you. That's where you were supposed to hold the line. We're not looking to get removed from YouTube. We're not looking to get removed from big tech. But if it means speaking out against child porn peddlers, all references available at credit.com, I am willing to accept the results. Please go to mugclubforever.com. Mugclubforever.com. Bring it up full screen there, Toolman. Mugclubforever.com. We don't want to lose touch with you. Have some major announcements coming forward. The, the, the leash is off completely. I don't give a rat's ass how much this offends somebody. Oh, don't you feel like you should? Yeah. No, no. I'm out of compassion to give. The second you sexualize kids, that's it. You're an enemy. Renounce it. Has he renounced it? Has he, has, he renounced it? Hasn't renounced it yet, right? Nope. And by the way, I, you, you don't get to play the victim card when all that's been done, and by the way, you know CNN wanted to use harsher language than this, his campaign of criticism. <laughs> it's, 
he's critiquing his work. C- CNN it. just had a producer who was caught. Co- what, what was the name of the producer? We just talked about that with some. Every one of yeah. them. Some, uh, yes. yes. Well. <laughs> yeah. some, no, that, that's Stelter's interns. Oh, right. And he's no longer <laughs> they there. Said, Sorry. Harvard senior Harvard's fellow interns. interns. Who was the person at CNN just recently? He, they're, they're undergoing. It was one of the producers yeah. of, of Don Lemon's show. Oh, yeah, oh well, who could have right. guessed yeah. it? Yeah. Yeah. Who, who would have ever. But criticism, his campaign of criticism, he's basically just saying, hey, I think you did a bad job of, of, of taking care of this one area while you're here. And by the way, here's your here's your PhD thesis paper, which seems he said it like this: it seems to advocate for underage gay sex. It well, not even to seems to. It no, no, no. just suggests it should. Yeah, he anyway, was being sorry. careful, and I, I yeah, Elon was just a you're little right. bit on yeah. his wording, but he worded it just like that. But that's all we're talking about is I've done bad deeds. Now they're being brought to light, but because they're being brought to light, I'm now the victim. That's Yoel Roth right now. Well, he believes that no good deed goes unsexed if it's a 15 year old boy. Hey, Fauci right now <laughs> is on CNN. Just so oh. we'll go back to all the oh, other good. reasons. Hospitals across the United States overwhelmed. By flu, COVID, RSV cases. Don't you love how they just blended in? What happened to the ticker of flu of COVID deaths? Yeah, now quiet. flu yeah. is listed first. Let's hear what the science has to say. Keep in mind, child sex offenders, right? Producers at CNN. We only know of the ones that we've caught. Let's see what he has to say. To protect them, their family, and society, we have a vaccine for flu, and we're having a pretty bad and early flu season. If you look at the trajectory, oh, if only yeah. people could have listened to Dr. Rob McCullough, who was banned from Twitter, from Facebook, oh, yeah. our episode taken down when we had him on before he went anywhere else. Just to be clear, if only someone could have been saying, "If you keep doing this, you're going to have a horrible flu season." If only someone knew it when Fauci was the science, you removed all of them. Oh, d- was was staying inside for so long bad for your immune system to not be out and with people? Oh, who knew? Oh, it's a scientific thing. You I don't understand. I wouldn't have assumed that myself. No, I know. It's it's, it's probably why I kept traveling as a germaphobe. Don't concern yourself with our science <laughs> things. Let's hear what he's saying. The mask appropriately in an indoor setting. I'm Shut not up. Talking it. about mandating anything. I'm talking about the common sense of when you go into a, not a mask. setting, particularly when you have a lot of infection like Ooh, that. Yeah. That you think about the possibility of wearing a mask, and and one of the Why? somewhat encouraging things. It's been oh, somewhat is encouraging. That RSV as bad as it is, particularly for it's young proven children, proven to not work. Elderly, we have peaked there. It looks like, and is starting to come down. So let's hope it continues to have a trajectory down. This is the problem. So, this is the problem with having hall monitors run your country. Look. There's some risk in life, and at a certain point, you accept the risk. No one here is saying that COVID wasn't real. No one here is saying that COVID was not uh, significantly more lethal to certain demographics than the standard flu, particularly Absolutely the elderly and the immune compromised. Yeah. No one here is saying that. We are just saying that people had the right to make informed decisions. They had the right to hear from Dr. Rob McCullough just as much as Elon Musk. They had the right to hear from those practicing physicians in Los Angeles and in Florida yeah. when those videos were removed from all of social media, because part of what they were shouting from the rooftops is exactly what's happening now. Do you see the problem with limiting speech? Do you see it? It comes back to bite you every single time. Okay, let's, did you have something you wanted to say? Yeah, the, the CNN producer you were asking about before was John Griffin from uh, Chris Cuomo's old show. He led, well, he allegedly led a perverted double life where he, he was part of a sordid BDSM ring that included a child, a nine-year-old girl. Jeez. And he's, 
Oh, so it was Chris Cuomo, who also led a perverted double life. Yeah. Well, he just grabbed an he just you know smacked his secretary in the butt or something. Is that what maybe he, did? he didn't. The point is, BDSM was a nine year old girl allegedly. Allegedly, it if it becomes vast difference, if it yes. becomes not allegedly, let me ask you this: comment below. If someone was part of an underground sex ring, oh. right, with a nine year old girl, this is a question. I want you to comment below. There are strength in numbers. And by the way, let's keep it. Let, 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 let's keep it. I don't want to say civil. Let's just not make it any more filthy or aggressive than it needs, than it needs to be. Okay, sorry. Than it needs to be. I want you to comment below. Just be, let's, I want you to comment below. Genuinely here. If it's no longer allegedly, nine-year-old girl. That's what you said, Token Allen? Yeah. Nine-year-old girl, BDSM sex ring. If it no longer becomes allegedly, meaning found guilty, death penalty. Would you support that? If it no longer is allegedly, legally, is what I'm asking you, what do you think about people who sexually abuse nine-year-old girls or boys? If you're not willing to die on this hill, I pray to God that you don't have kids. Anyway, we go back to this Roth, who is an absolute piece of shit. So, thank you. We'll get this back on track. (laughs) (laughs) Here's reason number two. So, the guy who supports pedophilia, the guy who met with U.S. intelligence agencies, by the way, the CIA, remember how much child porn they found on those computers? We covered that later. Yeah. Not saying there's some secret cabal of everyone who's a pedophile. A commercial. What a, yeah, we did. What I'm saying is there are enough pedophiles and enough people who don't have a problem with pedophilia and child sex trafficking who could do something about it. In other words, here's the problem. It's not that someone is a pedophile. That is a problem. I shouldn't say it's not that. That is a problem, just to be clear. Yeah. It's always yeah, a problem. Yeah, yeah. Problem. Someone says, eh, not a problem. No, no, problem if you're a pedophile. But the real problem, the more significant problem, I want to choose my words very carefully here because I wouldn't want to offend pedophiles. The real problem beyond people being pedophiles or advocating for it is people at intelligence agencies who could stop it. For example, Larry Nasser. It's people at intelligence agencies who are tasked with keeping you safe and you are told to trust. It's people in charge of departments like Twitter, trust, and safety who are advocating for it. So in other words, pedophilia, right? It's a very small percentage of the population, but you only need a few of those people in positions of power for it to have catastrophic results like child porn proliferating across Twitter. Oh, and the intelligence agencies don't do anything about it. You think, do you think Chris Cuomo was going to cover this? You think his producer was going to put that into his prep document? This brings us to reason number two. Oh, we already hit it. Reason number two. Roth, so this is pedophile to begin with, he was also the person in charge of censoring Hunter Biden laptop story, which I don't know if you know, involved sex with a minor. Uh, Sexting with a niece right. yes. with yes. a minor. That softens right. the blow. Niece's feet. Yeah, sure. something like right. that. So this is what he said about the story, Mr. Roth. Given the severe risks here and lessons of 2016, we're erring on the side of including a warning and preventing the content from being amplified. Okay, you did that with Hunter Biden, and by the way, it was the U.S. intelligence agencies who told you that it was uh, some kind of a Russian hoax, right? Russian disinformation campaign and hoax. But I understand that you want to err on the side of safety, that's your job, including a warning preventing the content from being amplified. Which is a fun word for, you know, being told about. Right, yes, or exactly. spoke about or letting people know. But he, here's the thing, he's doing it for safety. Hey, the, so preventing it from being amplified, preventing it from being shared. Yeah. How about child porn? How about child porn? Oh, no, wait, if we bring it up, it's a threat. And then CNN talks about what a victim you are, that other people are mad, that you didn't put the same labels or do your job to protect children. 
I say this as if you are a dad and you are not furious and you know, look, I don't, we do a lot of stuff here and I'm not on board with the rage porn. I am absolutely furious. I am absolutely filled with rage that this was going on. And I'm even more angry that we don't know what's going on at Google, at YouTube, at Facebook and Instagram that we don't know. We just know what we see. We know that we see content that isn't age restricted which borders or is outright pornography, other people in charge, like we now know at Twitter and the FBI and the DHS who are saying, that's okay, spend your time throttling the Hunter uh, laptop story. It's the only instance, ironically, the only instance where some form of underage pornography might have actually been throttled. So, hey, you were accidentally less of a piece of shit, Roth. Watch Louder with Crowder live, Monday through Thursday, 10 a.m. Eastern. All right, so there's a lot in that Crowder clip, a lot we learned about Yoel Roth that we didn't know last Sunday. And, you know, uh, we can get into the opinions expressed there, but I think what's important is the evidence of someone we would not care about. We would not care about Yoel Roth. We wouldn't have any interest in it, except he deleted a sitting president from a social media network during a time of election. And then he covered up a story relating to a whole lot more than child abuse in the Hunter Biden laptop. And in support of his actions, he had the FBI run and cover for him because the FBI had that laptop for two years and they seem to have a, a similar agenda going on as far as covering up Epstein's client list, covering up Hunter Biden's laptop, I think there might be one nation under blackmail in in operation out there. And you might have heard of a couple of books on that on this show over the past couple of months. You might want to check it out because I think it's still going on out there. And until more people understand the nature of what's going on, and more importantly, the nature of the people that are making these decisions over our lives, was- over lockdowns, over censorship of doctors, over early treatment, how many people in this audience have loved ones who died in a cruel and inhumane way during the lockdowns and pandemic. They were denied early treatment. They were gaslit by all the people that they trusted. And to this day, you just heard Fauci saying, put your mask back on, prepare for lockdowns. When's it going to change? I think when people change their minds. It's a lot older in that CNN interview, but uh, yeah, I mean, he's senior management trust and safety. But then he has some sort of burner account, some secret Twitter account that, you know, is sort of a sexual innuendo for possibly what he might be into. I mean, it's just egregious, disgusting, but it also shows you how these I wouldn't trust that to run a subway and he's running trust and safety and and banning sitting presidents who I didn't vote for. So I'm not like in that camp. But and then, you know, you might have a point. You see his tweets. I mean, I agree 100% with Crowder on this one. You see his tweets in regards to, you know, pornography and, you know, bare for adults, porn. fine. Figuring like, out how to get porn to kids, not good. Not good. Yeah, to say the least. Um, He's a spook, and I find a lot of these individuals more than a spook. He's a fucking piece of shit. But, um, you know, that's that's what we're dealing with. This is the end result of all the history and philosophy we talk about on the show. The end result of critical theory, the end result of postmodernism, the end result of British infiltration of American principles, values, constitutionalism. This is the end result. 
So we get a situation like this in the current milieu and zeitgeist of our culture. It's uh, disgusting. It's unfortunate that over and over again, we notice the same sort of patterns as well, where these individuals ingratiate themselves in organizations where they have seen to be, they, they see themselves as untouchable and they allow themselves the, the freedom to do what they want in regards to what they're into. I mean, it's just his, his senior thesis. I mean, it's, or his PhD, not senior thesis. I'm well, sorry. he's got to write something his PhD on something. Thesis. He's playing a stupid game. What a game. joke! What a joke stupid PhD prizes. system is. What a joke the PhD. That's yeah, true. That's the Prussian education system. You can learn all what about a fucking it. In joke. The ultimate history lesson with John Taylor Gatto. Artificial so, credentialism. That's all it is. Artificial credentialism for people well, to find. Good. One hundred percent true. But I don't care what he wrote his PhD on. I care why that qualified him to be the chief safety expert at Twitter. Why did Jack, who lives in French Polynesia, because I don't know, they got some rules over there that allow him to live a lifestyle that he lives over there. Why would Jack hire somebody like Yoel Roth? Even the one who hired him. I mean, that's the other. Somebody's going to ask Jack. I mean, if there's a journalist out there, there's lots of them who talk to Jack. Maybe they can ask that question. I do have something to share with you on this topic of getting off this topic. So let's change gears. Let's zoom out. Let's look at this book right here. This is uh, one of the volumes of Marcus Aurelius's Meditations. This is uh, formerly owned by John Taylor Gatto. And I was trying to look for this passage that kind of describes what we have to do in the face of all that news we just heard. Right? We got to keep our, our uh, boat upright. We got to be able to shoulder this weight and, and move along. So here we go. Day by day, the buffoonery, quarreling, timidity, slothfulness, and servility that surround you will conspire to efface from your mind those hallowed maxims it apprehends so unphilosophically and dismisses so carelessly. What duty requires of you is to observe each single thing and perform each action in such a manner that, while the practical demands of a situation are fully met, the powers of thought are at the same time fully exercised, and to also maintain in reserve, but never to lose sight, the self-confidence of one who has mastered every relevant detail. Are you ever going to attain the happiness of real integrity and dignity, of an understanding which comprehends the inmost being of each thing? Let's get on the screen. Its place in the world order, the term of its natural existence, the structure of its composition, and to whom it belongs, or who has the power of bestowing or withdrawing it. It's license. It's about the history and evolution of the, the institutions that surround you. You just learned a little bit about the institution of Twitter, but also it's connected into that James Baker FBI connection where they're scrubbing the documents. And they're also the same people sitting on the FBI client list. And if you did a search and I'm not saying to do this search, you might want a private window, but if you did um, reason magazine, FBI dark web 23, try that and see what you come up with. And you might see that half or more of the child porn websites on the dark web are run by the FBI. Not according to me. That's according to Reason Magazine. I'm just I'm just citing something that exists out there. It might also try be my to Twitter. For, it's in my Twitter from the past week. You and they try to argue that they're honeypots, but I just don't see a lot of what busts have been made since 2016. 
That's my point, right? Or have they just added to the blackmail list, which that would be a blackmail mm. collection network. If you read Whitney Webb's books, you would just see that for what it is. Continuing the same operation. It's like Gary Webb exposed with the approval how BCCI of goes Palace. down and you still have the same shit going on without BCCI when it comes to running drugs in the 90s, the inner city, America, LA, Chicago, New York. And BCCI was just CIA MI6, Skullduggery. Yeah. Yeah. With the approval of Buckingham Palace. And they're the same people who protect the Epstein story to this day, along with who killed JFK. And if you go back to Lincoln, I'm not being a conspiracy theorist. I'm just saying he went to see a play called Our American Cousin and then gets whacked by somebody who runs to Canada and gets protected by uh, Hudson Bay Company. Is that uh, a theater still open in D.C.? It's a Ford's. Ford's, yeah. Ford's Theater. Ford's Theater, yeah. They make a thing of it, yeah. Oh, yeah, they have a whole section. My cousin just took his wife there and made a big deal about it. The British supported the Confederacy, but no one looks beyond the American borders. They're like, oh, it was just an American thing that happened. And they leave out the geopolitical aspects that would make it a lot more obvious what's going on. Better not to write it down. Better for them just to remember it. James Hesus Angleton. Yeah, well. Style, style. I'm not saying he was the one who said that. He was in the double-cross system. Yeah. That you learned about earlier tonight. He was the mole. He's the mole. He's the X2. He's he grew up. He spoke with an English accent. He went to school in Britain. A lot of people don't know that about Angleton. Edward James, uh, Edward J. Epstein, he knew all about it. He wrote two books on Angleton. And when you look at that, Angleton's the mole for Israeli intelligence and British intelligence into this country. And what was he in charge of? Uh, he was over there at CIA running all the counterintelligence operations. He's running the spies to find the spies. But meanwhile, he's the spy. So there's a long history to that. And it all plays into who killed JFK and who's in power today. And the longer that people stay away from learning these pieces of history, the longer they're going to wander and wander, you know, back into the left or was Dan rather right? You don't know. Back. Into, yeah. <laughs> or Magic Bull and Ar Arlen Specter. Magic Bullet. PA Senate. That's the PA Senator from the state in which i reside back in the 60s 70s when he came up oh yeah yeah that bullet just defied the laws of physics and yeah, i listened just... to his story but i believe cyril wecht's perspective <laughs> on that because yeah i mean Imagine it makes a lot more sense oh yeah. my god all right so stoicism aside that was a heavy duty story yoel roth there's more but wait Let's go to this Timcast uh, White House story. LD, do you it have that on your list? His, um, should be in the playlist. And then there's also a, a Disney Timcast episode that's probably in the playlist as well. Those might is go together. Drag, is it the family drag show turned into insane sex performance Timcast, or is it a different? Or is it yeah, a, and that one definitely has adult. Thing. It definitely has adult imagery, not safe for work imagery, even though it was for kids. Not the Paul Pelosi story. Okay. The Paul Pelosi right. story is a nothing burger. There's no real information out there about I know. it yet. It's a bunch of accusations without any real. It's very. It's strange. a bunch of clickbait that they just, yeah. you know, his son said that he, for all he knew, his his dad that uh, the David uh, DePap was a sex slave of Paul Pelosi's. That was the claim. I'm not making that claim. I don't even believe the dude who made that claim, but a bunch of people took the time to report on that claim to make sure they got all the clicks that come with a claim like that. You find that clip, LD? 
Yeah, yeah. Um, sure, Timcast. Right now, let's let's cue that up and let's see what the report is from the Timcast Castle Tim Pool. Let me pull up this story here for you guys from Timcast.com. Disney affiliated drag queen welcomes children to show featuring simulated sex and nudity. It's not just simulated sex, it is simulated sodomy, where two men go up on stage in front of children and simulate sodomy. And um, I'm surprised to see this a little bit because here we go. Katie Porter, Democrat from California, said that groomer and pedophile are just identities and that, you know, people are attacking them for their identities as if they've committed a criminal act. And it's like, well, grooming is, in my opinion, mm -hmm. and you want to make an argument about someone just being a pedophile. They haven't done anything. Fine. But that's an insane thing for a Democrat to say. But it's because they're moving the Overton window. First, they said drag shows are just fashion. It's dancing. Yep. And then once all of the left got on board and said, we, we, they, they defend these things and the right's crazy. They've now graduated to drag shows where I can't show you the image, not on YouTube. It is exposed breasts, like simulated breasts that but like not a bra, not a not a fake bust, quite literally nipples and everything on this person's chest called tits in a box. And then there's actually a, a dude wearing a thong and it sh and, he, and he turns around and he giggles tee hee with his ass to the kids. And then it shows like the spiral of his ass around him. And then you actually have two guys doing it on stage, mm -hmm. simulating doing it on stage. OK, so when here, here's, here's what I see happening. The people on the right who have families have everything to lose. And so they don't want to take the risk. The people on the left have literally nothing to lose. So they'll risk anything and everything. Mm -hmm. That's asymmetrical conflict. And it ends with a very obvious outcome. So if you're in a short term perspective, such as I can't lose my job, I have kids, I have to feed them. I totally get it. Far be it for me to tell you what to do. Just as long as you know, this is the world you are leaving for your children. Mm -hmm. If you're okay with that, then by all means, do nothing. If this is terrifying you and, 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 and making you concerned, maybe you should consider what standing down means for your children when they get older. But maybe you want your kids to be on stage with these guys. I don't know. These kids are watching it all happen. They're, they're, they're being groomed by overt sexualization in these shows. It is escalating. They are incrementalizing more and more and more. And this ends with them actually ex abusing the kids in these events. It started with a, a drag show where a drag queen dance. The next thing we saw was it's not going to lick itself. Mm -hmm. Then we saw children taking their clothes off on stage for, for men at a gay bar. Now you have them simulating sodomy in front of children. And they were. What do you think happens next? I hope you're happy about what the world will be if you don't want to be involved. Okay, I'm not, I'm not telling you what to do because I get it. Risk is scary. And I mean that seriously. But just as long as you understand this is what awaits your children. Drag queen invited to Biden White House once performed for a two-year-old boy. Same individual who tweeted that the kids are out to... <clears throat> Can't say the rest of that line because we try to be family friendly and it would probably get me in trouble with YouTube, but apparently it's good enough for this individual to go and perform at the White House and advocate for children to observe sexualized, to observe sexualized performances. I got a question for you guys. You can comment below. What's winning? What does winning look like to you? What does getting better look like to you? Because I see these posts from time to time from people on Twitter where they're like, it's not that bad. Things are getting better. And I'm like, that is a demoralized person. That is, my friend, a demoralized person. 
Now, people come to me and they say, Tim, it's so negative. I can't take it. I don't want to watch. And I'm like, I hate to say it, man. That's demoralization. Paramore has a new song out. You know him. You love him. Haley Williams. And uh, it's called The News. And in it, she says, turn off the news, turn off the news. And I'm like, that is a demoralized person. Imagine being in a war. Imagine being a soldier. Imagine any war movie you've ever seen. Many of you don't need to imagine it. You've done it. It's awful, isn't it? I mean, when we watch these movies, we see these things. We know it's awful. And there are people who choose to stay in that knowing it's awful. It's hard. It's brutal. It's gruesome. It's dangerous. The worst possible circumstances a person could find themselves in, in many instances. And they choose to be there knowing it's bad because they're fighting for something better. There's a meme image and it shows a man and a woman standing on this like grassy cliff and they're like hugging and everything around them is all nice. And then underneath it, it's a bunch of bloody soldiers holding up the ground. And uh, in no way am I trying to relate anything I do to anything as crazy as that. In fact, the point I'm trying to make is that this is substantially easier than anything that would uh, be involved in, in real warfare. But there are people who say, I can't do it. I can't listen. It's too negative all the time. I don't want to be involved. And I mean, no disrespect. You got to do your thing. But I see from time to time, these people say that things are, gonna, are getting better. Things are not as bad as they, as they seem. And my response immediately is, that's demoralization. And I'll tell you why. We're at the point where Project Veritas exposed a dean of a school bragging, gloating about giving children adult objects and having someone explain to them spitting on them or lubing them up. And this is defended by the left as just sex education. And I'm like, no, it's kink education. Like, that's where we're at. Sex education was always like, uh, we're going to teach you about your organs. And we're going to teach you how babies are made. Because that's a part of life. Now, it's they're teaching kids how to insert things that do nothing but cause bodily damage for personal kink gratification, I guess. I mean, I, 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 whatever. I don't, I'm not going to pretend to be a medical doctor. Okay, so I'll just say that there, there's nothing there but kink. These things are not universal. Teaching a child how to use one of these objects makes no sense. They don't even do that in other parts of the world. Not every human being is interested in doing these weird things. It's kink education. So when someone comes and says, ah, it's not as bad as they say, I say, 10 years ago, if you went to someone and said the White House would invite a drag queen who advocates for sexualized performances for children and tweeted about how the kids are out to S A, you get the point, to suck, I'll stop there, you'd say, bull, no way. Never going to happen. I refuse to believe it. But here we are. If 10 years ago you said following this, armed groups would show up outside of events where groomers are targeting children with sexualized performances, they would say, no way, never going to happen. And then on top of that, if I told you, they would then accuse you, the liberal, 10 years ago, that by calling up pedophiles, you were actually just insulting the LGBT community. Is that really what they think? It's the funniest thing. Uh, I got no beef with the LGBT community at all. Uh, you know, some of my best friends are, are LGBTQ. Mm. Not that it means a whole lot, but it's true. I mean, we have uh, friends of the show and uh, some good friends of mine, and I got no issue with what they do with their lives. I want them to be happy. I, be- I believe that they should be allowed to get married and have coupling. Dave Rubin has kids. I'm all about it. Dave Rubin's a good dude. I think Dave Rubin's going to do right by his kids, and he's going to raise some really intelligent, successful individuals. I love it. I got no issue with LGBTQ. I got issue with groomers, 
targeting children. That's it. You call it out and they lie. So here's my point, because I see this story and I'm just like, yo, this is so bad. Even Newsweek does this. Who is Marty G. Cummings, drag artist invited by Joe Biden to the White House? And then you have to go all the way down to the bottom where they mention that he says the kids are out to sing an S. S. D. Okay. It's unclear whether the comments refers to actual children or if kids is simply an expression to indicate young people, not necessarily underage. Oh, come on, dude. I'm beyond giving these people the benefit of the doubt when they're performing for two year olds. Okay, so if somebody wants to come and says it's it's not that bad, I ask you, what does winning look like to you? Is winning like accepting that they're having sex performances for children? Is winning that uh, the White House is inviting these people in? Is it? It's not that bad. Is that to say that you don't think it matters all that much that a dean of students in Chicago is bragging about giving these toys to children? Yesterday on Timcast IRL, we had Riley Moore, state treasurer for for, uh, uh, the state of West Virginia. And he mentioned how in some of these schools, they have these books. And then I point to gender queer and he goes, that's the book. And when I tell my friends who are normie default libs, look at this book, they go, there's no way this is in school. Schools, I don't believe you. And I'm like, right. Well, it is. I don't, whatever, you don't have to believe me. Like, I'm not making it up. I'm like, well, I'll have to look into it because that seems wrong. Not that bad. Not that bad is the current state we're in. Uh, okay, sorry. For me, I have like a line. And I see these people saying, you know, I went outside and I got a burger and everything seemed okay. And bubbling beneath the surface is, uh, it's just, it's crazy. Bubbling beneath the surface, it's crazy. And they say it's not that bad. Well, maybe it's not that bad. Maybe you don't mind it. Maybe you don't care that people are doing this because your view of success is I'm going to raise my own family, have lots of kids, make money, influence the culture war and let them do their thing because in a long enough period of time, their ideology won't exist. Okay, I can respect and understand that. So uh, I still think you have to actively push back against this if you want to make sure your kids are safe from it. But there's another issue at play. Aside from the fact that this stuff's actively happening with kids, you have this story from Newsweek. Armed protest at Christmas drag show highlights intensified LGBTQ threats. A group of armed protesters on Tuesday gathered outside a theater in San Antonio, Texas, to protest an annual holiday-themed drag show, marking the second time a theater in the city was recently targeted Excuse me, for hosting LGBTQ events. The far-right group, this is Texas Freedom Force, which has been deemed by the FBI as a militia extremist group, announced the planned protest outside Aztec Theater on social media. The group claimed on its Twitter account that the show was about grooming kids and wants drag shows to be limited to those 18 years of age or older in the state. In response to the far right group's threats, local LGBTQ community members organized a counter protest to stand in support of the show, which travels to 36 different cities during the months of November. We were setting up, we're setting up a new uh, business in West Virginia and uh, a little bit down the road from us, uh, not too, not too far though. They had an all ages drag show the past couple of months. And that made me want to actually be like, I ain't investing in this city. It's small town, but if they're doing this grooming stuff, I'm like, do I really want to be here? 
And ultimately we decided, ultimately we decided, yes, we should, because you know what we're going to do? We're going to put up in the windows, things like Molan Labe and uh, the Gadsden flag, you know, things like that. America first. We're going to outright proclaim this is what we believe in. This is what matters. Put a West Virginia flag in there and say, get your grooming garbage out of my business. We don't want it here. Bring it somewhere else. You got to push back. You can't just retreat. So that's that's what I'm talking about. But take a look at this. There's a here's a tweet from uh, Stephen Zetti. Steve Steve and Zetti. He says the size of the pro LGBTQ crowd has grown significantly. Now more than doubling the anti LGBTQ protesters. You see the dirty game they play. Are these protesters anti LGBTQ or are they anti groomer? They said your space, your events should should be limited to people 18 and older. That doesn't sound like anti-LGBTQ. It sounds like they're actually pro-children's protection, not anti-LGBTQ. That's the game they play. Here's the issue that I see with talking about whether it's good or bad or what's going on. The people who push back against this have everything to lose. Their family, their friends, their kids, their jobs. The people supporting the grooming have everything to gain. They have no families. They probably don't have jobs. They got nothing to lose by protesting, but everything to gain with their devious predilections. That's the challenge here. What dad is going to be like, I'm taking off work to go and protest groomers. So perhaps to you, it not being that bad, success, winning, is having kids, raising them right. It's a minefield out there. You know, your kids are going to encounter this stuff and it's it's, it's going to be a real issue. Here's the game they play. The Daily Daily News says use of homophobic slur by prominent anti-LGBTQ Twitter accounts increased by 1,200% since Musk takeover report. This is called information laundering. It's not true. Elon Musk has already released the data showing that's not true. So what they've done is they are now claiming, Media Matters, that if you you call out pedophiles, you are using anti-LGBTQ slur. All right. You know what? I won't use the word groomer anymore. I'm so sorry. I'm number one, by the way. So uh, I won't use the word. I'll just say pedophile. You want to defend that term? By by all means, uh, go ahead and do so. Here we are. So they reported. Elon Musk's tumultuous takeover at Twitter has led to an explosion in anti-LGBTQ rhetoric, blah, blah, blah. A new report. It's completely fake. The report was released by Media Matters for America. And glad the world's largest blah, blah. The report found that the grooming term used to advance a false and debunked grooming narrative portraying LGBTQ people as seeking to convert or recruit uh, heterosexual and cisgender children was retweeted by the accounts more than 48,000 times in the first months of a month of the Musk era. Oh, yeah. Like as soon as Elon took over, I tweeted the word groomer. I was like, groomer, because you can't you can't you can't ban speech. So here's the issue. Um, I have never. Uh, I, being the number one personality on their list, will uh, uh, expressly state, I have never advanced a narrative that LGBTQ people are seeking to convert or recruit children. I don't know what that even means. I have, however, pushed the idea, um, and I'll use that in, in a, in a, in a I'll, let me clarify, I have retweeted images of adult males showing sex images to children and called them groomers. Because groomer isn't about recruiting someone necessarily, right? So let's say first, most groomers, most groomers in the world, uh, straight white men. 
you know, and, and we talked about this last night because people will be like, how can you call a pedophile straight? There's clearly something wrong. And I'm like, no, 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 because grooming, the, the bulk of it is getting a young woman and then, you know, here's what they do. They'll bring them to like, it's a, it's a photo shoot. We're doing modeling. And then they'll say something like, okay, we're going to do some nudes. You're totally cool with that, right? Everyone does it. And then when the girl's like, I don't know if I want to do that, they'll be like, honey, this is modeling. Are you kidding? And they'll go, okay, I guess, take the pictures, pay them a bunch of money. And then they'll be like, we can totally do more. Hey, why don't you, here's a guy you're going to like hold, you're going to hold on to him in a bikini. It's like a swim, swim. They, they do that over and over again. And then within a few months, that young girl who is now 18 or whatever, they have doing hardcore stuff. That happens all the time. That's grooming. Now, what we are calling out here, specific instances of grooming in which you have adult men showing children sexualized imagery or sexualized performances. That's how you do it. You introduce them to something like, hey, would you like to do some modeling for me? Hey, modeling's totally normal. Wear this dress. Can I put your shoulder strap down? Now you want to do nudes, right? You increment them one step at a time until you've got them doing something they would not normally do. Grooming. So what they do is a straw man and they lie. First, the tweets I put out were basically like LGBTQ people are not groomers. Grooming does not refer to LGBTQ people. It refers to people who are trying to groom children into sexualized performances or behaviors. They then create a fake narrative, claim that's what we're talking about. It's the funny thing, right? Because like the tweets in question of mine that got so many retweets were me literally saying groomer does not refer to LGBTQ people. Like there's a... He's right that Media Matters does make a living of making straw men of various situations. The thing is, though, I remember looking into Media Matters a couple of years ago. It's that, that's that David Brock operation over there, right? And I remember reading about a, a fundraiser that they had. It was sponsored by Lynn Forrester de Rothschild. Now, David Brock's partner was a guy who owned a famous a pedo shop, I mean, a pizza shop in DC that you're not allowed to talk about anymore, but is very much real and uh, talked about in the WikiLeaks. And there was also a Hillary Clinton campaign logo officially. You can search the WikiLeaks, the, the, the images in there, and it has the pizza on the Hillary logo. So there's a lot more to that that you're not allowed to talk about. It's a couple topics in this free speech land of ours we're not allowed to talk about. So I'm not going to talk about those things. I'm going to talk about this concept of demoralization. Demoralization means that you are so tired of it that even if you're told the CIA killed JFK, who cares, dude? It's, you know, you're so tired, you're demoralized. You're not willing to fight back anymore. You're letting the other side win. This is a goal of warfare. It's a goal of warfare. So I brought you a little warfare book here. So ironic. Sun, Sun Tzu's whole idea was... You know, you want to, the best way to defeat your enemy is by defeating him psychologically. Yeah, get so him to defeat himself. You want to break his will to fight. So I have this book here for you. It's called Battle for the Mind. It's about brainwashing. It was written in 1957. And uh, William Sargent, who wrote it, he worked specifically on uh, PTSD. Let me just take you into this book. Here's a chapter contents if you need to know nerdy stuff like that. But uh, here's a little preface, right? William Sargent, he's doing research into brainwashing. He wrote a book called Batter for the Mind. We're reading it right now. Uh, World War II showed that with enough exposure, enough battle exposure, every soldier eventually shows the symptoms of battle fatigue. 
shell shock, or what we now call post-traumatic stress disorder, PTSD. Uh, Sargent's basis was a Pavlovian theory. Oh, that's fascinating. Let's turn a couple pages and learn a little bit more. Now, this had various phases. There's the paradoxical inhibition. There's the ultra-paradoxical inhibition. And then there's the transmarginal collapse. This is where the whole thing breaks down. Now, I'm going to read you the paragraph, then I'm going to show you a picture. There's a graphic in here, and it all makes sense. A state of breakdown occurs in which the person or dog, because remember, he's using Pavlov, so they don't need people in the experiment. They got dogs. They work the same way in Pavlov theory. Cannot function and has lost key markers by which they uh, or it understood the world. So they're talking about under stress, you lose this map of the world. Basic learning, basic assumptions about the world have been challenged. If the person or dog could change some of these assumptions, they could build a new map of the world, a different world, and function again if the trauma had not been too great. So he's like, if the breakdown occurs, like you're going to have to go through some rebuilding. You just bumped into some things. You might have to do some learning. You're going to need to form a new map of the world. Now, like what the goal, happens to EV and Fever Vendetta. That's right. What, so, yeah, he puts her through. So here's the map for combat exhaustion. And this is kind of like uh, this slippery slope right here, right? The demoralization is setting in. You no longer fight back. So you have soldier becomes battle wise and then has a maximum period of efficiency. And then they're in the hyper-reactive stage where it's not it's diminishing returns, right? There's a period of overconfidence, and that's dangerous. And then there's emotional exhaustion stage. And right here is what they're trying to work on and figure out how it worked. So if you come over to this page, page 29, on the contrary, the continued exercise of willpower and courage may, in certain circumstances, exhaust the brain and hasten a final collapse. So... In those situations, even though soldiers want to go forward, they can't. They need a, a period of uh, convalescence, a recovery period. So all these ideas that they learned from studying these soldiers and PTSD in World War One. Uh, then after World War One, they had uh, Tavistock Institute, and from that you had things like uh, the World War Two studies and the Battle for the Mind. And then this was all wrapped into uh, MK Ultra and moving forward. But it's also the Soviet plan for taking over America, the demoralization of a nation now g edward griffin once upon a time interviewed a cat back in the 80s who used to work for the kgb the kgb was by the way the place that first said trust but verify and then <laughs> reagan was hanging out with a kgb agent apparently he's like he's like oh, that's my phrase now right that's a good phrase it's it's a smart mm, phrase to use yeah, it's right? smart phrase so indeed. yuri bezvinov is a uh, defector from russia during the soviet cold war times and uh ed griffin gets him on camera we're going to play that clip and then we're going to go into the intermission directly. We'll just play this clip and then channel change into the intermission. We're going to look at Iran Contra. This is a clip from Dantavius. Historic look, a little comedy in there, make you laugh. But you're also going to see a lot of overlaps from the intelligence agencies and the blackmail networks and everything we kind of talked about tonight. So it's going to bring everything into a nice, uh, you know, nice uh, Two like takeaways. Salad, salad formation. You got all these ingredients. We're going to sweep them together. And yeah, go ahead. Two takeaways from Yuri Bezmanov, um, mentioned many times on the show. Ideological subversion is the methodology. I think the second or third uh, stage of that has to do with demoralization, which then allows for the fertile ground or the cultivation of the type of society they want to build. The other thing he mentioned that I want people to pay attention to is how much 
his job within the KGB and how much of what the KGB was doing had very little to do with the sort of James Bond portrayal through Ian Fleming of of uh, secret agents and yeah, a lot of KGB diversion. was just keeping their own people in line. It was journalism. It was there was narrative creation and that sort of thing. So pay attention to those two elements. They're very, very, very important, especially in in light of what we just um, just showed in the past couple of clips. And for those of you playing at home on your own history blueprint, KGB is in here. You can see what it actually stands for. You can see where it plays along, who was involved, and maybe these guys, some of these guys, British agents. So we'll check that out afterwards. But sure, proud of you. Hmm. Yup. All right, let's go to uh, Yuri Bezminov a couple centuries ago, getting the time machine. Let's go back into the 1980s. Talk to a KGB defector who we can listen to, but we can't ask him questions. Mr. Bezmianov was born in 1939 in a suburb of Moscow. He was the son of a high-ranking Soviet Army officer. He was educated in the elite schools inside the Soviet Union and became an expert in Indian culture and Indian languages. He had an outstanding career with Novosti, which was the and still is, I should say, the press arm or the press agency of the Soviet Union. It turns out that this is also a front for the KGB. He escaped to the West in 1970 after becoming totally disgusted with the Soviet system, and he did this at great risk to his life. He certainly is one of the world's outstanding experts on the subject of Soviet propaganda and disinformation and active measures. Well, you spoke several times before about ideological subversion. That is a phrase that uh, I'm afraid some Americans don't fully understand. When uh, the Soviets use the phrase ideological subversion, what do they mean by it? Ideological subversion is, is the slow process which we call either ideological subversion or active measures, activne meropriyatia in the language of, of the KGB, or psychological warfare. What it basically means is to change the perception of reality of every American to such an extent that despite of the abundance of information, no one is able to come to sensible conclusions in the interests of defending themselves, their families, their community, and their country. It's a great brainwashing uh, process which goes very slow and it's divided in, in four basic stages. Uh, the first one being demoralization. It takes from 15 to 20 years to demoralize a nation. Why that many years? Because this is the minimum number of years which requires to uh, educate one generation of students in the country of, of, of your enemy, exposed to the ideology of the enemy. In other words, Marxism-Leninism ideology is being pumped into the soft heads of, of, of at least three generations of American students without being challenged or counterbalanced by the basic values of Americanism, American patriotism. The demoralization process in the United States is basically completed already. Uh, for the last 25 years, actually it's overfulfilled because uh, demoralization now reaches such areas where previously not even Comrade Andropov and, and all his experts would would even dream of such a tremendous success most of it is done by americans to americans thanks to lack of moral standards as i mentioned before uh, exposure to 
true information does not matter anymore. A person who was demoralized is unable to assess true information. The facts tell nothing to him. Uh, even if I shower him with information, with, with authentic proof, with documents, with pictures, even if I take him by force to the Soviet Union and show him concentration camp, he will refuse to believe it until he, he is going to receive a kick in, the, in his fat bottom. When a military boot crashes his balls, then he will understand, but not before that. That's the tragic of the situation of demoralization. The next stage is destabilization. This time, subverter does not care about your ideas and the patterns of your consumption. Whether you eat junk food and get fat and flabby, it doesn't matter anymore. This time, and it takes only from two to five years to destabilize a nation, uh, it's, what, what matters is essentials, economy, foreign relations, defense systems. Uh, and you can see it quite clearly that in some areas, uh, in such sensitive areas as, as uh, defense, an economy. Uh, the uh, influence of Marxist-Leninist ideas in the United States is absolutely fantastic. I, I could never believe it 14 years ago when I landed uh, in this part of the world that the process will go that fast. Uh, the next stage, of course, is crisis. It, it, it may take only up to six weeks to, to bring a country to the verge of crisis. You can see it in, in Central America now. And after crisis, with a violent change of, of power, structure, and economy, you have so-called the period of normalization. It may last indefinitely. Normalization is a cynical expression borrowed from Soviet propaganda. When the Soviet tanks moved into Czechoslovakia in 68, Comrade Brezhnev said, now the situation in brotherly Czechoslovakia is normalized. This is what will happen in the United States if you allow all these schmucks to bring the country to crisis to promise people all kind of goodies and the paradise on earth, uh, to, to destabilize your uh, economy, to eliminate the principle of free market competition, and to put a big brother government in Washington, D.C., with uh, benevolent dictators like Walter Mondale, who will promise lots of things, never mind whether the promises are fulfillable or not. Your leftists. In the United States, all these professors and all these beautiful civil rights defenders, they are instrumental in the process of the, of the uh, uh, subversion only to destabilize the nation. When their job is completed, they are, non, they are not needed anymore. They know too much. Some of them, when, when they get disillusioned, when they see that Marxist-Lenin has come to power, they, obviously they get offended. They think that they will come to power. That will never happen, of course. They will be lined up against the wall and shot. But they may turn into the most bitter enemies of Marxist-Leninists when they come to power. And that's what happened in Nicaragua. You remember most of these uh, former Marxist-Leninists were either put to prison or one of them split and now he's working against Sandinistas. It happened in, in uh, uh, Grenada when Maurice Bishop was he was already a Marxist. He was executed by, by a new Marxist who was more Marxist than this Marxist. Same happened in Afghanistan when uh, first there was Taraki, he was killed by Amin, then Amin was killed by Babrak Karman with the help of KGB. Same happened in, in Bangladesh when Mujibur Rahman, very pro-Soviet leftist, was assassinated by his own Marxist-Leninist military comrades. It's the same pattern everywhere. The, the time bomb is ticking with every second the disaster
Ah, the 1980s. What a time to be alive. Rocky IV, Van Halen, the looming threat of nuclear annihilation. The 80s had it all, baby. But one thing a lot of people don't talk about too much anymore is that the biggest scandal in American history happened in the 80s. And it involved a man who some consider to be the greatest American president, Ronald Reagan. And no, I'm not talking about the time he created AIDS to eradicate all the gay people. I'm talking about the Iran-Contra scandal. And I'm gonna get into it after a quick word from our sponsor. Guys, I have a confession to make. I'm kind of a schlemiel. I drop my phone at least 12 times a day. But Our story starts back in 1951. Mohammad Mossadegh was just elected prime minister of Iran. He was extremely popular and loved by most Iranians. But you know who didn't love him? The British. See, most of Iran's oil at the time was owned by British Petroleum, aka BP, and Mossadegh decided that he was gonna nationalize all the oil. And if you know anything about England, you know they hate two things. Food that doesn't taste like ass, and losing access to oil. So the UK convinced the United States that Iran was in need of some good old-fashioned freedom. And on August 19, 1953, Mohammad Mossadegh was ousted by a CIA-backed coup and replaced with the Shah of Iran, who was more in line with Western interests. And things were going pretty good for him until 1979, but we'll come back to that later. Meanwhile, on the other side of the world, in Nicaragua, a group known as the Sandinistas were fighting to overthrow the U.S.-backed dictator Anastasio Somoza. And on July 17, 1979, they succeeded and took control of the government. Now, the Sandinistas were socialists backed by Cuba. And let's just say Ronald Reagan wasn't too happy about that. The Sandinista rule is a communist reign of terror. Many of those who fought alongside the Sandinistas saw their revolution betrayed. They were denied power in the new government. Some were imprisoned, others exiled. Thousands who fought with the Sandinistas have taken up arms against them and are now called the Contras. They are freedom fighters. That brings us to the Contra part of the Iran-Contra scandal. The Contras were a collection of right-wing paramilitary groups that opposed the Sandinista government. And Reagan had a huge boner for these guys. At one point, he even said that they were, quote, the moral equivalent of the Founding Fathers. Now, I should probably mention that the Contras were accused of pretty much every human rights abuse imaginable. Kidnapping, torture, rape, killing civilians. These guys were doing it all. So yeah, they're not exactly fucking Ben Franklin's over here. And don't get me wrong, the Sandinistas were no angels themselves, but the thing with the Contras is that they didn't really have any oversight, so nobody held them accountable when they did messed up stuff. But hey man, at least they weren't a bunch of filthy commies. So the US sent them tens of millions of dollars of aid every year. But Congress thought that Reagan and the CIA were going a little too hard in Nicaragua, so they passed the Bolin Amendment in 1983, which completely cut off all funds to the Contras and prohibited the CIA from carrying out any operations there. But Reagan wasn't gonna let a stupid little thing like Congress stop him from helping out the Contras. But of course, he couldn't do it by himself, so Reagan started looking for somebody that could help out the Contras under Congress's nose. And it wouldn't be long before he found the perfect guy. Congress stopped the Contra money flow Just cause they moved a teeny bit of blow But then a hero came forth His name was Oliver North He and Reagan went around the sissy Congress Ollie North, Ollie North 
Lieutenant Colonel Oliver North was a decorated Marine with more medals than the fucking periodic table. You might recognize him from Call of Duty Black Ops 2. Lieutenant Colonel North, NSC. He was the perfect guy for the job. He had experience, he was a patriot, and most importantly, he knew how to keep his mouth shut. And our boy Ollie didn't waste any time getting to work. The first thing he did was set up these secret fundraisers where rich people could donate money to the cause. And one of the biggest donors at these things was actually Saudi Arabia, who gave over $30 million. So they were doing these fundraisers for a while, and now they had all this money. The only problem was they didn't know how they were going to buy weapons with the money without Congress knowing. That's where Richard Secord comes in. Secord was an Air Force general who had a side hustle working in the black market arms trade. One of the guys who he worked with was a fella by the name of Edwin Wilson, who was pretty much the biggest arms dealer in the world at the time. And Secord acted as a kind of middleman between Wilson and Ollie North. Well, that is until Wilson fucked around and got himself thrown into prison after he got caught selling 40 tons of explosives to Libya as one does. When it was discovered that Secord had been working with Wilson, he was forced to retire from the Air Force. But he didn't really give a shit. Now that he had a lot more free time on his hands, he decided to start his own arms smuggling company called The Enterprise. So Secord went from being the middleman to running the whole operation in just a few short years. And you know that mother sucker was getting paid. So the Shah of Iran took power in 1953 after a US backed coup, as I said. And he actually did a lot of good stuff after taking over. He grew the economy, he helped modernize the country, but at the same time, he was also kind of a schmuck. He ruled with an iron fist, and while he did bring in a lot of wealth into Iran, most of it went into his pockets. I mean, the man literally threw a $400 million party for himself and his rich friends. A lot of people saw the Shah as a puppet of the United States who sold out his country to foreigners. And eventually the people had enough and a revolution broke out that brought down his regime. In 1979, the Shah left Iran and Ayatollah Khomeini took his place as supreme leader. Unlike the Shah, this guy didn't really like America very much. He referred to the US as the Great Satan, and one of his favorite catchphrases was, Death to America. Now, you're probably thinking, man, it would be really dumb if we sold weapons to this guy. Yeah, probably, but we still did it anyways. See, back in the 80s, Islamic extremists had this weird hobby of kidnapping Americans and holding them hostage. Hezbollah, a Lebanese terrorist organization with ties to Iran, was holding seven hostages back in 1984, and Reagan really wanted to get them out, but he didn't really know how. And then one day, Ali North gets a call from a dude named Manusher Gorbanifar, who had connections to the Iranian government. My friend, my friend, I can get some of the hostages out. If you just do me a little favor and sell some missiles to Iran. This was exactly the opportunity that Reagan was looking for. But there were two issues. One, there was an arms embargo on Iran. And two, Reagan had a very strict, we don't negotiate with terrorists policy. Our government has a firm policy not to capitulate to terrorist demands. But then Ronnie thought to himself, okay, maybe just this one time, maybe just this once we'll negotiate with terrorists, just a little bit. So he told Ollie North to set the deal up. But obviously if anybody found out about this, they would be in deep shit. So they had to get creative. That's when Bob McFarlane, Reagan's national security advisor, came up with a brilliant idea. They could just use Israel as a middleman. Israel would sell arms to Iran, and the US would sell weapons back to Israel to replace whatever they sold. And if they got caught, they could just blame it on the Jews, because that always works. It was a genius plan, 
But why would Israel ever get on board with something like this? Like, Iran had publicly called for Israel's destruction multiple times. Well, Iran was fighting a war with Iraq at the time, so the Israelis figured if their two biggest enemies were focusing on each other, they would be less focused on them. So it was a win-win. Everybody was winning. Well, except for the civilians getting annihilated by all these wars, but hey, they were brown, so who gives a shit about them? So Ali calls up Gorbanifar and tells him it's a go. Now, I should mention this Gorbanifar guy is a complete putz. Like, he is the stereotypical Persian arms dealer. Reagan called him a devious character, and Bob McFarlane said he was, quote, one of the most despicable people I have ever met. According to the National Security Archive, Gorbanifar was almost universally discredited for misrepresenting all sides' goals and interests. Even before the Iran deals got underway, the CIA had ruled Gorbanifar off limits for purveying bad information to U.S. intelligence. Okay, so this guy was so bad that the fucking CIA refused to work with him, and Ollie North was like, nah, he's a good guy. So Gorbanifar set up the deal, and to everybody's surprise, it actually worked out, and Hezbollah released some of the hostages. In fact, it was going so well that they decided to cut Israel out of the operation completely. And the new system worked like this. The Department of Defense would sell missiles to the CIA. The CIA then sold those missiles to Richard Secord, who would sell them to Gorbanifar, who sold them to Iran, at a massive markup, of course. Secord and Gorbanifar was making so much money off this scheme that they didn't even know what to do with it all. So they decided, hey, let's toss some of this cash to the Contras. And that's where the Iran and the Contra finally meet. Wow, it, it took us a while to get here, but... Here we are. Now, on top of getting money from weapons deals and donations from the Saudi government, the Contra's biggest source of fund was actually some good old-fashioned drug trafficking. So back in the day, there was this guy in Los Angeles named Rick Ross. No, not that Rick Ross. I'm talking about the real Rick Ross, the biggest drug dealer in America. At his peak, Rick was pulling in over $3 million a day. He made billions of dollars on the coke trade. That's billions with a b b b b b Rick's supplier was a guy by the name of Oscar Danilo Blandon. And guess where he was from? Nicaragua. It turns out that Blandon was trafficking drugs to raise money for the Contras. And the Reagan administration knew about it the whole time. So while thousands of people were being thrown into jail for drugs, our own allies were bringing tons of stuff into the country while the government turned a blind eye. Where do you get your coke from? I was getting my coke from a guy by the name of Oscar Danilo Blandon. Blandon would bring me drugs to sell to raise money for the Contras. Uh, the Contras was backed by the CIA. They felt that if they lost Nicaragua, that um, Russia would be marching down the streets of the United States. Despite the destruction of the inner cities, the whole Iran-Contra operation was going strong. The Contras were getting their money, Iran was getting their missiles, and most importantly, everybody kept their mouths shut. For a while. October 5th, 1986, a cargo plane was shot down in Nicaragua. It was holding AK-47s, rocket launchers, grenades, and 200,000 rounds of ammunition. Four people were on board, but only one survived. Guy by the name of Gene Hussenfuss, who for some reason was the only guy who thought to bring a parachute. Now, Gene was pretty low on the totem pole, so he didn't know much about the operation. But what he did know was enough to link the plane back to the Reagan administration. And just when you think it couldn't get any worse, it got worse. November 3rd, 1986, just a month after Hussenfuss's plane got shut down, Ashira, a Lebanese newspaper, reported that the U.S. government was trading arms for hostages after getting a tip from an Iranian official. What's funny 
is that it's been speculated that Gorbanifar convinced the source to leak this story because dude was just an agent of chaos. Either way, the whole operation was exposed and everybody involved was fucked. The American people wanted blood. They wanted justice. So Reagan created the Tower Commission, a special review board that was going to investigate the scandal and get to the bottom of the whole thing. So just to reiterate, the president opened up an investigation into the president. And I appointed a special review board, the Tower Board, which took on the chore of pulling the truth together from me and getting to the bottom of things. But obviously Reagan wasn't going to take the blame himself, so Ollie North volunteered to be the fall guy. And in some way, he was always intended to be the fall guy, right from the get-go. Luckily, right after shit hit the fan, Ollie North decided to throw a little party. A shredding party. Ollie and his secretary got together and destroyed every single piece of evidence related to Iran-Contra. Also, he was definitely hitting that. I shredded. I was never told not to shred. I shredded because I thought it was the right thing to do. When I didn't have a shredder, I put it in a burn bag and they were burned. So the official story was that Oliver North went rogue and did all this stuff behind the president's back with some help from a few other people in the government. For this, he was convicted of obstructing justice, destroying documents, and accepting bribes, for which he served a total of zero days in prison because he got off on a technicality. But again, he didn't do all this by himself. So what happened to the rest of the gang? Richard Secord and his business partner, Albert Hakim, each got two years. Probation. General, what effect do you believe that these highly publicized proceedings will have on the willingness of foreign countries and individuals to cooperate with the United States on proper covert operations in the future? In my opinion, the whole world is laughing at us. The Secretary of State, Secretary of Defense, National Security Advisor, and two CIA members were all pardoned by George Bush Sr. once he got into office. So pretty much everyone involved got off with a slap on the wrist at worst. Oh, actually, that's not true. There was one person who got punished pretty badly. Mehdi Hashemi, the guy who leaked the Iran arms sales story to the Lebanese press, he was executed for treason. But yeah, this was basically the biggest scandal in American history and everyone got away with it. And nobody gives a shit to this day. I don't hear anybody talking about this anymore. You have all these conspiracy theories coming out recently, but then you have real conspiracies that are now declassified, that are right in front of our eyes, and, and nobody seems to care. I wonder why. In America, if someone put my headphones on here real quick you know there's a lot there's so much to that story obviously there's an entire chapter i have whitney webb's book open here Let's see here one nation under blackmail volume one we reviewed this in maddie Ben's book club um, this is actually the very first chapter we reviewed in preparation for volume two, because you really have to understand Iran-Contra and BCCI. Um, there's, so that was a pretty tame version that he gave, but it was a, very, a very entertaining tame. narrative. It's, it's a good, that's what people really, I would actually go back for people who are unfamiliar with this history, rewatch that. And then if you have the chance to get this book, then read chapter seven. Chapter seven doesn't give you the narrative that it expects that you understand the general narrative before you get into the myriad numbers of connections, the rivalries that existed between the enterprise and what was it called? The supermarket. 
I think that was led by George H.W. Bush and his cronies who also wanted to get in on the game. That Well, uh, and this is how Reagan came to power. Reagan was a Hollywood actor who became governor of California, and he needed something to do. And the people who killed Kennedy needed a front man that wasn't involved with killing Kennedy. So H.W. Bush replaced Jimmy Carter, who was David Rockefeller's man in the White House, and his brother Nelson was formerly the vice president. So they needed a continuity. They just had like, you know, the both Rockefeller's brothers were represented in the White House for the past 10 years. So they put in the former director of the CIA from 1976 just for one year, just so he could, you know maybe cleanse all those records tidy things up tidy things up make sure things are you know all tightened down after the church committee and stuff like that right because that's why he had to take over the cia because church committee's like that was the rockefeller foundation investigation into the rockefeller cia and mk ultra projects in the first place so by the time 1980 comes around america needs a fresh face they need a leader during this cold war how about the ronnie reagan you know uh bedtime for bonzo yeah, we're going to make him president and we'll put H.W. in his vice president running things behind the scenes like Iran-Contra and all those shenanigans. Right. Oliver North was reporting to Bush, not to Reagan. National Security Council was deep captured by the Anglo-American establishment. Casey didn't like. Yeah, there's. Oh, man, there's a lot here. North is involved with those guys down who uh, killed Kiki Camarena. He's named by some of the the uh, what's the Spanish word for the assassins? Anyway, they're assassins. They're professional killers. And so there's that. You can watch the last narc on Amazon and check that out. But there's a lot of history that overlays with that. And then they're leaving out the whole MI6 taught CIA how to smuggle drugs in the first place. Yeah, well, and that's how far they had come with the enterprise. But it never stopped. And it continues to FTX today. It's all yeah, the same slush fund. It's the same people. same slush fund. BCCI ended. And Robert Maxwell is in between. You know, the other thing they don't mention is like the CIA was helping to run the drug smuggling operation for the Contras so they could afford the weapons and the arms dealing going back and forth. Well, they could carry the out a Margaret money. Sanger agenda at the same time. Right. So that it was a big circular economy. Yeah. So, I mean, it goes, they're essentially... Yeah, it's a big, absolute mess. You want to get into the details, check out chapter seven. It's called A Killer Enterprise. It's one of the longer chapters in volume one, but it's... Uh, Talking it's about quite... Whitney Webb's One Nation Under Whitney Blackmail. Webb. Yeah, got... yeah, volume one. One Nation Under Blackmail, volume one. You know, so it gets... bit. You know, here, I'll just read one, one quick, and I didn't set up my document cam as I should have, but I read one quick paragraph just to give an idea of just how many interested parties there were. The supermarket actually predated the C-Cord-led Contra uh, airlift that had been part of North's behest. This is clearly illustrated in the Walsh report and is alluded to by Howard Cohn and Vicki Monks in their reporting on Iran-Contra that appeared in Rolling Stone. Cohn and Monks write that while Operation Black Eagle, which was the Enterprise basically, was breaking down and the Enterprise was being assembled, William Casey turned to a third weapon smuggling operation. Barton and McCoy were not part of Casey's network of operatives. They were instead, quote, entrepreneurs who had learned about the Contra Slush Fund and hoped to profit from it, end quote. As the enterprise swung into motion, a significant rivalry developed between the two groups. North, North's, this is Oliver North, North's personal notebooks illustrate that the supermarket became a growing concern for the enterprise during 1985. That spring, North wrote down information about Martin and McCoy's operation that Secord had gleaned from Rafael Quintero, the CIA-trained Cuban exile who had become involved with the Shackley network in the 1970s. Among the information list was, Mar was that Martin was wanted in Guatemala for criminal activity, so forth and so on. 
Um, other notes made by Norris show that he was interested in where the money for the supermarket had come from in the first place. On July 12, 1985, he wrote that he had received information that the Honduran army plans to seize all weapons when the supermarket comes to a bad end. And that $14 million to finance the supermarket came from drugs. Despite the relationship between Norris' operations and drug traffickers, he used this link of the supermarket's financing to drugs, with Noriega allegedly being the connection here to warn others to avoid them. North later stated that he was being guided in these decisions by William Casey himself. Supermarket, if I remember correctly, was an organization set up that also wanted to profit from the arms for drug situation that was going on. I forget. It's a very important element, but I forget the notable key players. I know Bush plays a major role in it, but I can't. In the spirit of Elon Musk, I'm just go for the coup de grace. Talks about Felix Rodriguez. Blah, blah, blah. Oh, wait. oh, I set it up here. Hold on. Let's do it like this. Ready? This is the Iran-Contra final report. Okay. Now, if you look at this cover carefully, it says, President Reagan created the conditions which made possible the crimes committed by others by his secret deviations from announced national policy. So like even the cover of this is screaming out loud, like, please read me. There's some crazy shit going on. It's hundreds of pages of crazy stuff. But let me just take you to page 206 down here at the bottom. There's a little footnote, right? We got to zoom in to see this little tiny, tiny print talking about some CIA people. Oh, look at this. Memorandum from Casey to Chief, Near East Division. Uh, Casey noticed Hashemi's claim that Vice President Bush's brother, Prescott, had approached the Iranians. Casey's schedules indicate that Casey received calls from Prescott Bush on March 1st, 1985 and March 15th, 1985. So the future president, well, the, the that, that point, Vice President's brother, future president's uncle, right, is all up in this Iran-Contra. So if they got caught, how did, how did the next generation end up as president during 9-11? But wait, there's more. Over here on page 343, arms sales to Iran. Aftermath, the state responds to the November 1986 exposure of Iran-Contra. Who's in over here? Who's this guy? Uh, let's see. <clears throat> Shortly after the news of the Iran initiative broke in early November 1986, senior State Department officials began a two-part response. The first led by George Schultz. Now, George Schultz's dad was Burl Earl Schultz, who did AIC, American International Corporation, set up of uh, China and Soviet Russia. That's where he comes from. And Hill uh, was a re-examination re of the department and had been known uh, what, what the department had known and done about the arms sales. The second, led by Schultz and L. Paul Bremer, the new ambassador at large for counterterrorism, was an effort to stop any further sales to Iran and to take control of counterterrorism policy from the National Security Council staff. Now, I know this L. Paul Bremer guy from someplace, Tony. Can you help me remember... Why do I know? Oh, Kissinger Associates. Mm. Yeah, he works at Kissinger Associates. What else did he do? Uh, no, governor over one. Iraq with the billions of dollars missing, but there was something else. Oh, there's an issue with 9-11 and Tim Osman. Oh. oh, I'm sorry, not Tim Osman. No, he's the first person to say Osama bin Laden oh, on, on the Osama. TV, but he also worked at Marsha McLennan's risk management mm -hmm. department. So risk management, counterterrorism, tomato, tomato, same guy. Interesting. 
So recurring themes going through. You know who else worked in this this administration? A guy named Philip Zelikow and mm. Condoleezza Rice. They worked together. They wrote a book together. Uh, Germany, uh, Western Germany who reunified. Reagan's, who was Reagan's vice president? H.W. Bush. Oh. oh. So it's almost like the people who killed Kennedy ended up taking power and continue to have their uh, their next generation in power uh, to this day. And here, this is one of the claims Whitney makes in the book, and I'll end it. I'll sort of tie up this loose end. So basically, you know, scattered throughout documentation, one finds references to an entity called the supermarket based out of Honduras. Leading military official stationed in Latin America, General John R. Galvin, described the supermarket as a place of a lot of weapons where some overseas were stored. An unnamed CIA officer who was called to testify, meanwhile, called the supermarket, quote, a private organization that was operating in league with international arms dealers. Now we fast forward to the end of the chapter. This is sort of the final remark she makes about this. The statement raises more questions than answers. By tying Terrell to the supermarket, was Secord trying to place Martin and McCoy's outfit under FBI counterterrorism surveillance? Or was there truth to the statement? If it was the latter, then it would seem that the supermarket could have been trying to expose the enterprise in the press and to U.S. law enforcement. This would directly parallel the claims later made by Seymour Hirsch that a secret intelligence apparatus run from the office of the vice president. Who is the vice president again? H.W. Herbert Walker? had leaked yeah. information to the press concerning the missile sales to Iran. In other words, there was a rivalry set up between Casey and Oliver North and H.W. Bush and his cronies who used counterterrorism to surveil what was going on and then leaked it to the press to gain leverage over the story. And then he becomes president right after. You know, it's also interesting. This is not the same James A. Baker that was involved in the, the Twitter this is James A. Baker III, James the third statesman. Yeah. But yep. it's funny how this Iran Contra book has so many 9-11 names. Here's Bandar yeah. Bush, right? Yeah. Here's yeah, Bush, L. Paul Bremer. Bremer. Here's George Bush. <laughs> Here's Prescott Bush. You know, it's just you know, it's just one page. I could keep going through here and find an oh, here's Adnan Peter Khashoggi. Did he have anything? Up. No, that was uh Jeannie Kirkpatrick, all these people that you know, help the rise, uh, the rise of the national security state and homeland security. And talking also about who is it? Felix team? Rodriguez. We've talked about him before in this podcast. See also Max Gomez, according to the Iran Contra report, not to me. I'm not saying that when you see Amazon's last narc, I'm just saying on page 571 of the Walsh commission report, you can find all about Max Gomez, a.k.a. Felix Rodriguez, who's also mentioned in Whitney Webb's book throughout. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So. And there's a here, here on page. Anyway, Alan Della said people won't read. That's the problem. So we're just trying to help solve it. In the second volume, uh, this is the end of the second chapter, last paragraph. She mentions James Baker. So, uh. This, this is very interesting. The situation rate, so this is the last paragraph. The situation raises this still more obvious and important question. Why did the State Department rent to Epstein in the first place? It appears the answer was Secretary of State from 1989 to 1992, James Baker III. According to Yahoo News, a lawsuit brought against Epstein and Fisher by the State Department suggests that Epstein had a relationship with the State Department, suggests that Epstein, oh, sorry, Epstein had a relationship with Baker, Epstein's lawyer, Jeffrey chance was asked do you know how mr epstein came to know secretary of state james baker to which he responded no the answer to this question may be related to 
a close friend of Baker's Raymond Hill, who owned Mainland Savings in Houston and SNL mentioned in Chapter 7, which is the chapter on BCCI. Isn't Jeffrey Epstein involved in Iran-Contra? Yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah. He was part of, um, and Adnan Khashoggi comes up heavily throughout the entire thing. There's also Robert Maxwell shows up, who is the father of Ghislaine Ghislaine Maxwell. And here, here, to answer this question, maybe... Maybe you're related to a close friend of Baker's Raymond who owned Mainland Savings in Houston. The SNL mentioned Chapter 7 that was tied to Ada Nan Khashoggi, also mm-hmm. a client of Epstein's. That's the connection there to BCCI. It was also connected to Walter uh, Misher uh, and his son-in-law, Robert Corson, who, as noted in Chapter 6, was allegedly tied to Israeli and American intelligence. According to an interview with Pete Brut- uh, Bruton, James Yeah, Baker's I have his book. Plausible law- mm-hmm. right, right. That's right, right. Bush family uh, involvement. James Baker's red alert, red alert. <laughs> anyway, so James Baker's former law firm, Andrews and Kurth, helped suppress investigations into mainland savings and their connections to BCCI. So again, that's why we read chapter seven out of volume one, this volume, and, and as the very first chapter in order to prepare ourselves for what we're going through chapter by chapter, starting from the beginning in volume two, because BCCI connects everything together because it's still going on under different guises and different names and different situations. Continuation that is FTX today. But let's not forget about Gary Webb's work, Dark Alliance. He doesn't necessarily expose the financial machinations to such a degree as the BCCI, but like BCCI was shut down. He's also talking about Rick Ross and CIA cracks, crack, crack cocaine back then with the Contras. Oh yeah, well, like that's like, the whole story he's covering that they gaslit him, but they were still doing it in the '90s. His point is like yeah. we think like the way the story, the way the media ran is like BCCI stopped and like the drug trade, arm trade stuff that all stopped. No, Gary Webb's like no, it continued in the '90s. It Im- uh, impacted uh, tragically the inner city of LA, Chicago, and you know the major cities of uh, America, and it was targeting essentially the poorest amongst us um with these drugs and that trend continues to this day in the inner cities and then he was shot i think he shot himself twice gary webb in 2004 tragically somehow shot himself twice. so just so there's a lot to the history and alan dulles says uh America doesn't read and they're certainly not going to care about these little details. Like a few might read the details, not many. You're not going to have a platform to tell anybody is basically what he was saying back then. But now you do have a platform to tell people. And I think we should read because I don't think these things are so far gone. They wouldn't have to be so openly corrupt if uh, everything was just going their way. So they're getting caught. There's a remoralization. There's people reinvigorating their, their thirst for freedom and liberty. Equal treatment for people, not special group classes winning the first prize, always chosen, right? So we got to look at, you don't have equal outcome, but you got equal opportunity. We all have same human needs, regardless of where we're born, what we believe in, what religion we were born under, what color our skin is, all these different things. Because reality exists. It's that simple. Reality exists. It's, you know, we all share the same sort of reality. We all have different beliefs about that reality, but we have the same interactions with it. People need to get back to a basic ground of understanding that we share a world together, that we have, we are an individual in that world that have share it with many other individuals and have to find a way to peacefully navigate this, this the world in which we live in this narrow space of time that we get while we're on here. 
Yeah, whether you're cogito ergo sum or you exist, therefore you think. I don't care either way. Just start thinking yeah. about what's going on. Stop believing and assuming because uh, by assuming you're turning yourself into Pavlov's dog. Yeah. They have control, command and control over your beingness. They don't need Delgado's wires and little buttons. You assume they're telling you the truth without trust, you know, don't even trust and then verify. How about that? We can improve on what the KGB yeah, verify. Just, just verify at this point. Go after facts. Understand reality. Think for yourself. Get back to a basic ground of reality. I don't care about your ultimate metaphysical conclusions, as Rich just pointed out. Learn how to just weigh out reality. Basic, basic reality. I mean, even have see- something more interesting than gaslighting. I'm just saying even Crowder mentioned, I remember a while back, he's like, you know, back in the 60s, 70s, people didn't really necessarily argue whether or not a reality existed, whether God created it or it evolved from natural processes, whatever. You know, we at least recognize that biological sex existed and that, you know, law of identity and basic reality parameters and constructs existed. Now we just don't even believe a reality exists or people just don't want to think about the reality that exists because they're too demoralized have to grow out of that because that's the world in which you exist. And that's the world you're leaving for your children. Uh, most fundamentally, is that the type of, you know, to Tim Poole's point, is that the type of world you want to leave to your child? Let's remoralize, reinvigorate and reeducate ourselves. Cause I don't think the education we had is what we need for these rites of passage that we're going through right now. You're going to have to, you know, Tim, what was it, Tim, that's saying like, look, you know, this stuff, some people are demoralized. They don't want to look at what's going on. And that means you've lost the battle already. You've given up. And there's so much cool stuff going on out there as far as people learning to think for themselves. That's a good thing. People learning their way out of problems without waiting for, you know, here's the authority. Here's government. Here's the state to fix that for you. Here's some corporate fascist partnership to tell you what you can and can't leave, leave your house and what you can buy and sell and when you can travel. All those things are being planned for our future. If we don't come up with a better plan for ourselves, then by default, we're going to get what they're offering us on their menu. And I don't think we want to eat the bugs. I think we should prosecute the thugs. Yeah, <clears throat> definitely don't eat bugs. Now, this past week also... <clears throat> The nerds who benefited from the theft of Pons and Fleischmann's cold fusion research, they had some sort of sustainable reaction for a microsecond where they put in two gigajoules and got out 3.5 gigajoules in like a fraction of a second. Hey, that happened with cold fusion, though, back in the 80s. They got a microsecond worth of uh, more output than input. But that wasn't it wasn't good when Pons and Fleischmann did it. They had to have a Department of Energy spook go in there named Stephen E. Jones and like throw a wrench in that whole thing. And then they took that work. So they discredited the scientists. They lose their funding. That work gets abandoned. The government goes and takes it. The United States Navy approved. It's like proved that Pons and Fleischmann's experiment worked 2007. Something back well, it then. It's still going on in universities around the world. In Europe, it was just not funded. It's, heavily, it's in the movie The Saint. Yeah, the same. With Val Kilmer. Kilmer. Yeah, yeah. They're talking about it back then. Oh, yeah. Um, And there's still, I remember before he had an untimely death, Hans or um, I forget which one it was, but one of the individuals that was a part of that research had an untimely death in a very strange circumstance. But before that, he mentioned a, a number of um, departments and universities and various colleges around the world that were able to do the exact same experiment and come up with the same results. And that's the Holy grail of science. They were able to, for like microseconds, um, get more output, output than, input. than input. And yeah. they could sustain a reaction for 
a very short amount of time. The problem is, as he mentioned, the funding is very low, extremely low. Where's all the funding well, in the energy department? They should do more to. fundraisers in inside of Elizabeth Shoe's bra because that's where the, like the quantum secrets were kept. They should learn marketing. One oh one, dear dude. And learn how body heat transfer work. That too. That too. That's a good movie. The same. It was about a, those it was, Russian oligarchs. Yeah. yeah. And but this uh, encrypted communications, hot. assassins, hitmen. You know, uh, cold there. fusion. It had all. It had all the, the high parts of a good movie out there. And the um, so the but the most recent news has to do with the reaction with hot fusion, which for people who aren't aware, a billion, many billionaires have been pouring tons and tons of money into hot fusion research over the past ten years, part partly to, I don't know, subvert global warming and anti that's another Val Kilmer movie real genius where they had the military laser experiments using the college kids brains to be able to figure out those problems that was a good movie space said weapons. they made popcorn at the end Spoiler so uh, we do have a clip this is serious this isn't a joke we have a short clip of uh, a nerd showing how explaining how they they achieved this fusion reaction I was incredulous because I'm like this guy's going to explain it and that he did there's like 129 lasers for like a microsecond and he does it smarter. So let's go ahead. And uh, it was in the YouTube playlist from today. Oh, yeah. Oh, like at the yeah, top of that sick. list. Yeah. And uh, it might've been associated press, but it was an official press release. No shenanigans. It's not some video of Zelensky playing the computer with his schlong. Nothing like that. It's a legit scientist telling you how they're uh, making big changes out there in the science world. Has fusion. nothing to do with it's them trying to be God. List. Top of the list. To the top of the porch, to the top of the wall. Dash away, dash away. Let's learn about. Do you, uh, you know what fusion. his name is? No, I don't. It might be on. I don't know if they pulled it inside. Yeah, I don't see it on. Yeah, because the, the list that I use is real time, but the one that gets posted is from earlier today, probably. Well, I'm looking at the list on YouTube. Dun, dun, dun. And I don't have a clue right now. But yeah, uh, it's it cold either. fusion. That would be hot fusion. This is Sorry. probably in respect to hot fusion. Yeah, <laughs> we were talking about cold fusion because that happened like 20, 30 know. years, 30 years ago. But this is about hot fusion reactions, which uses hard water, which would essentially be pennies for every person. I think it was just 5 million degrees that they did. It wasn't a big deal or 12 million degrees or some crazy hotter than the sun degrees that oh, they're playing with. Here we go. It's See? on Guardian News. It all works out if you hang in there. A team at Lawrence Livermore National Lab, National Ignition Facility, made the following happen. There's a tiny cylinder here at the end of this that you probably can't see. It's about so tall and this wide. Inside that was a, a small spherical capsule about half the diameter of a BB. 192 laser beams entered from the two ends of the cylinder and struck the inner wall. They didn't strike the capsule. They struck the inner wall of this cylinder and deposited energy, and that happened in less time than it takes light to move 10 feet. So it's kind of fast. X-rays from the wall impinged on the spherical capsule. Fusion fuel in the capsule got squeezed. Fusion reactions started. This had all happened before, 100 times before. But last week, for the first time, they designed this experiment so that the fusion fuel stayed hot enough, dense enough, and round enough for long enough that it ignited. 
and it produced more energies than the lasers had deposited. About two megajoules in, about three megajoules out, a gain of 1.5. The energy production took less time than it takes light to travel one inch, kind of fast. So this is pretty cool. Um, I have a special message to listeners who want to work on exciting, challenging, and important problems. We're hiring. <laughs> yeah, I wonder how quickly they'll deep six that story. Well, let's just look at what they said. You put in what? 1.5, you got out three? It was gain, two, they got gain out of, three, they gained of 1.5. They put in okay. two, yeah. Got. What do you mean by gain? You mean it released? Well, my so, question is, did you catch? Are you catching that energy? Are we doing anything with that energy? Or are we just making these they're reactions? Just, they're just showing it's possible. Now because, they have to come up with apparatus to catch it and turn right. it into a generator. And which then you're going to need something that catches that much energy that quickly. That's going to be fascinating. You might need new elements. Unobtainium might have to be mining other planets for such things soon. They're going not only Terminator here, they want alien in space. Alien, I was thinking. Yeah, I was just thinking alien. It's like, yeah, it's going a mining trip. Oh, wait, what's this strange? Right. Cause if some rich there. people here figure they need some unobtainium for their uh everlasting immortal computer system or whatever they're building out there, they're gonna go do that. Oh, if yeah. they figure they need that for their uh uh Iron Man power suit with the fusion reaction, they're gonna go do that. They don't care yep. if they have to colonize other planets. They've already shown you a hundred movies about how they do that. Not just Avatar 2 coming out in the theater near you. Don't go see it. Come on now. I can't believe they're still doing this for people. Oh, the sad thing is, I mean, they don't really need to. It just takes hard water. It's like seawater in order to be able to power this thing. And then capture it would just be setting up a sort of... That's that's a whole engineering. I'm not worried about them going to other planets to mine because you would need toxic masculinity for that. And James Cameron's <laughs> against that now after he made his bones on Terminator movies and Schwarzenegger shooting stuff up. So nothing yeah, to yeah. see there. Two billion dollars, I think, for Avatar 2. I think that was watching a critical drinker talk about. It. I think two billion yeah. is what the production Just call it Avatar was. 2 billion. Two billion. Yeah. Yeah. That's what he wrote. He wrote it on a cocktail napkin. He wrote Avatar 2, and then he just put a dollar sign, and he put a B afterwards. He's was like, it Ridley Scott did Alien, and then Aliens was James Cameron or something like that? I forget. Well, Ridley Scott and Tony Scott used to be making movies, and then I think Tony Scott jumped off a bridge. He had done a lot of good movies, and then Ridley Scott is the one that's still around, and there's probably another one on the next generation on the way. Yeah. Such movies continue yeah, to proliferate James our society. Cameron did Alien since 1986, Sigourney Weaver. That was a great film. But Alien was done, I think, by Ridley Scott. I think that was the universe he created at Ridley Scott in 1979. Yeah, and there's an overlap between those universes and uh, and like Prometheus, right? Yeah, Prometheus, which shows genetic research. The origin and, like, theory yeah, the behind origin. And Alien. Then Alien Covenant, sort of, it's not necessarily the greatest production, but again, it sort of proliferates that idea of creating... Well, the best one is Alien versus Predator. So oh God. Oh God. they're down in Antarctica and some underground, under ice pyramids yeah, situation. Yeah, like that's that's real deal right there. In the day. They bring nothing, in the nothing beats the original Predator that roar from Arnold Schwarzenegger. The hunter becomes the hunted. It's 
badass. One of Jesse Ventura's fights. You want to films. talk about toxic masculinity? The 1980s represented that. To the- Carl Carl Weathers. They had all the toxic masculinity in Predator. You're right. <laughs> yeah, Carl Weathers. <laughs> oh no. Sure. Yeah, I mean they had uh, they had Stallone, they had Schwarzenegger, Stallone, they sure. had Carl Weathers, they had Jesse the Mind Ventura. They called him that because he was so smart back then. And uh, well, he had a thing for snakes too. The Python boa thing. Maybe he's. What was no, the other film that's different with, that where Stallone was the the main lead? Um, Rambo. Rambo. John Rambo. That was the height of unappreciated veteran. Nineteen. Well, there was a lot of Vietnam veterans feeling unappreciated, and then you know Rambo is like their hero. Then. Yeah. There you go. Which you know might not be a bad thing for national security. That type of masculinity is no longer available. No, it seemed no. to have like stopped being issued at the uh, box now office. <laughs> doggy masks on Air Force or whatever. It was. Don't be hating on Scooby Doo. They just send a puppy play. Don't hate the player, hate the leash. Making sure they have depressed LGBTQ people. Hey, that could be a trendy CIA. shirt. Don't hate the player, hate the leash. Okay, that's the world we live in in 2022, soon to be 2023. Well, so. yeah oh so let's let's remind the audience next week is a christmas holiday so we're not having a podcast on a sunday night we're going to do one on the monday night and then we'll see how our tuesdays go and we're gonna we'll try it let's see how it works and then we'll be back on a sunday night for uh january 1st 2023 oh can't wait to see what's going to happen i mean i thought 2020 was exciting and then 2021 woo. And then this year, I mean, crazy stuff. Looks, looks what's going on this week. I don't know what they're going to do. How are they going to up their game? Tune in and find out. Just thinking they probably could just create steam that spins a turbine, something. But then you have to deal with radioactive isotopes that may emerge. But I don't know. Yeah, it's these guys haven't figured out how to do much more than spin turbines at this point. It's, they don't get what yeah, electricity just, is or it's what its capabilities are. It's turning yeah. the they're they like, put it in the batteries the for the cars. Exists. So you guys can drive around like little kid toys. We're not going to get a chance to cover this document tonight. The unclassified summary of the second interim report on the origins of the COVID-19 pandemic. But basically, after all these pages, they say they don't have a lot of trust in the intelligence community's assessments. <laughs> for some <laughs> I mean, reason, the same intelligence community that uh, or DARPA that brought us everything for the past seven Project hours. Diffuse, yes. You know, that yeah. entertained the Eco Health Alliance project for create an it, aerosolized bat vaccine. It didn't just entertain it. They asked for bids on that project. They're they like, were fine you know, with it, but they just wanted right. a little bit more structure. A little oh, bit they more. thought they'd get caught. So they need to pass it off to a <laughs> non-public agency. That's okay. all. Eco House is a little too forward facing for the MI6. I mean, uh, for the for the zoonotic researcher named Peter Dazak. Zoonotic meaning a pangolin fucked a bat. Let's just say it like, let's be not general. It's more like a pangolin fucked a bat that then a human. I agree. The zoonotic transfer happens out there. I'm just saying in this case, I'm calling bullshit. Pangolin didn't fuck a bat. I mean, bat shit. Guano. They go bat shit crazy in the bat cave with Dazak and Sheng Li Zi. Guano is what the British Empire uses for uh what is it called? P salt uh saltpeter for ammunition. Yeah, it's a gunpowder. It's nitric oxide. They need bat shit, dude. That's why yeah, bat shit's like the whole premise of the beginning. British Guyana. Anime. 
coaling port to get guano. Nitric oxide. All right. What other clips do we need to include in the show? And then LD start thinking about who we got to thank tonight. And do we have our thousandth paying subscriber tonight? Or do we have to wait till next week? Tune in next week to find out. We'll see. I don't um, have or, I mean, there's let me just put this on screen. Blah, 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 blah. Lots that we missed, but it's sort of the same narrative, wasn't anything major. But obviously, those that sign up for the GTW community get access to the show card. So, any of the clips that we don't get to, you have available to yourself by becoming a member of the GTW community. Plus, uh, LD will go over some videos and topics that we don't get to cover. What's what's your show Monday? What, what do you leftovers? Leftovers. So LD will be covering maybe some of these. Um, let's see. There's a uh, Sean Penn hates on the unvaxxed. That's hilarious. Oh, Tim Robbins. Oh, I love taking I love taking uh, health advice from Spicoli. <laughs> Come on, man. T Tim Robbins sat down with Russell Brand. It was actually a very good video about his journey, understanding how false the narrative was, how much he, you know. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I was I, still thinking about Tom, uh, Sean Penn standing with Zelensky, back. and it's a new movie called Short and Shorter. Uh, 2016 X Files for the government vaccine. We played that a while back on this show, but that's uh, actually history on this show. Jackson Ford's always good. Breaking news: uh, excess death from Australia. So a bunch of stuff continuing forward with the uh, vaccine stuff. Pretty much standard issue. Intermission. Um, one thing we didn't get to do is a new world next year, 2023. James Corbett, James Evan Plato. Check it out. Very good this week. Um, and there's a couple. Uh, FBI won't release South Rich laptop info because Russia uh, proof America. And nah. I mean, it's, I think we covered most of everything. There's nothing to, I'm sorry. This is hilarious. No, the inevitable collapse of us dollar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Extinction of humanity. John Don. Yeah. We already know. Hey, I, I can talk about the inevitable collapse of the U S dollar real quick in the movie. It's a wonderful life. Mr. Mr. Martini. He can buy a house for $5,000. And Uncle Billy, he loses $8,000 when he goes and brags about uh, uh, the other Bailey, Harry Bailey getting the award and Potter takes that money. So if you can buy a house for five grand back then and a house today is half a million, that's called depreciation of your dollar. And if Uncle Billy loses 8000 that's like losing $800,000 today. It's also depreciation of your dollar. Houses still made of materials, they don't get more valuable over time. Your dollar gets worth less over yeah, time. The purchasing power of the dollar becomes more and more worthless. And that's just another form of attack. We it's the purpose of the Federal inflation. Reserve. The inflation tax and um, politicians love it because they don't have to use actual traditional taxation. They can just appreciate the dollar more and people don't notice it. it's a frog boiling water. One story that was kind of interesting that we don't need to necessarily cover, but just want to bring people attention, people's attention to it. Uh, this should be a crime. Russell Brand discussing a U.S. judge clearing Saudi crown prince for the killing of Jamal Khashoggi. By Another Khashoggi that is related to Adnan Khashoggi. That's right. That's right. That's why I figured for all the Khashoggi-ness that we mentioned. And that's a straight-up assassination by a head of state that was yes. supported by our government and covered up. And it was also an employee from the Washington Post who, if you're going to let your journalists get assassinated and not peep about it, maybe you should have to fire some people. Operation Mockingbird. Um, Corbett Report did a really nice interview with Mark Morano, Climate Depot, just going on the false narrative. Well, it's Ben Davidson um, did a really good Q&A this week in regards to his video. We showed 
almost six months or a year ago, debunking the entire anthropogenic climate science nonsense. He did a follow-up video, just helping to break it down um, a little bit easier for people to understand and sort of calling out what's actually going on. So that's all. And then Russell Brand also did a video with uh, the guy who runs uh, Declassified UK. Hmm. And uh, it was all about how the state created the corporation the corporations took over the state and now it's like a fascist corporate state that has been in control since the end of world war ii and i said you're speaking my language dude tell me more so that is worth checking out too we didn't have time to play that tonight uh lots of other good stuff we didn't have time to play so if you're looking instead of wandering during the week and reacting to what's going on take a stronger longer look at what just happened last week get better understanding and then catch up with this week in a couple days you don't need that real-time news that's how they're controlling the herd you want to put a little space in between that stimulus and your thoughtful response if you want to have freedom don't be a pavlov's dog or a dog face something soldier of the evening soldiers of the evening those were don't be a john calhoun uh Rats in a cage, or no, that's the mouse utopia. Don't want to be a rat in a cage. Don't want to be a Milgram experiment. Don't want to be Thought a, it was a smashing Bardo, Stanley, or uh, the the um, Stanford prison experiment. You don't want to be any of those behaviorist situations. Yeah, but, be a thinking, unique human individual and uh, go about life in a more conscious, present, less naive manner and would all be better served. And with that, you know, uh, enjoy the upcoming week and the festivities and Merry Christmas. Happy New Year to everyone. Um, I wish everyone the best. And we'll be back, what, next Monday? Yeah, we'll be here next Monday and lots of activities going on in between. Soon we're going to have the launch of Jay Dyer's Philosophy 101 course coming up. He's almost finished with that. We have start on production of Ryan Christian's new course, uh, Jay Noon's uh, Detox from Dopamine for parents and kids uh, that course is going into production. So a whole bunch of things just picking up and autonomy season nine enrollment started already as we're moving to graduation on season eight it takes a couple of weeks for people to find their way in and get informed, but uh, it's going to sell out faster than ever. So if you're interested, get over to getautonomy.info forward slash ignite, or even just the info will get you there to the homepage and you make some choices, click some buttons. You'll learn all about it and see if it's right for you. And with that, let's go to LD in Mission Control, and he's going to and see uh, who we have oh, to thank this evening. That's a lot what of clever stuff commentary. Once. That's a lot of buttons, but mm. we get it done. All right. Yeah, I missed. <clears throat> well, here we go. Yeah, go over to GrandTheftWorld.com. If you haven't, you can join our community. I don't know how many subscribers we have right now. I don't have those numbers in front of yeah, me. Yeah, we don't actually sure keep we'll track, but other people answer. mentioned that earlier. Oh, we do. It's stuff. just, you know, it's back there somewhere. Behind the... We'll find out next week. Right. It's the suspense. Um, huge thanks to our Grand Theft World community supporters, members, supporters, and a big thanks to our Rockfin tippers tonight. We had Salt Sultan of Yat. Salt, Sultan of Yat. Yat. Y-A-T, not Y-A-C-H-D, in case you're wondering. $10, love GTW all caps. Thank you, Robert Dowdy, $10. I usually watch the rebroadcast on Odyssey. Thank you for the truth. I wish everyone would have their eyes opened. Thank you, Robert. Vervain Verve, $5. LD's Crusty Boot. 
$20, C-U-I-T-M-L-D. Um, that was interesting. Uh, I had a, <laughs> yeah, I had a boot blowout the other day. Been abusing my summer boots in the snow, and but I, I repaired them, so. Um, right. Tcan, $5. Thanks, GTW, for the gift of truth and history. Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. Thank you, Tcan. Tommy Riley, $5. Science of Coercion, Communication, Re- Communication Research and Psychological Warfare, 1945 to 1960, by Christopher Simpson. Still a favorite where Simpson talks about Ford and Carnegie Foundation's research into communication research in post-war America. Yeah, 100%. Thank you, Tommy. $10 from Chris Youngblood. LD, get some grub. Yeah, I'm, I'm on it. Good, Andy. $10, LD boot fund. John Wren, $5. Shane Therio. $5. Didn't get to listen or watch the last couple of weeks, but you guys are still a highlight of my late night Sundays. You guys always kill them. Kill them all. Kill them all. That's the first, uh, that's the album title from Mount Metallica's very first album. And it was uh-huh. very ironic because they wanted to kill all the lawyers because they wanted to name it Metal Up Your Ass and they weren't allowed to name it that back in the 1983. So they said, kill them all. And then later, Lars Ulrich tries to kill all the people downloading music from Napster. The metal up your ass was that talked about earlier with the butt plugged in, or is that just a <laughs> non sequitur? Non sequitur, but oh, okay, pretty funny. Pretty funny. Apropos, uh, five dollars from death to tyrants, Mary Ho Ho, Tony and Rich and LD and family, respect and love. Thank you, sir. Thank you, thank you death to tyrants. Thank you, thank you. Small computer system interface, scuzzy, five dollars. Christmas comes to bless us. Merry Christmas, everyone. And B1, $5 LD's new boots fund. Much love, GTW fam. Real, want to give a real quick shout out. Um, the town hall, fantastic town hall last week. The next town hall is would normally be on the 27th. That's my birthday. So I'm going to cancel that and we'll pick it up in the new year with Tuesday, January 3rd. I believe it's the third. That'll be the next town hall and we'll progress forward into the new year. And I uh, might have a special situation where the next couple weeks month or two of Senna join us to go over a deep history into the origins of espionage and uh from a very long historical perspective and uh might entertain doing another course at some point you might even tap in a guest speaker for your town hall to keep the rhythm but you can get the night off and just you know do your birthday thing yeah i consider that but i figure with end of end of the the issue is then monday town hall or uh, monday gtw i figure we'll just take the week off so yeah however it works yeah i gotta work you know, look into it but yeah either way the third will pick it up a normal schedule and uh sort of move forward from there so that's all did we have more ld or are you all set that would be the list thank you thank you one and all and yeah merry christmas to you and uh enjoy the nice winter weather Stay, stay frosty, but stay warm. Yeah, I think the way to wrap this one up tonight is to uh, quote the end of the Iran-Contra report. I mean, uh, we probably did it six months ago, but they said, uh, who will watch the watchers? They said it in Latin. They're very clever. And the answer is uh, we, the public, we should be watching these watchers. 
these intelligence agencies who are covering up, covering up, they're not serving United States national security from an individual's perspective, but from that collective perspective, it's in their interest to hide who killed JFK, who's hiding on Epstein's client list. Nobody should ask why Ghislaine's in, in jail for trafficking children to no one. No one should ask that. No one should ask why Samuel Bankman Freed has Ghislaine's lawyer. No one should ask why the Wall Street firm that set up the CIA is in charge of uh, the FTX investigation. Ellison, you shouldn't look at any of these types of things. Ellison Sullivan and Cromwell hired the yeah. uh, the old thick one Clinton lawyer. Yeah, I mean, this whole thing just smells cover up. Of course, he's supposed to testify. He gets arrested, dubious and curious. A running bet, you know. Well, SBF didn't Epstein himself. Let's yeah, get the T-shirt say, out. My whole family has the sort of betting for right now is that will he make it out of the Bahamas? So we'll see. We could have a Deadpool segment every week and see, you know, is it that not we're not there yet? That's a 2023 thing. All right, oh, we'll save it. Okay. We'll save it. Save it for later. Too soon. Too soon. Save it for Q1. Shibboleth. Well, there were many the- shibboleths. There were many shibboleths out there. I watched a really interesting video the on the circular economy. Um, we don't have time to play it tonight. So that <clears throat> Jewish individual, but yeah, he was, was he was an awesome financial yeah. advisor. Yeah, he's good. That was a good. Video. And I think it's a great idea, and more people should do likewise. You can't you can't hate on people for figuring stuff out and having like a good system. That's just stupid. Of course, great. a lot of hate is kind of stupid, isn't it? It's not the too. smart people doing that. Yeah. So maybe you should take smart ideas and use them for yourself and not hate on them. That's the thing. Maybe we could head in that light direction. All right. With all that being said and read, just because we like to piss off the ghost of Alan Dulles, we like to read it all. Thank you guys all for tuning in and not dropping out. And do we have something to play us out? We got some JP this week. We got some JP. JP and what's your face are the two I put on there. Lots of JP stuff and what's your face. So we have, let's see, the death of crypto. What's her face entertainment? Then we have exclusive interview with Sam Bankman Free, JP Sears. We have Canada's new healthcare plan, JP Sears, the nuclear energy luggage thief, JP Sears, and getting dumber by the J. That's like his media wrap up thing he does, JP Sears. Mm. So mm. lots of flavors. That's tough. That's tough. Uh, let's go to What's Her Face because JP, like he's he's rolling. He, what's Her Face could rolling, use a little yeah. support. Yep, yep. Thank you guys. See you next week. Peace. Happy holidays. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. Hello, my friends, and welcome to the Weekly Roundup, where we discuss just a tiny fraction of all the insanity that takes place in the world each week. Our top story today, mystery envelops the crypto world as three crypto luminaries die within a few short weeks of one another. You know, it's weird. We had the whole FTX bankruptcy thing, and then there was all that talk of a central bank digital currency, and now this. It's like random chaos is just so perfectly serendipitous sometimes. 53-year-old Russian billionaire Vyacheslav Taran is the latest victim in the string of deaths, perishing in a helicopter crash in Monaco. Oddly, the crash took place in perfect weather after another passenger canceled last minute. This happened just a week after Tian Tian Coolander, 30-year-old co-founder of Singapore's trading platform for virtual currencies known as the Amber Group, passed away in his sleep. Now even stranger than that is the death of Nikolai Mushigan, just hours after tweeting that he believed Israeli and American 
security agencies were planning to murder him, the co-founder of MakerDAO, a crypto lending network, was apparently discovered dead in a lake in Puerto Rico. His final tweet read, CIA and Mossad and pedo elite are running some kind of sex trafficking entrapment blackmail ring out of Puerto Rico and Caribbean islands. They are going to frame me with a laptop planted by my ex-girlfriend who was a spy. They will torture me to death. As much as some have moved on with all the hustle and bustle of the Yuletide season, many individuals are still perplexed and wondering what all of this means for the crypto business, which is notoriously unpredictable. Honestly, it's the unpredictability that makes me so uncomfortable. Let's move on to the predictable stories that we can rely on. Sam Brinton, a non-binary nuclear waste official, gets fired after being caught red-handed stealing luggage. Ah, that's more like it. Brinton, who was appointed to his former position in June was caught on surveillance cameras making off with a $320 bag from the Las Vegas Harry Reid International Airport's baggage claim area, a bag that contained more than $3,500 worth of jewelry, clothing, and makeup, according to police. Oh, okay, so it turns out that his clothing choices actually have nothing to do with his non-binary status. He's just wearing whatever the f he finds in the luggage he steals. Speaking of confused men, six foot nine WNBA player Brittany Griner was freed from Russian prison this week after a high profile prison swap with Russian arms dealer Victor Bout. Bout was the world's most notorious arms dealer in the 1990s and early 2000s. He was serving a 25 year prison sentence in Illinois before being freed as part of the US-Russia swap. You know, a lot of people are angry that she was traded for such a dangerous high profile criminal. But come on guys, she's just a dainty, innocent woman. Just a feeble six foot nine woman with a flat chest who also happens to be a lesbian and you know, was charged with domestic abuse back in 2015 for punching her girlfriend in the face. All beautiful feminine qualities that we must guard with our lives. Growing Pains actor Kirk Cameron is banned from hosting readings of his children's Christian book at more than 50 publicly funded libraries, despite most hosting drag queen story times for kids. When asked for a statement, one library responded, the only flood story we'll be teaching in this library is the one caused by Cardi B's wet ass p No, that didn't actually happen. But this did. According to a new study, those who skipped out on their COVID-19 vaccines are at an increased risk of traffic crashes. Come on now, the vaccinated are just as likely as the unvaccinated to get into car accidents. They just don't usually let the passengers drive the short bus. Staying off the roads isn't the only way team encephalitis is keeping us safe. States are now allowing people to ban themselves from owning a firearm. The first of its kind law was the brainchild of Democrat state Senator Jamie Peterson. Several years ago, a pair of law professors approached him with the idea of allowing people to voluntarily give up their gun rights. The basic pitch was, hey, if you give people the power to do this, then folks who know they're suffering from some sort of mental illness, when they do have a break and do harm themselves, would be empowered to prevent that by getting firearms away from them in advance. Do you really think the best way to help the mentally ill is to get them to fill out government paperwork?
Hello? Good evening, ma'am. I'm calling from the county clerk's office. I was just holding those drugs for a friend. That's not the nature of this call, ma'am. I'm calling in regard to your voluntary waiver of firearm rights and revocation form. Okay. I see here that the name on your form does not match the name in our system. Well, I changed it after my domestic abuse case. That's fine, ma'am. You'll need to fill out a T648 form in order to update your information. Okay, well, where can I get that from? You can print the forms online once you fill out an OPA24B8 to register with our web service. I'm sorry, I gotta fill out a form? To fill out another form? Yes, ma'am. You can visit the clerk's office between the hours of 11.15 and 11.25 a.m. to collect the form. It's a really short window. Yes, ma'am. Once you collect the forms from the clerk's office, you'll have to fill them out in black pen and have them notarized. After you filed a petition with the district court and pay the $203 fee, you can return the forms to the- Okay, you know what? Just stop. It's just easier if I get a gun and kill myself. The world's first AI supermodel is a black woman, but her creator is a white man who reaps all the profit. And so begins the origin story of virtual oppression. Also, I can't keep up. Are we calling these things men again? Speaking of origin stories, an 11,000 year old carving of a man holding his penis is the oldest known depiction of a narrative scene. He must have watched the part of AOC's new documentary where she lectures him on the perils of climate change. A documentary about climate change featuring AOC was just released in 120 theaters across the US. Guess how much it made? It made just $80 per theater. 80 bucks! That means there were like five ticket sales per theater. And honestly, I bet half of them were AOC. I guess that's just what happens when all of your followers are on social security. We can all hope that this colossal failure will shut AOC up for good, but I ain't counting on it because a leopard never changes its spots. All right, guys, I have once again forgotten to film my sign off. So if you like this video, please don't forget to like, comment, and subscribe and check out some of these other videos from my channel. I will see you all next Friday for the next weekly roundup. Okay, bye. I love you. Conspiracy is a story of history. It's the story of plunderers taking care of people who produce. They claim to take care of them through government, which doesn't give you anything. It doesn't take away first. So it's not creating something out of nothing. It's very real what they're doing. They're taking your rights or taking some people's rights and adding more to someone else's rights. If you haven't heard about our Grand Theft World community membership, here are a few of the things you've been missing. A mobile app where you can access replays of the Grand Theft World podcast and show notes. Access to the Grand Theft World community on Discord, where we crowdsource news and resources, and you can contribute to the show. The opportunity to participate in the Grand Theft World bi-weekly town hall. Exclusive content from Richard Grove, including behind-the-scenes footage and future access to unpublished material. 93 episodes of the Peace Revolution podcast, and the Grand Theft World newsletter delivered straight to your inbox each week. If you want to stay ahead of the great game, visit us at GrandTheftWorld.com, click or tap the button in the top right-hand corner, and join a vibrant community of researchers blazing a new path to truth. We'll see you there.